Hello, everyone, and welcome back to The Other Castle. The Other Castle. It's been 84 years. Well, it hasn't been that long. <laughs> but I have been Andrea. And my name is Tom. Hi, Tom. Oh, it's been a while. We miss you guys. Oh, we have missed you guys so freaking much, honestly. And really, you guys have been keeping in touch, which is really nice. So I guess we haven't had to miss you that badly, but I'm sure a lot of you have missed us. <laughs> That's very cocky to say, but I certainly do want to reiterate. I love seeing the emails. Um, it, you guys are so sweet, and thank you so much. You you brighten our days a lot. So thank you guys for those of you who want to email us. All of our information is in the show notes, and we'll remind you later. But oh, it just it's been really nice to stay in touch with a lot of you guys. Yeah, truly. And also on our Instagram, everybody just keeping in touch that way as well. You know, we read everything. We try to talk to as many people as we possibly can. Promise. Yeah, and no one's asked for feet pics, so... Not yet. Yeah, no one's gotten weird. That's not an invitation. No. Um, shit, but... <laughs> <laughs> just saying it's been cool. But yeah, no, it's so nice to be back. We've taken a bit of a hiatus, but we are back with season five. Season five, and this is so freaking exciting, because, like, uh, season four was so much fun. So much fun. I mean, that... I. Th- I have to say, I think our best episodes do come out of season four. I am so proud of the Dead Space episode. Yeah. (laughs) Like, I won't shut up about how much work I did on it and how proud I am of how it came out. And we're doing just as much, if not more, frankly, even just with this episode work for season five. And we've been doing a lot of work in the downtime. Like, don't worry. There's a lot of stuff coming for you. And I'm really excited about some of the titles. Uh, You guys have suggested some of the titles that we're doing. So that's fucking awesome. Yeah, and like speaking of work, the amount of work I've put into just this episode alone, <laughs> I think rivals maybe like season two, it, like the entirety as of a whole the work. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh no. <laughs> yeah. No. So like one, we've been saying we've been getting a lot of emails from a lot of you, and one of my favorite things is when people say that we help you guys get through your day at work. Oh. And so today's episode is especially for you guys. Because we are doing our first 60-hour campaign game. Oh, I'm so excited. And I have my butt pillow. I got snacks. <laughs> because today we are doing Red Dead Redemption 2. Uh, I'm so excited. But before we jump into it, there are a couple things I'm really excited to talk about. Oh, yeah, absolutely. So... Like Tom said, we've been doing a ton of work on the back end, kind of behind the scenes on the show. We're working on our Instagram, and we do have a new logo out. So if we have a brand shiny new icon over there, don't be surprised. It's still us. I just uh, got down and got weird with it and (laughs) redesigned everything. Yeah, the first logo I made on Microsoft Paint way back in the day. You love Microsoft Paint. I do love Microsoft Paint. You and Toby Fox, just some MS Paint boys. (laughs) But no, then Andrea came in and uh, she used her magic and she took some of the old, blended it with some of the new, and I think our new logo looks absolutely fantastic. Thank you. I'm excited about it too. And we also were in the news recently, which is so cool. And for an insane fucking reason, you yeah, guys. This is a weird one. I'm not going to lie. Like, <laughs> I, I don't know any other podcast that's pulled this off, personally. <laughs> you can't name any. But also, I don't know any other podcast that has tried. <laughs> so we are now an award-winning 
podcast. Award winning. Are we calling it an award? I think salad's an award. So we won a salad contest. Yeah, we're, we're a contest winning. We, we're we a winning <laughs> podcast. There is no trophy. So the salad chain Chop Stop, I believe they're in California, Nevada, and Texas in the U.S. Is that if, it? I think so. Oh, okay. I it's thought a, this was like a nationwide chain. So they are just it's like... a multi-state operator. Okay. You know, Texas is in a different time zone. <laughs> That counts. Right. <laughs> so they had a contest that started in like April of design your own salad. And if we like it, we'll put it on the menu for a month and feature it just to give some fan love. And me in the middle of the night in April decided that sounds great. I made this salad. It's romaine and kale. It's got garlic, bacon, barbecue chicken. This is not a light salad. There's <laughs> there's avocado and tortilla chips and Caesar dressing because I'm just a decadent bitch and didn't think anything of it. And in August, we got an email saying that our salad won. And I found out as a consumer before I found out as the other castle. Like yeah. I got the email being like, congrats to Andrea and the other castle podcast for winning the salad contest of the month. And I went, oh, my God, I submitted that under the show email. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> and they call it our podcast. They're like, yeah, it's a video game podcast. <laughs> In the email, and then it was on their social, and if you went on their app in August, it just says fucking the other castle podcast. So if you have joined us uh, since then because you saw us from Chopstop, welcome. What's up, Chopstoppers? Thank you so much for tuning in. We hope you enjoyed it. Uh, it looks like people have. We've gotten so many great reviews. We've gotten so many great ratings on Spotify. So thank you to everybody that are rating us positively. Uh, boo to you that aren't. If you guys found us through the salad contest, please let us know because I just want to give you a kale-filled high five. Also, I got a gift card for salad, so I was really stoked on that. I was like, you're fueling the other castle. Like, that's the first monetary thing we've gotten out of the podcast, frankly. Like, we're doing this for the love of the games, and (laughs) this is the first time we've earned something. Earned? One? Whatever. But (laughs) yeah, I was at home working from home. Tom was at his job, and I think I told you to call me, which is very dramatic to say when your partner is out in the middle of the workday. You're like, oh, shit, are you bleeding? (laughs) And with me, honestly, probably I'm pretty clumsy. So he's like, hey, is everything good? And I go, I was laughing so hard. (laughs) So hard, though. It took two minutes to get the story out. And I was like, Tom, we won a salad contest. And he's like, what the (laughs) fuck did you just say to me? I left the office for this (laughs) in case this was like a mental breakdown or a medical emergency, both of which are valid. I'm been messy. But... (laughs) But I am a salad contest winner, and it's been so cool. They put us on social. They, again, send out emails. We're in the app. I've, I've taken so many screenshots. I've been saving the receipt from them where it says the other castle chop. Oh, it's been great. So big shout out to Chop Stop. Yeah, uh, absolutely. I Thank guess you. a partial sponsor of this because I've definitely eaten <laughs> some of those salad money. Uh, so thanks, Chop Stop. We really appreciate you, and I love your salads. They're very filling. They're a little pricey, but... That gift card's really helping out, man. Thank you. <laughs> it really does. So yeah, no, it's a. Uh, I've been a fan of Chop Stop actually. Like genuinely, not trying to like hawk any extra salads or anything as a thank you. Like truly, I used to eat Chop Stop for lunch like almost every single day. You went to the West Hollywood one, right? Yeah, yeah. Very cool. That one's a beautiful location. It's like right on. Is that Melrose? Yeah, uh, that's on Santa Monica. Santa Monica, beautiful. Yeah, no, that one's great. Check them out if you want to have a salad that I enjoy. I guess, man, like, go for it. Uh, So thank you 
to Chop Stop, and thank you if anyone has found us through a salad. Um, <laughs> I mean, that's a great discovery point. You know, I, I usually find books and movie recommendations from friends through social media, but if you found a new podcast through a salad, I fucking love you. Yeah. Hugs. Hugs all around. Thanks, and if you guys. tried the salad, let us know how it was. Or don't. There's a lot of garlic in it. <laughs> I know I have a weird taste. It's a very decadent, savory salad, like I mentioned. It's, you know, the avocado is supposed to balance out the other not heart-healthy things like the bacon, so right. <laughs> it is what it is. But anyway, that's one awesome thing we've been doing in the interim. Another thing we're doing is an event. Yeah, we've got our first big event coming on. So Our first event, period. Yeah, absolutely. So if you uh, know us very well, we actually live in Las Vegas, Nevada. And so we have a comic convention coming up called Amazing Con here yeah. in Las Vegas. And we managed to book out a table in Artist's Alley there. Yes, we are going to be there the entire weekend, that Friday through Sunday. That is September 16th, 17th, and 18th at the Las Vegas Convention Center. We will be there all three days. I am working on cosplay. I'm hoping that I can pull off some game-related outfits. And we're going to be hanging out. We're going to have some stickers. We're going to be giving out some sweet high fives. And if you listen, if you're in the area, we would love to say hi. That would be really cool. If you want to hang out at the Chop Stop in Las Vegas. Yeah. <laughs> do you think they'd let us host a meetup? That would be kind of cool. I was just thinking if we could just, you know, have some salads to eat while we we're, you know, sitting there at a table for several hours. I mean, they kind of did. They did send us a gift card for winning the salad contest. Yeah. So I guess we just have to do the step of sitting there for several hours. But <laughs> do you think we could get them to deliver it to us at the convention center? No. That'd be cool if they did. It would be cool if they did. But I've, my logistics brain is like, that sounds like such a fucking nightmare to have like <laughs> a Dasher park at a convention center and then find our booth. Like, what a nightmare. And be like, oh, I don't have a badge, but I'm here for DoorDash. And then we'll be like really pretentious about it. Be like, oh, yeah, I'll sign your salad. I'll sign your salad. Are you fucking kidding me? This all went to Tom's head so fast. Oh, no. We jumped the shark by getting the salad. Yeah. Anyway, if you guys are in the area, if you're planning on going, we would love to see you. And if this is in the future and you gave us a sweet high five at Amazing Comic Con, thank you for joining us. I hope that you find this episode well. Yeah, absolutely. If you have uh, started listening because you are joining us from Amazing Con. Welcome to the show. And we love you. And you know what? If you're from Amazing Comic Con, everyone there has been absolutely lovely. The staff putting that show together has been so incredible, so kind, so helpful. So Truly. honestly, it's a smaller convention. It's not your WonderCon. It's not your SDCC. But the people that are putting it together are wonderful. And I'm so excited to meet them in person. I am so grateful for the opportunity to be a part of it. They have been absolute angels. So you know what? Go support smaller shows like us and like them. Uh, it's it's really cool and it helps communities build. This is how we find our people. Yeah, and actually we have talked about possibly recording a single episode while we are there. So I think that would be pretty cool if you stopped by while we are recording. I am intimidated and I've been pitching sh games like Tetris and <laughs> Angry Birds, but not the movie, just the first app. Like I don't, that sounds like a logistic nightmare and I am scared of that, but if you guys are into doing some sort of live thing, let us know. There are other kind of cool outlets that we could always play off of. Uh, but yeah, we have a lot of we've been working. I promise it hasn't been us just hanging out and playing video games, which has happened because it's technically work for the show. But we've got a lot of stuff in the works, and we are so excited to be back. And uh, I'm just happy to be back with everyone. Our Goombas. 
Yes, Goombas. We are Tom so got a happy. Goomba tattoo. Yes, I did get a Goomba tattoo for all of you. It's really cute. And then I got a little boo. You did. Uh, behind my giant Wario tattoo. Yep. <laughs> got that at a different Las Vegas convention. We did, but it was still at the Las Vegas Convention Center. Yeah. We've bled there, you we guys. Have. <laughs> <laughs> Blood, sweat, and tears, baby. I'm only crying if we do another fucking indie horror game and I <laughs> have to fucking go through something emotionally traumatic again just for the love of the pod. But anyway, we are going through a game that has made people cry before. <laughs> what a great cried. segue. Yeah, I have absolutely cried at this game. This has made me cry. Yeah, this is uh, this is one of your games that you really went into thinking like i don't know if i can play real video games and then after you came out of this one you're like i can play fucking anything oh entirely i went into this going i don't think i have the dexterity to shoot people and i came out being like fuck you casuals <laughs> let's go yeah ah <laughs> uh, this game is fucking perfect i'm so happy that you've been able to experience it as much as i have because yeah i've gone through this game because you can play it through a couple different ways and so i've chosen to go through and play it as a few different ways and Oh, it's such a satisfying experience. Yeah, and there are people that have put hundreds of hours into this easily and keep finding new things. This is a game that will always open up and blossom for the player, no matter how intricate you play, no matter how high your attention to detail is. There will always be more, which is such a beautiful thing you can get for $60. Are you fucking kidding me? You know, and it's a perfect gaming experience. Absolutely. Even with some highs and lows, you know, there are definitely some lows to this game. Yeah. Not going to, you know, lie about it and pretend like this game is absolute perfection, but it is. It's perfection. Fuck you. You know, (laughs) (laughs) it's just not absolute perfection. There's perfection and then absolute perfection. Yeah, I'll fight you on that. Okay. (laughs) So Red Dead Redemption 2 came out on October 26th, 2018 on PS4, Xbox, and then PC came out a week later. So we're coming right up on four years. Uh, oh, goodness. Yeah. This was developed and published by iconic The Rockstar Studios. Yeah. And this was the last project written by Dan Hauser, who wrote all the GTAs. He wrote Bully. He read, wrote Red Dead 1. He wrote L.A. Noir. He is so the driving creative factor behind what makes Rockstar unique, edgy, powerful, emotional, and so fucking engaging. Yeah, he is truly the uh, one of the masterminds behind Rockstar, for sure. Yeah, so Dan Hauser and his brother Sam are basically Rockstar Studios. They are these brothers. They're from England, which is so unique, too, because they are from England, and so much of their work is iconically American. Yeah. You know, you say Rockstar, you think Santa Monica Studios, you think GTA Five, all of New York, you think the Miami one, you think... Uh, <laughs> oh, yeah, all that stuff. You think Red Dead, iconically American storytelling. Americana as fuck. As fuck, and they're not from here, which is such a unique take on it, but I guess that is the American story of English people coming to America and making it their own. But also, you know, these games are also social commentaries on America, which is maybe why they're able to do it so well, because they come from the outside. Yeah, it's it's in their blood to come to America and decide what the culture is. (laughs) (laughs) They're just colonizing video games, I guess. Uh, So Dan and his team of writers wrote a script that was nearly 10,000 pages long. Thousand is insane. David Cage who? <laughs> Holy shit. 
uh, within that 10,000 pages, I mean, that's feet and feet and feet of paper. Like, that's fucking trees on trees for one script. That's taller than anybody listening right now. (laughs) Hopefully. (laughs) You don't know their lives, fuck. You know, maybe. (laughs) We got a whole bunch of stilt walkers in the crowd tonight. (laughs) So, you know, with that 10,000 pages, a lot of the writers ended up kind of succumbing to crunch culture, which did bleed into the development team. There has been a large conversation about crunch culture specific to Red Dead, but it's one of those things where, yes, they poured their hearts into it. Yes, they set a precedent, and it still yielded the most insane results. So it's hard to... There's a balance that they haven't achieved, but (laughs) clearly need to be working towards, you know? They're perfectionists in a really big way to the point where they're almost anal retentive, but that anal retentiveness is what delivers every fucking time. Yeah, in t- yeah, I think that's very fair to say. Because, yeah, I mean, for me, Grand Theft Auto V was, for me, just, you know, that's the perfect game. That's the greatest game I ever played. That The storyline, everything going through that, I was like, yeah, I don't think I can top that. And then the same fucking studio topped it. <laughs> like, was that five years later? I think GTA V is a 2013, and then this is 2018? Yeah, yeah, I believe so. Which is a quick turnaround, frankly, because, like, we're still on GTA V. It's been nine years. Yeah, right? So speaking again on that kind of culture, in New York Magazine, they did a feature on Dan Hauser where he called out his team pulling 100-hour work weeks several times throughout the making of Red Dead 2. And that was so dumb of him to say. It, it, it fully became the talking point because a lot yeah. of people were like, hey, fuck you. That's abusive and crazy. And Dan yeah. had to kind of walk it back and go, I was talking about the pressure of being a writer and one of his writing partners, Laszlo, who iconic. Yeah. Laszlo is a huge part of Rockstar. If you played a Grand Theft Auto in the last, you know, few of them, he is a major character in many of them. Yeah. So he also kind of came to his defense. And again, Laszlo inner circle fucking big dick energy. Yeah. He said some NPCs have 80 plus pages of dialogue. So a lot of the work load was kind of low-key mandatory just to keep up with what again what the precedent was for it the demand absolutely so you know and on the culture of crunch so red dead 2 is a prequel to red dead 1 and they began writing and developing super quickly after the release of red dead 1 oh they did yeah so it was a very quick turnaround uh from being like red dead 1's out cool let's hit the ground running and do red dead 2 And, you know, we don't need to get into how beloved this game is, even though it is an absolute perfect game. And I will fight you if you disagree, Tom. (laughs) Just Tom. I that's the only person I feel comfortable fighting with. So in the first three days of sales, this game made over seven hundred and twenty five million dollars. Oh, my Lord. And like ungodly have never said how much it took to like make this game but the estimates like after marketing and everything is somewhere in like the 300 million dollar range yeah so three days in they're already double what they spent on it they're fine okay cool. <laughs> and you know that's in the first three days i have absolute faith they've crossed the billion dollar mark on this one title yeah easily which is insane you know this game also raked in a shit ton of game of the year awards accolades and this game beat Red Dead 1's lifetime sales in just two weeks. In two weeks. Yeah. So the years that Red Dead 1 was out, it kicked the shit out of it in a fortnight, which 
I realize is a bad gamer pun now that I'm saying it out loud. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> no, that's valid. No, that was good. Yeah. So this is a good game. Yeah. I've, we have a lot to get through, so I do kind of want to jam through a couple of these things. So I want to talk about the cast. The cast is amazing. And before we do, I just want to say, like, I didn't play Red Dead Redemption 1 because, like, it, you said after only two weeks it beat its lifetime sales. <laughs> I did not play the first one because when it came out, people just kept saying, oh, it's Grand Theft Auto, but on horses. I'm like, that sounds boring. You're like, the fun part of the Grand Theft Auto is the auto. Yeah, you, so you're taking out the auto of Grand Theft Auto? Why is that fun? It's, I, it's just thievery? And I'm like, so how fast are the horses? They're like, you know, horse speed. So Horse speed? I'm like, yeah, that doesn't sound like that's going to be fun, like roaming around. My God, is this so much fucking fun? Wait, what did you anticipate when you said how fast are the horses? Did you expect someone to be like, yeah, zero to 60 in two clicks? Like, what the fuck were you, did you want? Well, I was like, well, how far spread out are things if the horses don't run very fast is, was my concern. Oh, I thought you were like, are there turbo horses? Yeah, no, they were just like, no, I mean, they're it's like really far between towns. I'm like, oh, that's even worse. <laughs> no, no, it's tedious. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's fucking great. And I'm like, no, give me fewer towns and more open world and I will be perfectly fucking happy with it. Yeah, no, this is a game you can just ride your horse and be like, I am satiated. And hope you don't see anything for a really long time. Yeah. Okay, so let's talk about the core cast. Yes. Again, this is a sequel. There are people from the voice cast from Red Dead 1 that do also perform in Red Dead 2. Correct. And I really do want to start with welcoming an Irish actor named Roger Clark as the protagonist, Arthur Morgan. Now, <sighs> Roger is one of the most incredible performers I've seen. And we were just talking before we started recording that he is an incredible comedic actor. He yeah. is a stunning action star. He is a heartbreaking dramatic actor. This guy does the full gamut of human emotion and life, and you are heart to heart in it with him at every fucking beat. He is so goddamn talented. He is Arthur Morgan in so many fucking ways. Just he embodied it. It Ugh. was fucking incredible. And just you, you. It wouldn't have worked without him. No. It he, was perfect casting. Yeah. No. So Roger Clark, to that point, won the 2018 Game Award for Best Performance. And I want to tell you who he beat because 18 was a fucking banger year. 18 was such a good year for games. So he beat Christopher Judge, who was Kratos in God of War. Right. Which I know that's not your favorite franchise. He is an incredible performer. Yeah. That that performance as Kratos is beautiful, nuanced, and haunting. He says boy unlike anybody ever has. Uh-uh. Wait. Do you remember Arthur saying boy? Yeah. I'm still going to have to give it to Kratos because okay. he said it like 4,000 times. Well, the Game Awards still gave it to Roger Clark. <laughs> he beat... Brian Deckhart, who is Connor in Detroit Become Human, the sweet angel baby android. Which, honestly, out of all the androids in Detroit Become Human, he would not be the one that I would put in, but that's fine. You thought it'd be Jesse Williams, the uh, yeah. the revolutionary robot. Yeah, Jesse Williams should have taken it. And he's just so beautiful. <laughs> that <laughs> he's man, nice to look at. His eyes are in melting. Um, I, I think his performance is very sweet. He beat the person who voiced Cassandra in Assassin's Creed. Assassin's Creed Odyssey. I apologize. I can't pronounce your name. Uh, but that was a banger fucking title. And one of my favorite performances, 
of the franchise category we're going to talk about, Yuri Lowenthal's Spider-Man, who is truly up there with Toby for me. He is a fucking wonderful Spider-Man. He played just the absolute perfect Spider-Man in that fucking game. Absolutely. And uh, just the nuances of his voice. He is an incredible performer. He has a catalog up there with a Matt Mercer, with a Troy Baker, with a Nolan North. He is in yeah. everything. I think he's worked with all of those people. But <laughs> Yuri is so goddamn talented. Yeah. And Arthur Clark, this is his first leading role. Um, <laughs> you know, when we talk about Roger Clark, prior to this, he voiced a slot machine called Reservoir Frogs, where he did a Michael Madsen voice being like, apples, yeah, bananas. Um, <laughs> cut your ear off. Yeah. Let's dance. Like, that's the kind of shit he was doing. It's like how, you know, you see Simu Liu being Shang-Chi, and then you see him doing those photos of backstock pictures yeah, and things like that. Like stock photos and shit. Stock photos, yeah. Arthur or excuse me, Arthur Clark. No, he's just so Arthur, I got it twisted. Roger <laughs> Clark is an absolute diamond in the rough, and he was a fucking twenty thousand carat diamond in the rough. This man is so goddamn talented. Yeah. Oh, Ugh. he is just incredible. So good. So, all right. There's also a bunch of other incredible people in the cast. There are. And be- and before we get to them, like we said, that this is a prequel to Red Dead 1. But, like, if you don't know the story of Red Dead 1, like, I actually don't know the full story. I know some of the spoilers and shit. But, like, I don't know the full story. So to keep it kind of secret, because this is why we're doing Red Dead 2 first anyway, because, like, Canonical. in order, yeah, this, is, this comes first. I don't want to say who is in Red Dead 1 until we get to a point in this story that it makes sense to, like, say it. Yeah, that's fair. So I'm just going to get into kind of the main few characters that you spend the most time with. Yeah. So we have Rob Whitehoff, who plays John Marston. Before he got the call for Red Dead 2, he was living in Indiana with his wife and kids doing construction work. Yeah. Just like a regular fucking dude. He is the most normal person in the entire industry. (laughs) And he is truly one of the most iconic characters in all of Rockstar's history. (laughs) (laughs) Which is so sweet and really beautiful to see. As humble as he is, he does not have to be. He can be the biggest dick swinger. He he has every right to be a prick. And I fully believe he is just a kind guy who goes, yeah, I like to work. Uh, this is great and he works with his hands yeah he's he's just a man and that's so great additionally benjamin byron davis plays dutch vanderlyn oh my god this guy is so fucking incredible if you've seen the movie the belko experiment he is in that movie he is also in the second ant-man oh is he yeah he's one of like the goons i think okay Um, but yeah He's six and a half feet tall. He's a big dude. He's Santa Claus looking motherfucker. Yeah, like angry gangster Santa. Yeah. Uh-huh. <laughs> angry gangster Santa, yeah. His Dutch Vanderlyn is one of the most incredible arc performances you see from the beginning to the end of the game. And it's his interactions with the other people you play with are so incredible. God, he's so fucking talented. Oh, and he's charming and like... Oh, yes. Dutch Vanderlyn being the leader of the Vanderlyn gang, he has to be this charismatic leader and he brings that fucking performance to a T. Oh my God. you! I would fall... I want him to play like Charlie Manson or something. He has that cult charm 
in the Dutch Vanderlyn performance down so goddamn well. Oh, yeah. But, I mean, you'd have to do it in motion capture because his body does not represent what, like like I was saying, the Santa Claus thing. That's the actor. Dutch Vanderlyn does not look like that. Dutch no. Vanderlyn is, like, he keeps his shit tight. He's, like, wearing nicer clothes than what he considers nicer clothes. But, like, he dresses up. He, he like, he takes care of himself. Yeah, Dutch is a sexy 44-year-old man. Yeah. And Arthur is 36, John is 26, just for context. Right. And I do also want to touch on one performance before we also get into it. There's a character named Uncle who mm-hmm. was originally voiced by John O'Cray, but he passed away during production. Yeah. And Rockstar kept his singing voice in sections of the game, so he is still represented and he will live forever through this game. Yeah. But he was replaced by a performer named James McBride, who also gives an incredible and his Hysterical performances, Uncle. Yeah, Uncle's a wonderful, wonderful, hateful character. Well, not hateful, hateful. like <laughs> no, it just everybody hates him. Yeah, everybody fucking hates Uncle, and it's one. And it's, he's like one of those foils, like Jerry in Parks and Rec, where yeah. it's just like everybody fucking hates him, and you love to watch everybody hate him. He is the Jerry. Yeah, absolutely. And and the uh, there's a lake that is in the game that is represented for the original actor, O'Cray's, uh, it's like O'Cray's Lake, right? O'Cray's Run. O'Cray's Run, yeah. yeah. So it's, you know, these performers are, like I said, there's not a weak link in this fucking cast. And we're just going through some of the, you know, you spend a lot of time with John, Arthur, and Dutch. Filming took five years. Five years of making this fucking thing. like, And that's just filming. Just the filming. and Just the filming. Here's the thing is, you know, we like to do a lot of research about this show and we've done a lot, as you can hear already, but the actors are really open about the filming of this, but the creators are very quiet about the actual creation <laughs> of this game. Yeah. So we do get a lot of great snippets from the actors and they love to talk about it and their experiences and just they came so close to each other. Over the course of those five years. And like you hear them in interviews and be like, yeah, I just had a kid at the very beginning of the shoot. And then they're like, really? He's like nine now. They're like, no, <laughs> fucking right. Isn't that weird? <laughs> Isn't that funny? Yeah. <laughs> they're like, no, we truly grew up together. Yeah. Um, and, you know, five years is such an incredible time. And you do buy the chemistry. Oh, Ugh. yeah. They feel close. Yeah. I'm going to cut in as we meet a couple more characters with some fun facts. But I think we should get into it. You think we should just get into it, huh? Hell yeah. All right, everybody. It is time to get into it. This is Red Dead Redemption 2. And settle in, because this is a long fucking game. Yeehaw, motherfucker. So we open on a caravan in a terrible snowstorm. And there's like three feet of visibility. And so we are introduced here to Dutch and Hosea. And they are in a wagon. And someone rides by and they mention Arthur is up ahead looking for shelter. And then enter in stupid, sexy Arthur as he leads the way to safety. (laughs) He's so hot. And so we get the first title card of the game, and that's chapter one, Coulter. Or as everybody else calls it, the snow level. So have you guys seen the South Park episodes when Red Dead came out? (laughs) Yeah, they made a a lot of references to the snow level there because honestly, like I say, it is not a complete and perfect masterpiece because there are little areas like this that 
And it sucks that they put it right at the very beginning, because this is a slow, sloggy part of the game. It's a tutorial. Have you ever gone through a tutorial that doesn't feel life-draining? Portal. Okay, yeah, that's fair. Yeah, that Fine. is a perfect tutorial. Fine. <laughs> but at the end of the day, you're right. This is a tutorial, and they do start you off slow, because it is a Western. And Westerns have a tendency to have a slow start, and then just keep building and building, and then crescendo. Yeah, that's fair. You know, it's not a superhero movie where you get dropped into an action scene or Blorco comes out and does some shit. It's a Western. Like with a Marvel movie, you always have to begin your movie with somebody else's ending. You know what I mean? So There has like, to be a torch passed. Yeah, absolutely. So you look at like the first Avengers and Joss Whedon's like, well, I'm just going to use the end of Buffy the Vampire Slayer as the open to Avengers the first movie and like have a giant pit get created, you know? And then the second one, he did the same thing. He's like, oh, here's the end of like whatever last adventure they were on to open this movie. And you just saw it with um, Doctor Strange. You know, we just came from a battle and then the movie starts. That's not how Westerns start. No, <laughs> it's got to be terrible weather. <laughs> no one is happy about whatever situation they're in. And there's a horse. Everyone's miserable. All right. So they make it to the shelter and the whole gang just like piles into a large room. And one of their members has just died. And this scene made history. It did make history. And why did it make history? So the opening scene where the entire gang is together in this shelter, it's just kind of a cabin that they find. They go, holy shit, okay, let's all get in there. It's freezing. We're all getting snowed on. We're clearly leaving a worse situation if we're willingly going through this. Yeah. But this scene at the time was the largest group of mocap performers on stage at one time. That's incredible. It's, I mean, mocap still kind of boggles my mind. Yeah. Uh, to be 100, like... If you guys are have Apple TV, Mythic Quest is an incredible TV show, mm. and they do some really cool footage of how mocap is done and kind of in-studio mocap work. And obviously, you can also see things like that on YouTube. Like, Last of Us always shares a bunch of their footage, but yeah. to have just so many mocap performers live at once being rendered and performing together... This made fucking history. It set a fucking record. That's a lot of suits with ping pong balls. Oh, it's a lot of balls, baby. <laughs> So Dutch mentions that John and Micah are out scouting and that he and Arthur are going to go out in the storm to find them so they can see what they are up to. Dutch gives his first of many inspirational speeches about family and destiny and freedom and living his life a quarter of a mile at a time. <laughs> I was just going to say you're making him sound like a Corona kind of guy. <laughs> Dutch orders Pearson and Miss Grimshaw to set up camp and make the place feel like home. We pan over the faces of all the gang members, seeing people of all different ages and races, except Asian. Which, like, we existed in the Western times, guys. Oh, absolutely. We see them. Yeah, yeah. We do see them throughout the game, but you know what? It's okay. They weren't as common. Yeah. I guess. Arthur and Dutch head out and soon see a light in the distance. Uh, Dutch calls out to see who goes there, and into focus comes Micah Bell. Ugh! Yeah, as you hear, Andre, uh, Micah is a very hated character. This game just makes me really emotional, and <laughs> <laughs> hearing about Micah stresses me out. And Micah says he found some O'Driscolls holed up in a cabin a little ways away. 
And it's clear O'Driscoll's are enemies as you all decide to go after them. So they don't explain a lot of things. They just kind of say things at you and you discover these things as you go. So I'm kind of doing the same thing here. So if I'm just kind of, like I said, here comes Micah. We don't already know who Micah is, so we're being introduced to Micah here as well. And same goes for the O'Driscolls. After you shoot up the place and kill all the O'Driscolls, which is like just a, like a little gang of them. It's not the entire gang of them. It's like a little group. You go inside the cabin where you find Micah harassing a woman. <laughs> Again, not my favorite character. <laughs> he says that she's an O'Driscoll, and you can tell his intentions are not very good with her. He's a fucking creep. While fighting with her, he knocks over a table and a candle catches a rug on fire. Dutch says, look at her, she's not an O'Driscoll. And Arthur and Dutch reassure her everything's going to be okay, and they are good people. The woman is in, like, terrible distress, but manages to introduce herself as Sadie Adler. Ah, oh, Sadie. I fucking love Sadie Adler. I can't imagine anybody who doesn't love Sadie Adler. Sadie Adler is the baddest bitch. Entirely. And, like, to that point of being the baddest bitch, while Micah is harassing her... They're chasing each other around. She's like, fuck you. Yeah. <laughs> it's not like he's got her tied up to some train tracks and twirling his mustache, which he's not above. He's like, fuck you. And she's like, fuck you. Like, they're throwing stuff at each other at one point. Like, yeah, no. She, she's not having his shit. She is not a damsel in distress kind of woman at all. No. She is Dirk the Daring. She is not Daphne. So, yeah, as I was saying, she's in terrible distress and her house is burning down all around her. And you all get on horses, and you ride away with her. Sadie says that the O'Driscolls had killed her husband and Ugh. took over their farm a few days earlier, and she was being held captive by them. Her Jakey. Yeah. Her Jakey was a good man. He was a very good man. You all make it back to the cabin where your gang is hiding, and they take Sadie in and take care of her. The way they invite Sadie into the gang is very much, you need help, we are a community, you are a part of this. And that is a good storytelling method of showing how the gang does come together. Because also as you meet the other characters, a lot of them do join the gang in similar fashions. Yeah. They're people that are desperate and in need. That's how you end up joining a gang like this. Yeah, absolutely. So it's, it's kind of a beautiful way of introducing not only these characters, but the mechanics of how this community functions. Yeah, absolutely. That's a great point, because you do start to question, like, how does this gang come together? But if you do open with how one gang member joined, it starts to make sense. Yeah, and you do find out how other members join throughout the story, but it's such a good precedent of, we're friends, and Dutch has a bleeding heart, and he will adopt people who need it, and... You know, he is a father figure to some people in this camp, and you can see that paternal instinct kick in, especially as he sees Sadie and goes, you were in a nightgown, there have been O'Driscolls on your farm for three days, you've been abused for three days, you watched your husband die, and now you have to deal with Micah. My bad. Let's get her a jacket. <laughs> Already. Already. <laughs> yeah, it's like, don't judge the rest of the gang by Micah. He's just like The that. worst. And it's one of those, like, apologist kind of things you say. Ugh trash the next day a woman named abigail comes up to arthur and begs him to go looking for the love of her life john marston abigail abigail's mean as shit <laughs> i fucking love abigail abigail is canonically 22 and if you've ever met a 22 year old <laughs> <laughs> or you are a 22 year old if you are a 22 year old love you if yeah, you are great. over the age of 22 Holy shit, do you guys remember being 22? <laughs> it's fucking awful. And 
this poor girl. Okay, Abigail is is beautiful. She is a very pretty girl. Oh yeah. She's also illiterate and mean as hell. <laughs> <laughs> so you know, we'll get into it later. But just to throw it out there, this is who you're dealing with. And she has a lot of delusions of grandeur. She does. She thinks she's a little fancy. Yeah, she thinks she's a lot fancier than she is because, you know, she is just an ex-sex worker living in a gang. Yeah. Anyway, that's a little bit of her backstory. And uh, John Marston's been missing for two days. John fucking Marston. Well, Arthur feels the same way you do because Arthur doesn't want to go looking for him because he thinks John is kind of a dumbass but can (laughs) ultimately take care of himself. John is 26, and, you know, like I said, Arthur's 36. So there's a 10-year age gap between them, and they've both been in the gang since they were kids. Yeah. So they kind of grew up together in this strange, like, big brother, little brother thing, which I think adds to Arthur being like, he's fucking fine. Who gives a shit? Yeah, he and John were both basically raised by Dutch in a big way. Brothers of Dutch. But Abigail being Abigail, she nags him into going out in the snow to find him. She does just nag people into getting her work done. Like, <laughs> she's really good at it. She doesn't really lift a finger in a lot of situations, but she's really good at sticking people on her missions for her. Arthur grabs another gang member named Javier, and they go out in the storm, but at least in the daytime this time. Javier is so sexy. Yeah. And he- his <laughs> his actual performer is so hot. Is he ridiculously good looking, he's too? He's ridiculously good. Like he's, I think he's taller than Javi in real life, too. Oh, he's, really? He's very attractive. He was in the Anna Delvey show on Netflix. Oh, was uh, he? Yeah. He's one of the investors she scams. <laughs> and, yo, he's a good looking man. <laughs> yeah, so you're out there with Javier, and Javier heads to where the last place he knew John had gone to. And they see some smoke eventually and find where John had been camping. Javier tracks John's footsteps, and somehow this sack of shit went extreme rock climbing in this snowstorm. This sack of shit. And ended up practically dangling off the side of a cliff. Fucking John. Like, how do you even do this shit? I I really don't know, because the route that you have to take, you really are doing some extreme mountain climbing. That's right. You do have to kind of, like, jump over a boulder, and it's not just a, a jump. It's, like, put both arms fully extended over your head and pull your body weight. Like, what even was John doing out here at all? Just stupid shit. And so you see John, and he is horribly injured with a fresh set of scars across his face that he reveals was from a wolf attack. Oh, he's fully mangled. Yeah, he's got, like, these slashes just going completely across his face. They look pretty punk rock, though. Oh, absolutely. He looks like a badass. Arthur and Har- Arthur and Javier take him back to camp, and Abigail says that this is a new low even for John. Yeah, and there's also a scene where, you definitely see that scene, but there's a scene you can kind of stumble upon where Abigail's just sitting with John, and she's like, you are so fucking stupid for getting eaten (laughs) by wolves. And he looks at her in all earnestness and goes, I didn't mean to, Abigail. (laughs) And then she goes, you're an annoying man. (laughs) And if that doesn't summarize their relationship. Oh my gosh, they are just that perfect bickering couple. They're definitely the couple that has a joint Facebook account. Oh, yeah, they do. Oh, like, and she controls it. Oh, entirely. And <laughs> he doesn't He doesn't get the password. No, no, he's, he's barely on there, but every once in a while he looks around. Yeah. Eventually, Dutch comes along and tells you that Como Driscoll, leader of the O'Driscoll gang, had information on a train full of valuables coming through that he found at the Adler Ranch. 
Dutch wants to rob the train before Colm does. Oh, hell yeah. So this also establishes a bit of a gang rivalry. Little bit, yeah. And they don't have enough information, so he wants to go to where, like, the main O'Driscoll camp is so he can find out some more. Yeah, because again... It's snowing and you're kind of on top of a mountain. So this is a really desolate area and clearly there's not a whole gang of people here aside from you guys. So he's like, I know they have a better safe area that they're working out of. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, you get there and you kill a whole fuck ton. It's obviously, again, not the entire gang. It's just like a little group of them. But you do manage to take one of them alive. Oh, it's such a good set piece, too. It's it's your first big boy fight. And oh, yeah, oh, it's so fun. Yeah, I mean. The gunfights in this game are so much fun. Oh my god. And there's yes. a lot of them. There are a fuck ton of gunfights. Like when you start to break down just how many gunfights there are, there's like, oh god damn, there's there's just a lot of gunfights, but you, you never get bored with it. They're never not satisfying. Yeah. They're always so engaging and just uh we could go on and on, but we won't. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I mean, we are gonna go on and on. This is gonna yeah. be a really long episode. So. <laughs> Plot, lore, and more. Yes. Mostly plot and lore. Let's go. You have this guy that you caught alive, and he keeps insisting that he's not actually an O'Driscoll, and that he had only just joined the game, like, a few months ago. (laughs) I'm new! I'm not even supposed to be here today! (laughs) He's the new guy. He's basically the intern. And his name is Kieran. I love the idea of a gang intern. Like, he's in a forever hazing process. Like, he's pledging this gang. Yeah, he's still in the pledge phase of joining the O'Driscolls. And he's like, they don't even treat me well. Like, I don't like these guys. (laughs) Poor baby. But Dutch decides that he needs to be tortured up a little to see if it loosens his tongue. And he orders Micah to bring him back to camp. Dutch finds the information on the train that he's looking for and that it is owned by an oil tycoon named Leviticus Cornwall. That is the greatest fucking name. It is such a perfect fucking tycoon name, isn't it? It's so good. Can you imagine Leviticus Cornwall as a baby? <laughs> like calling a baby Leviticus is fucking insane. He's calling little Lev for short. Little Lev Corny. Yeah, no. Lev Corny. <laughs> fucking crazy. Perfect tycoon name to your point. But yeah, he's the kind of guy that grew up with Bertram Piedmont. <laughs> Bertram Piedmont and Leviticus Cornwall <laughs> attending second grade here. Ready to rule the world. (laughs) Oh, yeah, they're definitely, like, in hell hanging out together. I love that. Yeah, and oil tycoons were as wealthy then as they are today, so this train is going to be very loaded. Oh, yes, let's go. As you go around camp and talk to people, they keep talking about this failed job that happened in Blackwater. And you kind of piece together that that is where your gang is kind of running from. And there was a big bank robbery that you had pulled off, and you got the money but you had to hide it in this town called Blackwater. Which is also a perfect town name in the Wild West. Oh, absolutely. Up there with tombstone-level good naming. But every single one of you got kind of tagged during this. (laughs) Like, there's no cameras, but it's a small city. They kind of figured out who you are. Yeah, because the way that you're going to find out is Dutch likes to kind of establish himself in a town first and then kind of pull his bullshit. And so you can imagine that Dutch did the same thing in Blackwater. And so now everybody in town knows who you guys are. And so you are all wanted dead or alive in Blackwater and you can't go fucking anywhere near it. And when he says that, he fucking means it. Yeah. And there is an entire like 
bottom southwest side of the map that you just can never go to because of the fact that you're wanted dead or alive there. Like, you technically can't access it, but the second you step foot in that part of the map, you are immediately headhunted and killed. Oh, yeah. It is, it's a really cool game mechanic, to be real. It is fun to see how far you can go in with before you get, like, killed. It's never far. It's very bad. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> you can't make it very far at all. Yeah. Arthur does go on to make it very clear that he blames Micah for everything that went down in Blackwater, though. And Micah has only been with the gang for, like, a little bit under a year, but has risen up the ranks really quickly by being, like, a really effective gunman and kissing up to Dutch. Yeah. Oh, Micah is such a dick rider. Yeah, he is just that. If you ever work with somebody like him, too, or I'm not saying, like, yeah, you worked with, like, a violent, horrible human being. I just mean in the sense that, like, they are the perfect kiss ass. Oh, yeah. And, like, maybe you have worked with that person. I mean, yeah, I've worked with violent, horrible people before, too. Yeah. But, no, Micah fucking sucks. And he's so just in Dutch's ear, and it's it's terrible. Oh, yeah. He is the devil on Dutch's ear entirely. Ugh. So Dutch makes his little plan to rob the train, but his right-hand man, Hosea does not agree with the plan. He wants to lie low and wait until the heat dies down and then go get the black water score. Hosea is the angel on Dutch's shoulder to oh, yeah. contrast Micah's devil. Oh yeah, absolutely. Like it's not Arthur is the angel on his ear. It's, it's Hosea is the angel on his ear. Entirely. And we love Hosea. He's the sweetest man. Oh yeah, Hosea is wonderful. He's, he's a bit older. I mean, he's much older than, than Dutch even. And the way that they had met was like, I think Hosea was trying to rob Dutch, and Dutch thought it was funny. <laughs> what an insane concept. <laughs> He's like, wait, I was going to rob you. Are you trying to rob me right now? He's like, wait, you were going to rob me? And they do the Spider-Man pointing meme. <laughs> yeah, like, all right, that's kind of funny. Let's, jo let's join up. <laughs> and they started a gang together. They're like, game recognized game. Yeah. <laughs> and to be 100, that is not unique to Hosea. There's a couple gang members that try to, like, murder Dutch, and Dutch is like, Hey, that wasn't too bad. You want to join my gang? And they go, is this an interview now? <laughs> it kind of does. What it's the it's fuck? kind of brilliant on his part, really. He's like, like, you are an effective killer. Yeah. Like if you're a restaurant manager and you go to a different restaurant, get great service and you go, hey, would you like to work for me? Same thing, but for crime. Right. <laughs> you robbed me very effectively. Do you want to join my gang? <laughs> I also have some notes. I could teach you some things. <laughs> Well, they get to uh, where the train's going to be passing, and one of the gang members named Bill is strapping a bunch of dynamite to a small bridge that the train will be passing over. Bill's a big dummy. Oh, yeah. Bill's a big dumb idiot. <laughs> he's like he's very lumberjacky. He's usually in some sort of flannel button-up. He's got a beer belly. His name's Bill Williamson. So his name is kind of Will Will. Yeah. <laughs> William Williamson. This poor fucking idiot. Ugh. And he, he really lives up to that. He's... He's not good. He's definitely a two first names kind of guy. Yeah. And it's the <laughs> same two first names, sweet angel. Oh. But he is kind of the demolitions expert. Sorry, what's your nephew's name again? Shut up. <laughs> Carter Carter. <laughs> uh, distant cousin. Distant we cousin. We don't talk. I haven't seen him since he was eight. <laughs> <laughs> not to dox him or anything. Yeah. <laughs> There was a guy that had two first names that I'm not going to dox, but kind of want to because he didn't tip me once when I was waitressing, but it's fine. Everything's fine. <laughs> okay. I'm bitter. Anyway, <laughs> Bill Williamson. He's strapping dynamite to this bridge, and this bridge isn't very tall at all. It's like 10, 15 feet tall. It just needs to go over like this little small gap, but it would be enough to derail the whole fucking train. 
And Arthur helps Bill by connecting the sticks of dynamite with like one of those detonating cables. And he rejoins the rest of the gang from like a high up vantage point. Everyone's like all masked up and shit before it was cool. Oh, it's so fucking cool. And Bill pushes that little old school plunger down. And nothing happens. Dumb shit ass Bill. And like either you or Bill fucked this up. Like nobody really can figure that out. It's probably Bill. I saw you connect that shit. I did that shit myself. So there's a new plan. (laughs) On the fly. And from their high up advantage point, the train will be going through like this tunnel, the mouth of which is nearby. So the new plan is to leap onto the moving train as it passes beneath them. (laughs) Yeah, there's no way that ends poorly. Uh, They all do jump and... Only one of them doesn't make it, and they fall off the side, but they're not dead. They're just hurt. Yeah. Arthur hears someone yell, help, and he goes over the side of the train where he finds gang member Lenny hanging over for dear life. I love Lenny. Lenny is the only black male member of the gang. And he's very young. I think he's 19. Yeah, he's 19 years old. I love Lenny. He is a fantastic character. How do you say his name? Lenny! (laughs) Oh, and he you'll is find an out angel. why. He is he's so young, he's so green to this, but he's so eager, he's hardworking, he's full of heart, he's so genuine. Yeah, and Arthur just has a way of shouting out his name that everybody loves. Yes. Arthur pulls Lenny up and the two of you run to the front of the train to kill the conductor and take over the train and stop it. And once the train is stopped, you blow a door off the secured car where Arthur finds some employees of Leviticus Cornwall as well as some very valuable bearer bonds that Dutch is convinced you'll be able to sell quickly. Dutch tells you to get rid of the train and that you're free to do whatever you want with the employees. Get rid of the train is a wild command to get from your boss. (laughs) (laughs) And so this is where, like, we are introduced to our honor system. Because you are given the choice of what do you want to do with these employees. Now, these also, as an Easter egg, these are three employees... In the same color schemes and very lightly similar designs to our baby boys from GTA 5. Oh? Yeah, Michael, Trevor, and Franklin. Really? The black guys in green. There's one in orange. There's one in blue. I did not know that. It is a very, it's subtle, but it's there. And, you know, to have it in the very opening is very sweet. So. That is a good subtle nod. I, I did not pick nod. up on that. I've got another one coming up later, way later. That um, Yeah, that does happen that I was going to mention, but I did not know about this one. That's pretty good. Yeah. But yeah, this is the honor system. So you are given the choice of killing these employees or letting them go. And, you know, you can take your Arthur and make him a good person. And you can take your Arthur and make him an absolute evil piece of shit. Oh, I hate being bad in video games. Not just being bad at them, but being bad in them. It truly hurts my heart to take bad routes of things my arthur is a perfect fucking angel he has never done anything wrong in his life (laughs) and you know he is a hero and he is a sweet angel and you on the other hand oh well me on the other hand no i have had to play it three (laughs) times because the first time i played it i played him like you just said like i made him as the right way good as a human being as i possibly can yeah i think that is the right way to play the game to be honest i think that's the game they intended to make yeah is being the good Arthur and you know because there are a couple different endings and there is a ultimate good ending to this and yeah you can make your Arthur a very very good person and you can make your Arthur an evil piece of shit because I second time I went through I wanted to play evil Arthur and I just fucking couldn't 
I, I, I kept trying and then I kept drifting back into good Arthur again because <laughs> it's just it's very satisfying to play a good character in this game. And then the third time I did finally manage to go full evil Arthur and like <laughs> I went evil as fuck to the point of like I help a guy he buys me a gun and then I walk out and shoot him with the gun that he bought me like I went evil yeah that makes my heart hurt I would have zero love for that kind of gameplay that just no be good I got to a point where my horse hated me that was very funny to be not real. even my fucking horse liked me I didn't know they built that mechanic into the game they did Tom, but you invented it. Like. I, because <laughs> I was, my decision was like to go like super evil if I'm being chased by people. Don't shoot them, shoot their horses in the head. And my horse didn't like watching that many horses die. <laughs> Which is so sad to say. And he had a real fucking problem with me after that. Really did. <laughs> so, yeah, so this is the honor system. And so you can play this game in many different ways. And it does result, there's ultimately just four different endings. But it does, you know, there are things where if you're high honor, you can get discounts in shops, stuff like that. Yeah, the game does ebb slightly for high or low honor, which is really interesting. Yeah. So this is your first time to, like, be able to start down that journey. When you get back to camp, Dutch is ready to roll out. Finally, because good lord. <laughs> We've been trudging through the snow. There's a lot. Yeah, the snows, it's not that fun. I'm not going to lie, but they do keep it short because, like Andrea said, this is just the tutorial for the game. At some point, uh, he did get rid of those bonds, and now you have the money to relocate. Yay. Plus, Cornwall is going to be hunting your asses down now, so you should probably get moving. Oh, yeah, you can't just hang out in the crime scene. Yeah, there's a billionaire that is now, you know, on your radar. Yeah, not good. Hosea suggests a place called Horseshoe Overlook near a town called Valentine. Dutch is into it, and so the camp packs up and heads southeast out of the mountains and out of the godforsaken snow level. <laughs> and so the Vanderlyn gang descends from the cold and snowy mountains into the green and lush and beautiful plains of the Heartlands. I love this campsite. It's beautiful. Honestly, we're going to go through a few campsites in the game, and this is arguably the best. It's pretty good. Yeah. It's very convenient, too. Like, you are right off the main drag. It is location, 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 baby. And when you get to the camp, Dutch gives another speech, giving everybody their cover story that you're all factory workers whose factory got shut down and that you've come in search of work. And then we get our next title card. Chapter 2, Horseshoe Overlook. These chapters aren't as dramatic as the chapter titles in Dead Space. No, they're not leading up to anything. They're not a secret. It's literally just the location of where you are now. Yeah. However, from here out, Arthur is free to roam about the cabin. Oh, yes. Now we can actually enjoy the open world. Yes, the seatbelt sign is off. And Arthur can now go and explore everything as he wants. And... I mean, the Red Dead Redemption 2 map is one of the largest Rockstar has ever made. I think it might actually be the largest. Oh, beautiful. And it covers every ecological environment from snow-capped mountains to murky swamplands. Every biome is represented in this game. It's great. Yeah, and the map is pretty traditional open world with waypoints scattered throughout, marking your missions and, like, side stories. 
the markers in yellow are like the big story missions. The markers in white are like your side quests. And you can play out the rest of the game in kind of like almost any order that you want. However, within each of those, Rockstar does keep you kind of on rails. There is certainly a structure to the story, yeah, but there is a lot of freedom. Yeah, as far as like the individual missions go, you're pretty much on rails to do what they want you to do. But in terms of being outside of those missions, you have a lot of freedom. Yeah, and it's, oh god, it's so much fun. It's so satisfying. And you can choose not to do missions and just go out and explore the vast world. Like, you can go hunting animals, hunt for treasures, find weapons, just meet people. And like any good open world game, there's as much gameplay in the side stories and missions as there are in the main storyline. Oh, absolutely. You know what? And there is one caveat to that, though. If you spend too many days away from camp or not doing missions, you will run into a camp member. I think... I got Javier, who is like, hey, you've been gone for a long time, and Dutch wanted to know where you were. (laughs) So the game does try to nudge you in the right directions, but you can certainly just do whatever the fuck you want. Yeah, I mean, you get to travel to exotic, distant lands, meet exciting, unusual people, and kill them. Yeah, it's great. Uh, You can just exist as a cowboy out in the open plain, and it's spectacular. Yeah, you can just lasso shit. Yeah. And one of the first major missions has you taking a few of the lady members of the gang into Valentine for supplies and some fun. Ugh, this is such a wholesome mission. Yeah, and Arthur is very, like, big brother in this scene when the girls are all asking if they can come into town with him, like, taking the kids to the mall. It's very much like your little sister's asking for a ride. Yeah, and while in town, a couple of the girls get themselves into some trouble. Ugh, ladies. And Arthur has to come to their rescue like a big brother does. As you do. You're a big brother. Did you ever do that? I had to rescue my sister a couple times. I I had to give a pretty uh, stern talking to at a a guy who was driving really dangerously with my sister in the car. Oh. And so, yeah, I I had to have a really, really firm conversation. I didn't have to fight anybody, though. Good for you. And then one boyfriend broke up with her, and I did go off on him. Oh, really? Yeah, he was a dick. That's fair. Yeah, but anyway. Regardless, uh, yeah, you know, I've had to be Big Brother a few times. And then some of the boys get into a bar fight at the local bar, and it results in Arthur getting thrown out of the window by the bar owner, Tommy. Jesus Christ, boys. Arthur beats him to within an inch of his life. (laughs) You can't take these people anywhere. But he gets stopped by a man who just opens mouth coughs like right in Arthur's face. In a post-COVID world, you know (laughs) how bad that is. Yeah, we're going to meet this guy again later. And while you recover from your fight, Dutch comes over with an old friend from the gangs named Josiah Trelawney. Josiah Trelawney. And he's a friend who has a knack for knowing all the right people and can integrate himself into high society with pretty much ease. He's also... A partially trained magician. Yeah. (laughs) Which is just, it doesn't really play into the lore or anything, but it's such a unique character choice that they gave him. Like, he's a weird con, he's a flim flam man who can make a pigeon appear. Yeah, but it's part of the long con for him, you know? Yeah. Part of a magician is the long con, so he's, ah, it's all part of his just mysteriousness and mystique. I love him. And he has such a great accent. Like, the voice actor... You know, he doesn't speak like Josiah Trelawney in real life, but he said that one of the ways he would kind of find the voice as he was doing his lines was he'd say Arthur's name, which he pronounces 
Arthur. Arthur. And that's how he would get in a character. He'd just kind of say <laughs> that and you go, okay, I got the tone. Let's go. Oh, that's wonderful. So good. I like that just saying Arthur's name set him. Yeah. And he's like, all right, I'm good. Let's record. Well, he says that one of the gang members named Sean was caught by some bounty hunters shortly after the Blackwater situation. Sean! <laughs> I'm not going to blow out your guys' earphones again. No. Don't worry. And before you go for Sean, Dutch decides Kieran, the O'Driscoll you took hostage, is ready to talk. Ooh. So he's been starved and beaten pretty well and tied up to a tree stump. He's just tied up to this tree for so long. Yeah, and Dutch says that they're going to cut off his dick if he doesn't talk. Yeah, and he's like, I'm going to have Bill do it, mm-hmm. <laughs> who's the dumbest, biggest dude, and Bill is fucking stoked. Oh, he's he like, hell so yeah. Kieran explains that he hates Colm more than he hates Dutch, and Dutch has just been torturing him. <laughs> so he agrees to take you to the O'Driscoll's, like, main hideout, which is nearby. Yeah, like, they're full, like, HQ of right. gang activity. And none of you trust Kieran, wh- like, worth a shit. But you decide to follow along, and sure enough, you find a spot full of O'Driscolls. Yeah, it's a good time for him to prove himself if he wants to, you know, pledge a new gang. Right, and John especially doesn't trust Kieran, and he keeps a gun on his head in case he shouts out. After wiping out, like, a bunch of O'Driscolls, Arthur makes his way to the front door of the cabin, and the door gets kicked back at him, knocking him to the ground. And just this old redneck-looking motherfucker standing over him with a shotgun just laughing. And then suddenly the old redneck gets shot and Arthur looks up and Kieran is the one who shot the redneck. He proved himself. Right. And Arthur goes inside to find Colm isn't there. Oh, fuck. He thinks Kieran still set them up, but Kieran rationalizes with him and tells him he wouldn't have saved him if he wanted him dead. And Arthur, still mad, accepts his explanation. (laughs) Arthur's so grumpy. Oh, yeah. He was like ready to kill him, too. It's pretty funny, even though he like saved his life. And he tells him to get the fuck out. And Kieran says that the O'Driscolls will kill him if they see him now that he's turned on them. So he tells Arthur there's usually money in the chimney. So Arthur goes in there and finds a fuck ton of money in the chimney. The chimneys here are the banana stands in Arrested Development. (laughs) Right. And honestly, because there was money in the chimney, Arthur's like, all right. Yeah, he could, Kieran could have waited, come back for the cash, but he's like, nope, you take it. Yeah, he's like, okay, you can, you can stay in the gang then. I like, you don't have to leave the gang. And back at Horseshoe Overlook, Arthur approaches Dutch, who's hanging out with his concubine, Molly O'Shea, because, like, I don't really know what their relationship is. Concubine? <laughs> That's what you went with? That's the it's complicated I version mean, of what their relationship is that you gave us? Yeah, basically. I, is it? It's not his wife. I don't think they've had a ceremony. And I think they're a bit more than boyfriend-girlfriend. Yeah, or maybe she, less than. She's not really his partner. I think they're lovers, which I hate that phrasing, but is fair. Molly is a fancy Irish lady. Yes. Uh, Molly is very fancy, but, you know, Dutch doesn't give a fuck about her. Yeah. I think, I think they had a bigger spark and it's starting to fizzle. Yeah, definitely. And, like, I think the problem is that she probably sees a different side of Dutch that everybody else does. A different side of Dutch. Dutch, as she likes to call him, because she is Irish as fuck. Aggressively Irish. Like, red hair only wears green. Yeah, right? It's it's not subtle. Well, as they're talking about the troubles they're up against, uh, Lenny comes running up saying Mike has been arrested for murder in a town called Strawberry, and that he's to be hung. Arthur does not want to help Micah because he hates Micah and thinks he deserves it. 
And Lenny goes, there's talks of hanging him. Yeah, and Lenny's like, I, come on, Arthur, I've almost been hung before, and, you know, he doesn't want to see somebody else get hung. Yeah, Lenny's for the gang. Yeah, and Lenny goes on to explain, he's like, Arthur, this part of, like, where we are is pretty racist, I don't know if you know that, so <laughs> I can't, like, go back out there and help you either. Arthur's like, yeah, that makes sense. And so if you ride between Valentine and Strawberry at night, actually... You can have this random encounter with a bunch of hooded KKK members. Ugh. And while at no point does it tell you to do so, it is your duty to kill every last one of them. You do get honor points if you kill them. Like, if, there's no prompt, but if you kill them, <laughs> the game's like, hell yeah, fuck them up. And if you just sit there and watch, they do end up lighting themselves on fire anyway. Yeah, because they're fucking idiots. Yeah, and they run off a cliff and die. It's great. Yeah. Dutch tells Arthur to take Lenny into Valentine for a night out to calm his nerves. Which is so sweet. Yeah, absolutely. Like, he he just almost got caught with Micah and shit. So, like, he's just, he's rattled. Hmm. And you guys go to the same bar. You got into that fight. And the <laughs> bartenders meet like, I don't want any trouble. And it's funny, because there are two bars in this town. You could have gone <laughs> to the other one. Easily, right? Yeah, but you're like, nah, this one's bigger. Like, the other one's kind of a dive bar. Yeah, I really like Valentine as a town. It's, it's a nice, large-sized town. The, as being the first town you go to, I really like Valentine. Yeah, and it's there's a lot of resources in this town. Yeah. And Lenny says they're just there for two drinks, tops, and they'll leave. Famous last words. Have you... That, that's happened to both of us. Like, how many times have you gone out and going, it's just one drink? Yep. And then you come home with a new tattoo and... <laughs> yeah, well, what proceeds to go down is a lot of people's favorite sequence, honestly. It is the most lighthearted fun sequence in the game. I cannot think of a, a more lighthearted fun sequence. Yeah, Arthur and Lenny just get shit-faced together. A good old-fashioned drunk. And they are just fucking adorable through the whole thing. They are so cute. Like, they get really serious. They get really silly. At one point, Lenny asks Arthur why he isn't married, and Arthur just goes, no one would have me. Aww. But then it smash cuts Arthur literally jumping up and down, giggling while Lenny claps for him. Like, yeah. <laughs> and, you sh and, and there's some subjects. I, I feel like he was like, Lenny, watch this. And he just started jumping up yeah. and down. <laughs> it's the cutest fucking thing. At one point, Arthur turns to like talk to Lenny, but then he can't find him anywhere. So he runs around the bar and starts shouting out, Lenny! Which Roger <laughs> Clark says, most requested quote by fans. Yeah, no, at conventions, people are like, what's the line people ask you to perform the most? Because, again, Arthur's prolific. And he goes, honestly, people usually just ask me to scream Lenny at them. Yeah. <laughs> it's fucking amazing. Like, at one point, he tries to fight someone in the bar, and then it smash cuts to them in a kick line together. Yeah, he pushes you, and, like, you push him back. And then, yeah, everybody's dancing. <laughs> it's, it's so good. It's fucking cute. <laughs> And then you lose Lenny again. And as you walk around, everybody just turns into Lenny. We all have that friend. We all have that kind of night. And if you go into a very specific bedroom while this scene is happening, you can watch Lenny fuck himself. And not jerk off. There's a woman with a Lenny head and a man with a Lenny head. And they are going at it. And oh, it's yeah. weird. <laughs> it's not okay. But you finally find the real Lenny. And like he just slaps you across the face. <laughs> Out of love. Yeah, and then you slap him, and then you just keep hitting each other harder and harder. <laughs> and then it smash cuts to Lenny and you at the bar, and he's like, you're such a good friend, Arthur. <laughs> and then you go and you drown a guy in a pigsty. You do! 
You do commit mild murder in the middle of this night. Yeah, just, you know, rounds out your night, really. Yeah. And both of you are laughing and puking your guts out in the streets when the cops show up to bust up your fun. <laughs> and then Arthur does one of the cutest fucking things in the entire game. Oh, yeah. Go ahead. He's running from the cops and he goes, you'll never take me alive. <laughs> and then he tries to jump over a fence and falls. Yeah, yeah, it's pretty great. It's like, the funniest fucking thing. <laughs> you can escape, you can get caught. It doesn't really matter, to be real. It like, doesn't. No, if you're not getting arrested for murdering the guy. You're getting arrested for being drunk, so... <laughs> yeah, it's very cute. But just, haven't you always wanted to scream from the cops, you'll never take me alive? <laughs> <laughs> no, not in America. Oh, fair. <laughs> but it's one of those tropes, and you're happy for them. Yeah. And if you do escape, you wake up in the middle of, like, nowhere and you just puke your brains out. <laughs> I love when you get hung over in video games. <laughs> it's pretty good, right? Yeah. And even though you don't want to, you have to go to Strawberry to free Micah. Ugh. Arthur poses as a bounty hunter to get information from the sheriff and Strawberry about Micah's fate. He and a random O'Driscoll are both in the jail cell downstairs and are to be hung. They were caught fighting after Micah killed the other's partner. Arthur reluctantly breaks Micah out, and there are a couple of different ways for how to do that, actually. As Micah gets out of the jail cell, he asks Arthur for a gun, and he turns and he just kills the O'Driscoll. Jesus Christ. Micah then makes Arthur go with him through Strawberry and kill just about everybody in fucking town just so Micah could get his guns back. It's a fucking bloodbath. It is so bad, and Arthur is pissed. Because... Micah just runs off with that one gun and starts killing people. And Arthur's just like, what the fuck are you doing, you lunatic? Yeah. They're, again, you're on the run from the Blackwater thing. You're on the run from the train robbery. And then you're also trying to evade the O'Driscolls, who are probably also in the area trying to get their guy that Micah just killed. So there are a lot of factors where you would ideally want to play it quiet. Yeah. And... It's it's frustrating, too, because the very next scene is Micah being like, so I've caused too much trouble and drawn too much attention to us, so I need to go fuck off for a little bit so I can come back with, like, a big offering for Dutch. And you're like, yeah, you're an idiot, and you just killed an entire fucking town. Like, a literal town was murdered because of you. Yeah, but in the meantime, Arthur and a couple of others go to just outside of Blackwater to see if they can, like, free that gang member Sean from being hung as well. Sean McGuire. Yeah, so right now you're kind of rescuing all the dumbasses that got caught. Yeah, you're re you're getting the gang back together. Honestly, like, all these Vanderlins are just days away from getting hung. Yeah, <laughs> at every point. And it turns out Sean is actually getting sold off to some bounty hunters who are going to take him somewhere else where he's wanted for even more money. Jesus Christ, Sean, you messy. Yeah. So Arthur and company decide to intervene and manage to save Sean from the bounty hunters. So when you get Sean home, it kicks off a fun event in the game. Oh, I love these. A camp party. Yay! So let's talk about the camp parties because there's a couple of them in the game. And they are fun. They don't contribute anything to the story. Oh, but they're so good. But they are a very fun time. Like, go into some of your favorite stories. So it's at night, and there are beers and whiskeys kind of everywhere, and the entire camp is hanging around the fire, 
and you're singing songs. Like I mentioned, Uncle is singing, and it is the original Uncle performer. Javier is an incredible guitarist, so he's playing. Everyone's just having a great fucking time. They're telling stories. They're joking. There's a lot of really cool music, too, that is derived from the era that they've tweaked slightly to call out towns and locations in the game, which is great. My favorite sequence in this uh, section is that Sean, again, fresh from being almost sold off, right, is hanging out with the camp lush Miss Karen. Lush. I mean, this girl is drunk a lot. <laughs> I gave her a little credit there, yeah. <laughs> Bitch is hammered all the time, and she is a... Baby girl, thick, blonde, sassy bitch. She is fucking hysterical. She's always drunk. And I think Sean and her had been flirting for a little bit because they kind of get talking. They break off. And this isn't necessarily like a cutscene. This is something you can kind of roll up on and watch. And (laughs) watch. Guess where I'm going with this. And they go into John Marston's private tent, which has a privacy flap. (laughs) And as Sean puts it so gracefully, he shows her some tricks that his pa taught him. I don't even want to get into what he means by saying that. Oh, he definitely like touched her butthole. Oh, goodness. (laughs) Yeah, so they smash in John's tent while John (laughs) is just getting drunk with like Bill and Javi by the fire. (laughs) I think this is a great time to actually talk about, you know, how you just said, this isn't necessarily a cutscene. This is just something that you can follow. And that is some of the detail that this game has, is the NPCs in this game have full fucking lives. They do. They're not just on tracks where they wake up, walk in a circle, and sit down. They have full interactions, and like we mentioned, there are some NPCs that have 80-plus pages of dialogue. Yeah. And I'm going to take this opportunity to let you know right now, I have compiled a list of some of my favorites throughout the game that I will be sharing. I'd like to call this a series of Abigail and John fighting. (laughs) Like we mentioned, Abigail and John are married, and I don't know if we mentioned it yet, but they do have a son named Jack. They do have a kid named Jack. He is a very little boy. He's about four years old. Bull cut. Yeah. Sweet uh, angel. Voiced by an adult woman, and it shows, like, it's... I don't love the voice acting of Jack. It's very, like, hey, guys. Yeah, <laughs> it, it's pretty bad. I'm not going to lie. It's no offense to the actress herself. It's just that this... It didn't work for me, but that's fine. Kids are hard to manage in... Especially content like this. Yeah. It'd be hard to sell a child actor into a Grand Theft Auto game. (laughs) What Grand Theft Auto stands for and knowing that this is from the same studio. Yeah, I I can anticipate there was some pushback. Yeah. So, again, I'm going to be interjecting occasionally with fun stories from the marriage of the camp. So... (laughs) Like we mentioned in chapter one, John just got mauled by wolves and Abigail's right. not really having it. And here's some interactions you can get into. John's sitting outside and Abigail's like, hey, are you good? And he's like, leave me alone. I'm resting. And she calls, calls him a silly little man. <laughs> Abigail asked John to try and be a father to their son. He says, I'll try if it'll make you shut up. <laughs> I'll be a dad if it makes you shut up. Oh, my God. She tells him not to act like a selfish, bloodthirsty moron. And he says, so you want me to lie? (laughs) 
Abigail asks to talk to John. She's like, John, I need to talk to you. He says, no. <laughs> and she runs off and she goes, you're pathetic. He is pathetic. He is a little pathetic. I'm not going to lie. I mean, so the reason for him like not really wanting to be a father, though, is that he does kind of question the parentage of Jack. Yes. You know, he is not 100% on board with Jack being his kid. And there are theories around that. Oh, there absolutely are <laughs> theories around that. And those theories people can go for days and days on, honestly. Absolutely. Um, and to that point, there's one place where John is complaining about not knowing how to be a father. Mm-hmm. And then he calls Abigail a man and she slaps him. <laughs> Good. And yeah, and it goes like, I'm paraphrasing. She's basically like, you need to be a man and raise your son. And he's like, is that what your mama did? Raise you as a man? And she's like, fuck you. And hits oh, goddamn. Yeah, true love. I'm just going to give you one more. There's a lot. I'll interject just because these are lighthearted and this game gets kind of rough. Yeah. Abigail goes up to John and he's like, what do you want? And she says, I don't like your tone. Slaps him and calls him a miserable sack of shit. Miserable sack of shit. Oh. She walks away and after she's a good 10 feet away, because he knew to wait to not get hit again, <laughs> he goes, nice tongue you got there, lady. <laughs> <laughs> I love them so much. And you can just, as Arthur, you just stand there watching this. Like, you know when you go to Ikea on a Saturday and there's couples fighting? It's like that. Right. It's the most fucking great thing in the world. He's just watching. Yeah. All right. Back to the story. Sorry. I'll come back with some more in Bad Marriage Corner <laughs> in the next chapter. Thank you for that. That is wonderful side stories because their relationship is fascinating. It really does add to things, you know? Some of the other gang members, as I mentioned before, there are like the two different types of missions. There's the yellow ones and the white ones. And then there are some that have like a combination of both. And one quest giver is a Vanderlyn gang member, and his name is Leopold Strauss. And he is the gang's loan shark, and he uses Arthur to collect on his loans. He would absolutely be Christoph Waltz if this were cast. Yeah, right? Oh, that's a good casting. Oh, and yeah. for the most part, these missions are optional, except for one. <laughs> I'm going to cry. Strauss asks Arthur to go collect on a debt from a man named Mr. Thomas Downs near Valentine. And this doesn't come across as any different from any other debt collection. But, you know, having them just hand over the money would be too easy. Uh, sometimes you got to beat it out of them, steal it from them. One makes you go hunting with him for a rare <laughs> animal to sell the pelt. Uh, Mr. Downs, though, he doesn't have any of that. All he has is a terminal disease and a worthless plot of land. Uh, he is the man who open mouth coughed on you earlier in the game. And Arthur, who is not a good person, tells him to sell his farm, his wife, his kid, whatever he has to in order to pay back the debt. And Mr. Downs just keeps coughing and saying he doesn't have the money and that he owes more on the ranch than it's even worth. Arthur leaves a beaten and broken Mr. Downs behind to figure it out. When Mr. Strauss asks Arthur how it went, Arthur tells him he was an idiot forever lending to someone who was so sick he's about to die, <laughs> and who also happened to be that poor on top of it all. Yeah. He's like, you knew this wasn't coming back, you dumbass. Yeah, and Strauss is like, well, people who aren't desperate don't really have a need for my services, so... Fair. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay, I see you. Abigail eventually approaches Arthur and asks him if he'd take her son Jack to go fishing. Because as established, John sure as shit isn't. Right. A and... miserable sack of shit. <laughs> 
And since John is useless, she yeah, like you said, she wants Arthur to take him. Mm-mm, Abigail said that shit. Mm-hmm. Honestly, it's possible it's Arthur's kid anyway kind of thing. He's one of the possibilities of, in terms of who's a dad. There is a journal entry where he contemplates if he would have married Abigail instead of John. Yeah, yeah. It sounds like Abigail's been with just about everybody. Just and about. Arthur's a lot hotter. Yeah. That's fair. He is a he's a much better looking man, but he's also got ten years on John. Yeah. When they get to the fishing spot, Jack would rather go collect flowers and make a crown for his mom he's rather such than a fish. Sweet baby. Yeah, this kid doesn't like the outdoors, despite the fact that he like literally lives in it. <laughs> he lives in nature and he's like, Yeah, I don't want to go hunting. That sounds terrible. He is a city mouse through and through. Truly, sweet angel. As they fish, they are approached by two men in bowler hats and fresh tailored outfits and big shiny badges on their lapels. Fuckers. And one man is a bald and clearly in charge as he approaches calling Arthur by his full name as he talks. Arthur does not know this man. Uh Uh-oh. But this guy knows Arthur's entire backstory. Orphaned as a street kid who got taken in by Dutch and was raised to be a degenerate murderer. And, like, Dutch is only eight years older than Arthur, by the way, which I always found fascinating. (laughs) Yeah, Dutch is 44. Arthur's 36. Yeah, and yet Dutch kind of raised him. Yeah, (laughs) just two children raising each other. (laughs) Yeah, street rat kids. (laughs) And these two men are with the Pinkerton Detective Agency. And this is a very real group that still technically exists today. Yeah, and... If you want to pour one out right now, in Bioshock Infinite, uh, Booker is a member of the Pinkerton Agency. That is very true. Ha ha, you thought we'd forget? Of course not. It's a staple of the show. Take a Bioshock. <laughs> very good. Thank you. Infinite counts. <laughs> Infinite's canonical. It's fine. <laughs> yeah, they're still uh, existing today under the name Securitas, and they're kind of a small private army. It's a little scary, but that's a different show. Uh, The bald man's name is Agent Milton. He says that Arthur is worth $5,000 alone for all of his crimes. $5,000? Can I turn myself in? Oh, yeah. Arthur's so fucking cool. (laughs) He's so fucking cool. He's hot. He's cool. He can fish. What more do you need? He's got quips on quips. Like, oh. Oh, he's so fucking cool. But Milton's not there for Arthur. He wants Dutch. Mm, the big fish. Yeah. Uh, Leviticus Cornwall has hired the Pinkertons to bring in Dutch after that train robbery. Told you, you can't fuck with the Cornwalls. Do not fuck with the Cornwalls. And so they just exchange some threats, but ultimately he just wants Arthur to know they are after Dutch. They tell Arthur they can clear his record, though, if he turns in Dutch. <sighs> you can't take the rats option. Oh, yeah. And Arthur immediately goes to Dutch. He's like, uh, so these guys are after us. <laughs> this is a bad scene. And Dutch is like, all right, all right. We got to come up with a plan then. That's that's Dutch's thing. Got to oh, make a plan. Dutch loves a plan, he, Arthur. He loves a plan. And faith. He hates explaining them. <laughs> he does hate explaining them. <laughs> he, does, he keeps his plans close to the chest because he knows a bad villain tells you the plan. <laughs> Right. But, you know, a good strategist keeps it close to the heart. Right, right. So meanwhile, 
John comes up with an idea to rob a train that involves stealing some wagons that are used to transport oil and putting them on the train tracks, forcing the conductor to stop. Because the other option is crashing through them and blowing up. Bad option. This would require some wagons full of oil, of course. Who owns the oil? Hmm, definitely someone we've met before that balls out of control and has an insane name. Hmm. Yeah, Cornwall's got some oil, so you steal a couple of oil transport wagons and load up with John, Sean, and a couple others to prepare for the train robbery. Yeah, let's just piss off Leviticus a little more, it's fine. <laughs> <Fucking> right. <laughs> and Arthur stands on the wagon in like one of the most cinematic fucking moments of the game, too. Like He's got his mask up, he's got this rifle in hand, the camera just kind of like pans <sighs> up and over his shoulders with this train approaching, and it's all at night. It's fucking beautiful bde out the ass it's so fucking cool and your gang members are like highlighted by the train lights as they hide in the surrounding trees oh it's so fucking cool and you shoot up the train and rob it and you are quickly caught by some local law enforcement who's like out on a nightly stroll you manage to shoot and escape and make out with a bit of money for your squad though you worry though that it could be connected to the pinkertons you ran into earlier because you know they were there kind of with a quickness yeah and to that point, you don't go super far from the campsite to take Jack fishing, so they're clearly in the area where the entire gang is. Yeah. No, there's a good chance they know exactly where you're hiding. Yeah, if they were able to roll up on you while you're just casually fishing, they've had eyes on you. Yeah, so you've got uh, John with you, and you roll up to Dutch and Strauss, uh, who are at a bar in town. And John and Strauss take off, and Dutch makes it clear he fucking hates that little loan shark weasel Strauss. He does call him a weasel, and he's such a fucking weasel. <laughs> yeah, he fucking hates Strauss, but he's like, but, you know, he makes money for the gang. Yeah, he's like, he, he pulls his own weight, but I don't like him. I fucking can't stand that little guy, but yeah, he's like a necessary evil, as he considers him. So Dutch and Arthur drink to Arthur's good health, and just as they take their respective bio shots, a <laughs> voice rings out, Dutch Vanderlind, you don't know me, but you keep robbing me. Oh, fuck me. And it's Leviticus Cornwall, and he is not to be messed with. Like, in the flesh. And he has John and Strauss held hostage. Like, at gunpoint. At gunpoint, and tells Dutch to come outside now. Arthur tells Dutch to go outside and to keep him talking, and that when Arthur thinks the time is right, he'll make his move. Oh, and that's just so fucking cool. And Dutch is like, fuck it, let's do this. <laughs> Knock the shot back, let's go. He finishes his drink and steps outside with his hands in the air, and Arthur just kind of follows him with his hands in the air as well. At this point, Leviticus has already ridden off, because of course he has. <laughs> He's not actually going to be around for the bloodshed. And Arthur goes into what is known as Deadeye Mode. Oh, it's so cool. And Deadeye Mode is fucking awesome. So Deadeye Mode just like slows time down. You can pick out your targets, highlight them, and then Arthur just unleashes his gun. So like you can do it where you do like six headshots on six different people, or you can just unload all six into a single guy. It's fucking great. You can shoot people directly in the dick directly in the dick you can blow off arms you can shoot them in the hand it's really good for hunting it also, is also like doing hunting dead eye is just clutch mm -hmm. so yeah so you automatically slip into dead eye take out a bunch of the people especially the guys holding that uh, john and strauss you know 
There's a great moment right before you go into Jedi mode where you and John have a look exchange. Mm. And John's clearly like, just don't shoot too close to my face. Just don't shoot too close <laughs> to my fucking face. I was just mauled by wolves. I do not want tinnitus. I'm already fucked up. And, and Arthur's his big brother. He's like, fuck you. <laughs> Shoots the guy holding him at hostage right through the face. Yeah. And you shoot your way out of Valentine while literally everyone is after you. <laughs> you, there's kind of a pattern emerging, if you'll notice. Yeah, so you can't go near Valentine for kind of a while after this. Typically, like, during the game, if you kill a bunch of people, you you obtain a bounty on yourself, and you can usually pay these off at, like, a train station or something, and this is one of those times where you can't. This is also kind of similar to the wanted levels in GTA, that function of yeah. you piss off enough people, <laughs> it is stressful, and you have to lay low for a minute or find a way around it. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And so for a while, you have to go out and explore some more, meet some new people, help them, hurt them, however you want your Arthur to be. Yeah, there's some cool buffalo in the area. You can go sightseeing. Yeah. Uh, or, for example, you can team up with some people from camp, like Micah or Hosea, who, like, rob stagecoaches or go hunt animals. Yeah, I think Hosea can take you to see a bear. Yeah, you go hunting some of the legendary animals with Hosea. It's pretty fun. Uh, you can also go into towns and do some bounty hunting, and the pay is shit, but it's good for your reputation. And it's kind of fun. Yeah, and then you can get some of those treasures that we talked about before, because there's all sorts of maps and gold bars hidden around. You can get cool maps, weapons, it's fucking great. Oh, yeah. Eventually, you come back to Dutch and Hosea arguing about what's next for the gang. With the Pinkertons onto the gang and the whole shootout in, in Valentine, the gang needs a new spot to set up camp. Oh, yeah, it is way too hot in the area right now. Yeah, and, like, this area is going to be compromised very soon. So Dutch asks Arthur to go check out a spot Micah actually recommended. Arthur and gang member Charles get to the spot, and it's a dried-out riverbed, and there's already a gang in there. I love Charles, by the way. Charles is fucking wonderful. So Charles is a Native American character, and he is just... He's very soft-spoken, but he is strong. Like, this is a strong fucking dude. He's beefy. And oh, he's yeah. got a good heart too. Yeah, and he's just got he's got a great voice. I love that fucking voice. I mm. I did notice him, uh, the actor, in another game that is going to be reviewed later this season. Mm. And like as soon as I heard, I was like, "Is that fucking Charles?" And then I looked it up, <laughs> and I was like, "Yeah, absolutely, that was Charles." It's powerful but gentle. Yeah, it's a very unique understanding of his vo voice, and it's really beautiful to hear. He's so great. Yeah. So you clear out these gang members and you find out very quickly this wasn't even their camp they're actually robbing a family actively <gasps> oh. and there's a family with a mother and two kids hiding underneath a cart and they're fucking scared oh totally uh the family comes out and it turns out they're german they don't even fucking speak english and so arthur's just kind of sitting there like i don't understand what the fuck you're saying yeah and charles doesn't know german either he's like uh nope <laughs> But what you manage to figure out is they have taken the father of the family and oh. Charles volunteers Arthur they're going to rescue him. Yeah, Charles will aggressively do the right thing. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> Charles is like, Arthur, we're going to save this man. And Arthur's like, why? And Charles is like, because it's the right fucking thing, you idiot. Let's go. Yeah. <laughs> Come on, dipshit. We're doing good. So after you, you know, kill the gang members that kidnapped him and shit, uh, Arthur realizes that the spot that those gang members had him at is way better than the fucking riverbed. And he tells Charles to go tell Dutch to come there instead. In the meantime, though, you take him back to his family and, you know, they're very happy and shit like that. 
And it's great because obviously Arthur doesn't speak German and the German father doesn't speak a lot of English. And Arthur's just at one point going, how does someone even come up with those words? <laughs> he can't comprehend language right. as a concept. It's really sweet. <laughs> and I really like this area, too. It is much prettier. It's on the water. It's got this wide open field with like some trees and some shade. It's 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 beautiful. I think this one's my second favorite. Yeah. Um, my I'll say which one my favorite is, but I do love the riverbed because, you know, if you can like steal a boat, you can cruise around. There's really great wildlife. Yeah. There's a lot of animals right there. So if you do need pelts, super convenient. And when the gang arrives, Dutch is happy as fucking can be with the new spot. Like, oh, hell yeah. He says he has no idea where the hell they are, but it is absolutely perfect. <laughs> And, you know, the gang settles in, and for some reason in this section, John starts drinking a lot. Yeah, he's having some problems. Yeah, he's going through some shit, so we will revisit John's terrible marriage. Yes, we'll revisit that as uh, Pearson and Miss Grimshaw set up the place, make it home, and we get another chapter title, Chapter 3, Clemens Point. point yeah clemens point is wonderful i think for me it's between chapter three and chapter four like the the highlights of the entire game totally i love chapter four chapter yeah. three is very very fulfilling and fun yeah chapter three is absolutely wonderful but not for john so not for john so what happens with john <laughs> welcome to terrible marriage corner john has been drinking nonstop, and you will hear abigail going john and he'll just go, I'm not here, and run. <laughs> so this chapter is mostly when you run into them, it's Abigail going, where the fuck is my man's? And him going, no one tell her I was here, and then getting up and walking to a different part of camp. <laughs> <laughs> That's perfect. And there's one pretty skeezy part where John will be drunk, and he's talking to Big Titty Karen, and he's like, come sit on my lap, come here. And she goes, what about Abigail? You know, there's 12 of us. We all live with each other. Right. You dipshit. No social incest. And he goes, we ain't married. <laughs> they basically are. They call each other husband and wife. They do. I know. Like, they keep going back and forth on this because they weren't, like, quote, unquote, married in a church or whatever. So they're like, we're married. You ever know those people? They're like, we don't need a piece of paper to say that we're married kind of shit. Yeah, but in Western times where you literally you know, couldn't kinda, do it yeah, yeah. <laughs> so karen calls him an idiot and walks away and he's just like ah <laughs> so john's messy as hell and abigail's just annoyed and nagging the whole time and that's that's my take on terrible marriage corner for chapter three annoyed and nagging no wonder he was drinking <laughs> the missus am i right <laughs> yeah ladies <laughs> like he's a bad comic in the 90s just yeah. <laughs> like, she's why i drink shut the fuck up Boomer humor, am I right, guys? <laughs> Fucking John. Anyway. That <laughs> sack of shit. So a few days later, and Arthur is having an argument with the woman they had rescued earlier, Mrs. Sadie Adler. Oh, Sadie. And she's mad about washing dishes, and Arthur is treating her like, sorry, your majesty, but living in camp requires a little work. And Sadie isn't mad about the fact that she has to work. She's mad at the type of work she's doing. She's just bored. <laughs> Yeah, Sadie and her husband were equals in their lives. She hunted, she cooked, she worked the fields. 
She did the work most people at the time would consider men's work. She's the baddest bitch. Yeah. And she also fucking hates taking orders from Pearson. (laughs) Can you blame her? Okay, so Pearson is former Navy. Mm Mm-hmm. And he's he's just dumb. He's the gang's cook. Yeah. And he is just a sloppy slob of a man. He is a slob of a man. He is gross to look at. Like, he's not disgusting to look at. He's just, he is a very large man who is just, you know, he's eating a lot of food if he is the chef. He always looks greasy. Yeah, he does always look greasy. And he uh, doesn't really accept what his role is in the camp, which is just the guy that cooks the food. Yeah, he really thinks he's like a contributing member. He thinks he's on the level of John and Arthur, and he's absolutely fucking not. And there isn't a single fucking person in camp who ever compliments his cooking. Yeah. Because he's not good at it. There's actually one, like, low-key side mission where Grimshaw can come up to you and go, I fucking hate Pearson's food. Can you go get me some herbs just so I can season this shit? Yeah. And it's genuine. (laughs) He's not even good at his one job. (laughs) He has one job? And honestly, Pearson hates Sadie as much as she hates him. Yeah. so. (laughs) So you're really doing everyone a favor by, like talking to Sadie and being like, let's figure out another way you can contribute. Yeah, Arthur actually has to hold Sadie back from stabbing Pearson to death (laughs) after he calls her a fishwife. I forgot about that. And fishwife, it's not as derogatory it sounds. Fishwife was slang back in the day for a woman with a bad mouth. Yeah, an ill-tempered woman who is prone to shouting. Yeah. (laughs) So he's just like, you're being a loud bitch. (laughs) And honestly, given his experience with her, Probably. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) That's pretty valid. (laughs) He's not wrong on that. Arthur tells Sadie uh, she's welcome to come run with the boys, but warns her he doesn't just hunt. He gets hunted. She's like, that sounds fucking great. (laughs) And he says that those doing the hunted, they have guns of their own. To which Sadie responds by looking him unblinkingly in the eye and says, I ain't afraid of dying. Hell yeah, Sadie. And I don't know if Arthur did or not, but everyone playing this game got rock fucking hard, women and nonconformists included, after hearing that line. 100%. Like, it is just... Soaked. Yep. Arthur tells her she can come with him into town for supplies. Pearson gives you his supply list, along with some mail to take into town. Big mistake. On your way in, you get to know Sadie's personality a bit. She says she graduated from chopping onions to going shopping. (laughs) <laughs> and then she starts reading Pearson's mail, which was his mistake, to to be fair. <laughs> yeah. So she goes through it and like, <laughs> so he's writing to his aunt and he is greatly exaggerating his role in the camp with his whole life story. And he says things like he is making no small name for himself, <laughs> that he is single, but not for a lack of suitors. Ugh. And Sadie and Arthur are, like, literally crying while laughing as she reads this out. (laughs) It's so good. (laughs) And after your time in town, Sadie comes back from the shop. She's not, like, dressed like a little prairie wife, which is, like, what most of the women in the camp dress like. Instead, she's in, like, the quintessential cowgirl hat and, like, chaps and pants, you know? Jesse from Toy Story 2 could never. No, like, she's looking, like, from Deadwood, Calamity Jane. But hot. Yeah, hot Calamity Jane entirely. Yeah. On the ride back to the camp, a rival gang tries to rob you, and you and Sadie get to have a shootout. Oh, it's so good. Oh, Sadie proves to be an excellent sidekick in a shootout. She is an 
incredible shot. Annie Oakley, who, bitch? Yeah, and Arthur just gains all the respect in the fucking world for her, and she can ride with him any fucking time. Yeah, he's like, okay, we're not dead. That was kind of cool. <laughs> yeah, Arthur's like, hey, if you can fucking ride, you're, you're good. Later on, Dutch, Arthur, and Hosea are heading into town when they come upon a train stopped on a track blocking the road. Hmm... Being blocked by the train is a literal paddy wagon with some prisoners in the back. One of whom is Trelawney, that fancy friend. <laughs> oh, look, there's some prisoners going by. Oh, fuck, that's our homeboy. Oh, we know one of them. <laughs> God damn it. So he asks for some help from Dutch and decides to strike up a conversation with the driver of the wagon, Dutch does. And Dutch introduces himself as Hoagie McIntosh. That is... Such a good name. I love his aliases in this fucking game. Like, he comes up with a bunch of fucking aliases. The writers, again, put in 100 hours a week on this game. Yeah. So they're not slacking on anything. Yeah. And it's like, uh, my favorite, though, is Arthur's with Tacitus Kilgore. Oh, that's so fucking cool. I think that's a great fucking name. Anyway, so the driver perks up and asks if he's Scottish after hearing the name Hoagie Macintosh, And Dutch says, just half, you know. The better half. <laughs> and the other half is sandwich. Right. And the driver introduces himself as Lee Gray. Dutch asks, why is Trelawney arrested? And Lee says because he was running a gold mining investment scam. Dutch <laughs> says, that's ridiculous. He knows Trelawney and he's just a magician. He's an idiot, but he's not a bad person. <laughs> just a flim flam man, but let's call it magician for these purposes. While all this is happening, the other prisoners that are in there with Trelawney manage to pick the lock and break free. <laughs> and they all run off and jump onto the back part of the train, which just started taking off. Oh, no. Trelawney was like, I'm just going to stay here. Yeah, he's like, I'm not going to get into more trouble. This will probably be easier if Dutch can uh, just talk me out of this. And Lee shouts, the Anderson boys. And Dutch agrees to help capture them and tells Arthur to do just that. <laughs> Again, being voluntold. <laughs> yeah, and Arthur's like, oh, yeah, uh, sure, I guess. I guess we'll help. Fuck. So you do, and Lee lets Trelawney go as a thank you. And Lee thanks Dutch, or Mr. McIntosh, for everything and tells him that on behalf of the citizens of the town of Rhodes, he welcomes our group. Rhodes. Ooh. As your group walks through the town, Trelawney reveals what he's learned about Rhodes and the people who live there. Hell yeah, Trelawney, doing recon. There are two rival families, the Greys, whom we've just met one of, and the Braithwaites. Such good names. They fucking hate each other over gold, land, marriages, cousin fucking, all that stuff. And in U.S. history, there are a few families that this does, like, there were quite a few families at this time that this did happen with. Yeah, like, know. notably Hatfields and McCoys comes to mind. Oh, yeah, it's a great inspiration. So both families are very wealthy and control most of the town. You would say kind of 50-50. So that's why they hate each other too. You know, it's like one side's in power, the other side's in power. Each one wants more. Yeah, <laughs> it's a lot of monopoly. Two-player yeah. monopoly is never a good scene, guys. And so Dutch is like, all right, there's some opportunity in this town. So everybody go around, start sniffing out and see what we can take advantage of. So you and the game members start to integrate yourselves into this town, getting to know different members of the two families, playing both sides as best you can. There's like a whole Romeo and Juliet story going on. There's this developmentally challenged child that's locked away. In an outhouse. Yeah, in an outhouse. You end up helping a bunch of women fight for the right to vote, which is pretty cool. Yeah. <laughs> you know, you just get involved in the suffragette movement. 
Yeah. And during your time here, Dutch requests that the gang behaves itself when in the vicinity of Rhodes so as to keep a good reputation in this town. Outside of Rhodes, you're still a gang of outlaws. Yeah, but as a mechanic, the game does not allow you to draw weapons in Rhodes, which is kind of like a a weird safeguard (laughs) to uh, protect the gang's identity and uh, honor in the town. One of the gang members that we talked about earlier, Uncle, gives Arthur a tip-off about a payroll wagon that will be coming through the area that will be easy picking. Ooh. So you recruit a few other members since Uncle had a serious medical condition that will prevent him from participating. Oh, yeah? Yes, he has a terminal case of lumbago. Lumbago is not terminal. So the medical term for lumbago today is lower back pain. Terminal lower back pain. Lower back pain. That is what Uncle suffers from. I'm not trying to be, like, mean to people with lumbago. It is literally lower back pain. Also, anyone over the age of 30 absolutely has lumbago. Arthur's 36. He's had lumbago for at least six years. Everyone here (laughs) rides a horse. They absolutely have lumbago. Uncle's just there. (laughs) Uncle's just there. Arthur says, he's like, you know what? Fuck you. I'm only going if you go. So Uncle's like, God damn it. All right. I'll go, too. And you rob the wagon fine initially. But it goes south as the backup guard shows up. Mm. Just as you're about to like pull all the money out of the lockbox. And the four of you like ride away and find a barn to hide out in inside of like while the heat dials down. It's midday and you decide to wait for nightfall. And as the moon rises, you all decide it's time to go. But then you see a light in the distance. Uh oh. And everybody's hiding in the barn. And in hiding, you overhear the men who approach the barn. And they're Pinkertons. Oh, fuck. And they're searching for whoever robbed the payroll coach all day long. It was a payroll wagon for Leviticus Cornwall. Oh, God damn it. We just keep pissing off the same hugely powerful person. Fucking uncle made you rob Leviticus Cornwall again. Accidentally gave your biggest enemy another reason to hate you. And so you got to shoot your way out and finally head back to camp. Jesus Christ, uncle. So fucking useless. Later on, Lenny has a proposition for Arthur. He heard about some weapons dealers hanging out in an old abandoned plantation house called Shady Bell. And that those weapons dealers are like old school pre-Civil War kind of racists. So you should go rob the fuck out of them. Yeah, and you should also not let Lenny go in alone. (laughs) No, not at all. And you get there and notice they have literal wagon loads of weapons and explosives and everything a little growing militia could need. You devise a plan that would send Lenny out to get their attention of the dealers. And remember, Lenny, the black member of the Vanderlyn gang, against all these racist people. And he just needs to get close so that he can have good range with the weapons he brought. While the dealers are all distracted by Lenny and are about to, you know, kill him, Lenny shouts, a great miracle will strike you down. And at that moment, you shoot one of the wagons full of explosives and it blows up and sends the whole place into fucking chaos. Oh, it's so fucking cool. Oh, yeah. It's like in action movies where someone does a finger gun and then the sniper on the roof actually shoots. Yeah, so good. Oh, yeah. One of those kinds of moments. So fucking satisfying. And Lenny and Arthur take the weapons back to the camp so they can sell it all and get the camp some money. Arthur heads into Rhodes as requested by Dutch and meets up with him at the sheriff's office. Turns out, Lee Gray is the sheriff of Rhodes. Oh, he runs this town. And Dutch has gotten him good and drunk and eating out of the palm of his fucking hand. Because uh, he, again, he's, 
He's got that leader culty energy. He can make you fall in love with him. Oh, yeah. He's so got, charismatic. He is a silver-tongued devil for sure. Mm-hmm. He's got him so much in the palm of his hand. Sheriff Gray makes Dutch, Arthur, and the rest of the inner circle deputies of Rhodes. <laughs> so now you've got a badge. It looks ridiculous. And some of the other gang members, I think some of the women make fun of you. They're like, oh, okay, you got a fucking badge. I saw you murder someone with your bare hands last Tuesday. This sheriff is so drunk, he literally goes outside into the streets of his town to vomit. <laughs> Tells them that there is a moonshine problem in Rhodes and he needs your help to shut it down. He's so drunk, he tells you to stop the moonshine business in town. <laughs> is such a delightfully balanced thing. It's so fucking wonderful. The reason that you need to shut it down, though, is because it's not collecting tax money. Oh, <laughs> very American. Yeah, right? <laughs> so fucking American of a reason why. So you track down the moonshine distillery hiding out in the swamps and you kill or capture the hillbillies involved in making it. And it is a bunch of like hillbilly moonshiners. Oh, yeah. And after you destroy the distillery, there's still a whole wagon full of moonshine and you are gifted the wagon as a thank you for shutting it all down. Since you guys have no idea what to actually do with a wagon full of moonshine, Hosea figures he can sell it back to who they stole it from. Double dipping ass Hosea. But also like how funny is it that Hey, your goal is to stop the moonshine in town. Thank you for doing that. Here is that moonshine. Yeah, Hold right. Hold up. <laughs> Wait yeah. a minute. You and Hosea head to Braithwaite Manor. Honestly, the most <sighs> beautiful location in the game. And based on some real life plantations, there I've seen on the subreddit, there have been people who are like, holy shit, I was in the south. I drove by this crazy property. This is Braithwaite. Like, they do such incredible work on deriving things from real life places and some of these places in the South are still preserved enough to where you can be like, oh, shit. Oh, yeah. If you've seen like Django Unchained, there's like some great manners in that. Mm -hmm. uh, I would also say the Righteous Gemstones. They have a house very similar to Braithwaite oh. Manor in that. Yes. Grandpa's house is so yeah. similar. <laughs> you've got these trees that kind of line the road heading in and they just kind of arc and they're perfectly hedged and trimmed and it's just... Oh, it is absolutely beautiful. It's decadent as fuck. It's beautiful. And you ride up and Mrs. Braithwaite is the one in charge here. And mm. she asks what you're doing there. Hosea says, you found this wagon in the woods and figured she'd be interested in purchasing it. She says she ain't buying what's already hers. And Hosea responds that there's literally no name anywhere and uh, he's the one that has it. So that makes it his. Hosea can go toe-to-toe -to -toe with the most intimidating people, and you gotta love him for it. Yeah. She goes, well, I get a dollar a bottle for these, and Hosea says, give me 50 cents each. Split the diff! Yeah, and to think of it as a reward for finding your stolen property. And she's like, fine. <laughs> Hosea, hell yeah! But she doesn't want to keep it. For an extra 10 bucks, she tells Hosea to take the entire supply into Rhodes... And to just give it out for free in the bar right by the sheriff's office. In gray territory. Yeah, because fuck the grays. Oh, this is so good. She's like, I know the grays made you steal it. That's fine. Fuck them. Go fuck with them. So Jose and Arthur go into Rhodes, and Arthur serves up free moonshine for a solid half hour absolutely free. Now, like we mentioned, there's not a lot of lighthearted sections of the game. But this is a delightful... Yeah. Partially lighthearted section. So to get them to do this, Hosea 
dusts off his acting chops. <laughs> He's like, hey, Arthur. So we have a cover. And Arthur's like, of course we fucking do. What do you want? And he goes, you're going to be my stupid cousin. <laughs> and you're going to be the bartender. And I'm going to tell them we're doing marketing. Yeah. And we're just going to give them out. And you are not allowed to talk. You're going to wear this stupid hat. <laughs> and you're just going to pour drinks and keep your mouth shut. And Arthur's like, are you fucking serious? And he goes, yes. Yeah, this one time my family was out uh, for Christmas at a hotel. And we weren't really there for any other reason than to just kind of stay the night. So we weren't like celebrating Christmas there. And we decided to kind of throw a dinner for all the people that were working that night at the hotel. We got in their conference room and we were kind of serving up a buffet of things. And we started to notice that a lot of these people weren't in uniforms anymore after a while because they started calling people that had the day off and they started coming in to also eat the food that was being served up and stuff. And like, we didn't care. We were totally fine with them doing this, but it was very clear that like word started to spread. And just like in that moment, the word started to spread in the town (laughs) and the entire fucking town showed up to get shit faced drunk. (laughs) They've got free moonshine. Let's go. And (laughs) there's people, like, hanging from the rafters, standing on tables. (laughs) They're throwing shit. And, like, a group of men bust into the bar mad because they were going to buy that liquor from the Braithwaites initially. And now they can't. Oh. So they start a gunfight in the bar of drunkards. Great. And you shoot your way out. And after you escape, you and Hosea debate whether or not those men were sent by the Braithwaites. Hmm. Hosea has such a great sense of the game of war and (laughs) motivations and seeing through people's intentions. Like Hosea is truly a guiding light as you play the political science of the game. Yeah. And Hosea then decides, all right, let's just go speak to her and make peace with it. And like, regardless, let her know that they did what she asked. Yeah. Like, let them know that they could trust him. Yeah, absolutely. Arthur approaches Dutch as he and Micah are talking about something devious. Ooh. Uh, their plan, since the Greys and Braithwaites are both fully distracted by each other and some of the dumbest people walking the earth, <laughs> their plan is to rob both of them. Yeah, because also to that point, because these families go generations back of rivalries and kind of make up most of the town, there has been some inbreeding on both sides. And yeah, so- that never ends well. While these guys are dumb, they're also rich as shit. Yeah. And most of it's in gold. Yeah. The idea is to rob them both, convince each the other robbed them, and then dip out of town before either realize it was them all along. In all fairness, pretty solid plan. It's not a terrible plan. Yeah, leveraging a rivalry usually works out pretty well, because their ego says, yeah, fuck you, you did this. Yeah, so you gotta team up with a bunch of different gang members and go about sabotaging each family in different ways like you burn their crops you steal some prize horses you rob some stagecoaches you know outlaw shit general outlaw shit yeah (laughs) and while you're doing this pearson of all people comes to dutch with an idea on how they can have peace with the o'driscoll gang says he ran into some in town and they requested a parlay you know like from pirates of the caribbean (laughs) Hosea, who's not even in the conversation, just yells, it's a trap. Yeah, he just, it's very much like a drive-by, like, bad idea. (laughs) He's like, across the entire camp, he's like, yep, trap. Yeah, I can see through, again, Hosea has an incredible radar for bullshit, and is like, 
no, you dumbass. And Micah, he goes, yeah, it might be, but what if it's not? And Dutch is like, well, I don't trust it because I don't trust Colm. Uh, Dutch says that he killed Colm O'Driscoll's brother years ago. And in response, Colm killed Dutch's girlfriend. Ugh, messy, messy. And Micah's like, yeah, but that's all in the past now. It's time to set those differences aside. That's some old shit. <laughs> yeah, let's move on. You know, let's move past that shit. He's like, you have Molly now? Fuck it. Let's go. So they plan a meeting in an open plane with Arthur watching from a ridge with a sniper rifle. Dutch and Colm come face to face and they exchange some backhanded compliments. And Dutch eventually does apologize for killing Colm's brother. Colm says he never really liked him that much anyway. <laughs> and Dutch says, but I liked Annabelle. Ugh. Dutch asks Colm if this is all over. Arthur, who's half a mile away, turns around just in time to see the butt end of a gun barrel smash into his face, mm. knocking him out. Fuck. With what Arthur goes through in this next sequence, I'm shocked he survives. This is really hard to play. It You feel for him so bad. Yeah, Arthur wakes up bound and getting beaten in and out of consciousness. Arthur later wakes up and the kidnappers are sitting around the campfire, so he makes a break for it. Like, he tears ass through the woods, but they notice him pretty quickly and catch up to him by shooting him in the back. Ugh, Arthur. The shooter asks, did I kill you? Arthur says, not yet. And the shooter says, not yet, but I will. And Ugh. he shoots Arthur point blank with a shotgun. Ugh, with a shotgun! Again, he survives this. Barely. Like, a shotgun should put a hole through your body at that range. Yeah, um, in Last of Us 2, Abby shoots Joel through the knee with a shotgun, and it goes right, his leg gets taken off. Who knows where Arthur got shot, because again, he somehow survives this. Ugh. Arthur finally comes to again in an underground stone bunker. Probably made for, like, moonshining or weapon smuggling, you know? Yeah. And the door to the outside opens, and Colmo Driscoll comes down the stairs. Mm. He was visited by the Pinkertons and was offered a lot of money to bring in Dutch and his gang. He arranged the meeting just to kidnap Arthur. He knew that if he took Arthur, Dutch would bring the entire gang to free him. So the Pinkertons will be waiting for them when they come. Oh, he see, this is a bad villain. This guy's giving out his whole plan. Right? <laughs> and Colm pistol whips Arthur and fucks off. Oh, God. And Arthur escapes in a sequence that reminds me of a scene in Breaking Bad where Walt had to, like, injure himself horribly to make his escape, you know? Mm. And someone comes down to check on Arthur, and you manage to choke them out and sneak out of the bunker where, like, they hit all your gear. Which, thankfully, isn't that far. No. Because you are down to your skivvies. You're in, like, a onesie thermal underwear situation. Yeah. You have no health. Your stamina is completely shot. Ugh. Yeah, you get your gun belt on, and you're still in your underwear, and you're, like, running through killing everybody. You're barefoot. Like, yeah. <laughs> it's bad. But you make it back to your camp alive, just barely. Like, you pass out while riding your horse. Yeah, I think you're like, just get me home. <laughs> and the horse just takes you home on instinct. Ugh. Dutch sets Miss Grimshaw to take care of Arthur as he recovers. And and his recovery takes a few weeks. Like, you get a, like, a little, like, screen that comes over and says a few weeks later. Yeah, you grow a beard. Yeah, and now Arthur's, like, good as new. 
Yeah. <laughs> and, you know, just to speak on Miss Grimshaw, she is the oldest female in the group. Yeah. She's very much the house mom. She's in charge of all the chores. She's always nagging the girls that stay back to, uh, you know, <laughs> feed the horses and chickens and shit. And, you know, she's, she runs a tight ship, but she's really a great contemporary to Dutch being the paternal figure, her being the maternal figure. Yeah, she's team mom, 100%. Yeah, and there are some sequences, actually, just to divert for one second. If you come home too dirty or stinky, she'll get mad at you as Arthur <laughs> and force wash you, and then you have to give her, like, 50 cents or something, and you have to say, thank you, Miss Grimshaw. Wait, she force washes you? Yeah, she, like, pushes you into a barrel. Like, she takes you to a barrel, and she's like, what? Wash your head. <laughs> she makes you splash. I have never seen this. You've never had messy Arthur? No, I have never got, I've never even seen anybody reference this before. Okay. I've seen it. I did it once. Oh my I, gosh. I do love the sequences where you can get a bath done in the hotels, yeah. but if you get to a point where you're too stinky for camp, Miss Grimshaw will force wash you and then you go for your troubles and you throw her like 50 cents. I am shook right now. I had no fucking idea. See, and you can play this game over and over and there's always going to be more to discover. I've played it three times. Like, I... You never played a stinky run. I am gobsmacked right now. <laughs> you gotta be stinky. <laughs> anyway... <laughs> You set out into town where you find Micah with gang members Bill and Sean, and they say that Sheriff Gray has a security job for you all. Arthur knows they've figured out that you stole all the horses, so he doesn't trust it. Micah admits they know about the horses, but that they're over it and they want to work out a deal. Arthur says something doesn't feel right, and Sean agrees. And it's the last thing he ever does, as his face explodes from a gunshot from the head. This is, you want to talk gobsmacked? Yeah. This was like a brick falling into your open mouth because it's just the boys lined up. It's a beautiful sunny day. Sean, as always, is optimistic and gun happy. And then his face explodes. Oh, it is bad. And like oh. a huge shootout ensues throughout the whole town of Rhodes. Just a breakneck hard turn of fuck. You're not safe. Yeah, and it all culminates at the sheriff's office where Lee Gray has Bill in a hostage headlock with a gun to his head. Fucking Bill. And of course, Arthur goes into dead eye and saves his friend Bill. Even though he doesn't... Whatever. <laughs> Sean was so much better than Bill. Yeah. Sean was funny. Sean had some tricks his pa taught him. He was a, just a sweet little Irish lad. And Arthur's fucking pissed because now he's got another dead friend on his hands. Mm. And Micah starts in on Arthur with a recurring trend from the rest of the gang. Arthur seems to be the only person who's allowed to make mistakes, which it's not wrong. Because Arthur <laughs> makes a mistake and the gang gets discovered or someone gets killed and, well, it's just a thing that happened. Anyone else makes the same kind of mistakes, they are the worst people ever and need to be punished and kicked out of the gang and blah, blah, blah. Like, he's kind of got a point. <laughs> but it's Arthur. Yeah. <laughs> Micah tells Arthur that in the six months since Micah joined the gang, all Arthur does is complain. Ugh. He can fight and shoot, and that's just about it. That's kind of all you need to be a criminal. Yeah. <laughs> but Micah's like, I can do the same fucking thing, so what makes you special? Arthur gets back to camp to Dutch coming right up to him immediately, asking if he's seen Abigail and John's son, Jack. Oh, 
Arthur says no, and Abigail comes over in a full panicked mom form, pissed as shit mm. at Dutch for allowing her son to get kidnapped. Oh no. Hosea comes to the group saying that Kieran, the former O'Driscoll that has since joined your gang, mentioned seeing a couple of men he recognized as Braithwaite snooping around the camp. Uh-oh. He hadn't seen Jack anywhere, and he chased them off. Dutch enlists the Fury of the Gods and calls upon his entire posse of gunfighters to ride on the Braithwaite mansion for taking the four-year-old Jack Marston. This is my favorite set piece of the game. Oh, yeah. He tells Micah and Kieran to stay behind and kill on sight anyone that isn't a Vanderland. And, okay, this sequence is literally the background of my laptop yeah. and has been for two years. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it's a full moon. You're riding in eight men deep through the archways of trees and the Braithwaite mansion is just fucking lit up with torches. Oh, my God. And everyone is stacked to the fucking gills ready for blood. And this scene is so different from every other scene in the game in that about 85% of what happens next is like done with you actually being in control of the character. Because a lot of this game is cutscenes, but this one lets you like ride through almost all of it in character, which is fucking wonderful. Oh, so good. You know, you could almost say that it plays out like a Bioshock. Oh, let's go. And the eight of you dismount at the gates of Braithwaite Manor and walk the rest of the way in, shoulder to shoulder, spreading out across the entire widescreen frame as the moon and torches light your way. Ugh. And John is losing it and ready to murder some motherfuckers. He's been screamed at to be a father for weeks and weeks and weeks. <laughs> and this is his chance to fucking shine. Yeah, honestly, we start to see a new John going forward after this moment. Entirely. Yeah. Before this, he was, like, essentially denying that Jack was his, um, and, like, he even, like, we talk about it in the game, he fucked off for a year. Yeah. Like, just to get away from the responsibility of having a son. True. But after Jack gets kidnapped, the Papa Bear in him, like, finally comes out. Dutch starts yelling out to Catherine Braithwaite to come out of the house, but she sends out her boys instead. Mm. A shootout ensues, and as you kill all of her kids and crew, you advance on the house. Ugh. And you shoot your way room to room looking for Jack and Mrs. Braithwaite. And you finally find the matriarch, and she's in her nightclothes, scared and angry. Dutch demands the boy, and she refuses to even acknowledge him. She yells, you killed my sons. And Dutch says, and I will surely kill the rest of them if you don't start talking. Oh, it's so fucking cool. She still refuses, so you pick her up and carry her out of the house, not before murdering two more of her sons in front of her. Hmm. She's screaming and kicking the whole way out, but she's also 70, so it's not much of a fight. Yeah. <laughs> Dutch asks if anyone's found Jack. They all report they've searched every room and no sign of him. So Dutch orders the house be burnt to the ground. And Mrs. Braithwaite screams as she watches her 120-year-old house burn. And with a gun to her head, she finally admits that her sons gave Jack to a man named Angelo Bronte in the city of Saint-Denis. He's either there or on a boat to Italy by now. Ugh. You leave her there to watch her family history burn to the ground in the middle of the night all alone. The following day, the group is discussing what to do next. John is scared Abigail will kill all of them if they don't get Jack back soon. Which is valid. This bitch is mad. And Dutch is mentally lowering the priority level of rescuing Jack. Honestly, one, I think he finds it kind of a lost cause at this point. Ugh. And two, he says that logically... 
they took him to scare them. So he is most likely in no harm because he's also four years old. Yeah, like who would do something to a four-year-old? And three, Hosea comes over and says there's another problem anyway, as the bald leader of the Pinkertons himself, Agent Milton, has just arrived in camp. Oh no, that's much more pressing. Okay. (laughs) And he starts greeting the gang members by name. Oh my god, it's fucking terrifying. But he doesn't know John. And he says, who are you? And John goes, I'm Rip Van Winkle. (laughs) He knew John before he got mauled, probably. (laughs) He's like, and then there's this fucking disfigured guy in his 20s. Yeah, and since Mr. Milton has just one other person with him, he's not there to make a bunch of arrests. He's there to make a deal. Ugh. And his deal, Dutch goes with him now, and the rest of them will be allowed to run. They have to vacate Clemens Point, but they can all leave. Dutch puts his hands up and agrees, but the rest of the gang does not. Ugh. Every gang member cocks their weapons and readies it, pointing at Milton and his deputy. And everyone, like, even Grimshaw's strapped. She's like, fuck this shit. Oh, yeah. Milton says he's returning with 50 men and that they had better be gone. Dutch asks, if we leave, will you stop following us? Milton says he can't do that and that Dutch is better off turning himself in to stop all this from continuing. Dutch still disagrees and Milton and his deputy write off in defeat. Dutch jumps into action and asks Arthur if he knows anywhere they can go. Arthur mentions the old abandoned plantation house where the weapon smugglers were hiding out. It's hidden by some, like, dense swamp land and still has a lot of open space and plenty of room. Dutch tells him to scout ahead and make sure it's empty, and Arthur and John clear out some squatters that have since moved in, and soon the caravan arrives and Dutch tells Miss Grimshaw and Pearson to work their magic. This is my favorite camp. Yeah, I know you love this camp. I, I'm not a big fan of this one. I love it. It's a cool house. While everyone is setting up camp, Dutch asks Arthur to ride out with him. And just before leaving, Dutch's girl Molly asks to speak with him. Dutch. And Dutch blows her off with a word, and Arthur and Dutch ride into Saint-Denis for their first time. And she looks very dejected. Oh yeah, she's really upset. Now, when I played this my first time, I really, like, from the moment you're free as Arthur, you can explore the entire map. You can go fucking anywhere you want, you can do whatever you want, you can see everything. But, like, I wanted to go as much, like, I wanted things to be revealed to me the way Rockstar wanted them to be revealed, you know? You didn't skip ahead. So I didn't skip ahead or anything like that. And when I played this, I avoided going to Saint-Denis early because, like, I just wanted to get that full experience. And I wanted to see it the same way that Arthur was seeing it for his first time. Mm. And Saint-Denis is modeled after the U.S. city of New Orleans, and it's home of our biggest Mardi Gras celebrations. In the late 1800s, it was a busy port city responsible for a vast amount of import and export and intercontinental trading. As a result... It was one of the wealthiest cities in America for a very long time. And Saint-Denis is absolutely representing New Orleans during this time period. And so that sounds like really grand, right? Well, we're seeing Saint-Denis for the first time through Arthur and Dutch's perspective. (laughs) To them, they see ugly black smoke coming from stacks. They see the people at the edge of town, the destitute and desperate. To them, Saint-Denis is the ugliest part of progress all rolled into one central location yeah arthur's really upset and he goes society (laughs) yeah they refer to it as repellent yeah i mean these people love living off the land they love living in nature they love just being on their own under the stars and they see you know hotels and houses and just tight places of commerce as truly hell (laughs) yeah even the music is gloomy and tortured 
<laughs> it's so gray in there. Yeah, so Dutch tells Arthur to head into town to see what he can find out, which leads into Chapter 4, Saint-Denis. Ah, Saint-Denis. You head into town with the intention of finding out more about Angelo Bronte. You go into a saloon and ask the bartender about him, and he suggests you keep it down and that whatever it is you're looking for, stop. Ooh. He tells you to tell Dutch the same thing because he was there earlier asking about him and he figures you two must be together. (laughs) You two idiots. As you leave the bar, drunk man stops you and asks you're talking about Mr. Big, Mr. Italian Spaghetti eating long streak of piss big. Spaghetti eating. (laughs) Right. Yeah, he doesn't like Angelo. Clearly. So you ask him where you can find him. He says you can ask some kids outside and they'll tell you. You go outside and find some street rat kids who offer to take you to Angelo for $5. As they're escorting you, one of them cuts your bag from your shoulder and takes off running. And honestly, it's kind of a great way to show off Saint-Denis and introduce you to kind of the layout of the town. That's true, because you do have to chase this kid for several blocks. Yeah, you got to chase this kid all throughout the streets. And, you know, there's horses getting in your way, people getting in your way, trolleys getting in your way. You know, it's it's a really great running sequence. And he leads you to an alleyway where you get surrounded by like a dozen kids with shotguns pointed at you. (laughs) Just children that are strapped. Right. And Arthur's not a bitch, so he figures out which kid is in charge. Starts yelling at him immediately. He's like, I paid that kid to take me to Bronte, and then he robbed me. And the leader like smacks the kid that robbed you and asks if you're new in town. (laughs) The leader of the group bullshits with you for a minute, but eventually tells you where Bronte lives. So they give you back your shit. And then he tells you to tell your boys to stop asking around town so goddamn much about Angelo Bronte. Because at this point, everybody in town knows you're looking for him. And you find Dutch faffing about in town, and you tell him where Bronte lives. Faffing about! He says it's time to pay him a visit and get Jack back. You go to Bronte's mansion, and his servants take you to see him. Ugh, yeah, because he has a whole staff. Yeah, and this music that he plays here is like straight out of The Godfather, and it's <laughs> meant to convey this sense of like a Wild West mafia dawn. Oh, it's so fucking cool. Yeah. Dutch gets right to the point and asks, why did Bronte take John's son? The Vandalins and the Brontes have never interacted before, so why would you ever take a stranger's son? Yeah. Bronte's a dick swinger. Ugh. He says, who the fuck does Dutch think he is coming into his house smelling and dressing like utter shit and then making accusations at him. He is showcasing nothing but the utmost hospitality and patience just by allowing them to breathe in his presence. He says all this while his servants all raise a whole like assortment of guns at Dutch and crew. (laughs) And you can see Dutch clench his asshole. He's, (laughs) So fucking scared and puts his hand in the air. But Dutch, his most powerful weapon is his tongue. Absolutely. He says that they are but simple country folk who got caught up in the middle of a dispute between the Braithwaites and the Brontes. Bronte says he knows they fucked with the liquor supply. Dutch says they were innocent bystanders in that situation and that the parts where they weren't innocent They were at least ignorant of all the facts. Bronte calls Dutch a liar and a thief and then starts laughing and says, I love this guy. (laughs) Which 
just such an insane thing to do. Oh, yeah. But it's very much the same way, like, where Dutch made all, like, a lot of his gang members, like, they tried to rob him. Yeah. All right, you're on my team. <laughs> that was pretty cool. Come on. He says he'll give Jack back, but he needs you to complete a job first so he can recoup his time and effort with Jack in the first place. Ugh, so creepy. And he tells you some thieves have been robbing graves but not paying their tribute to Angelo as they're supposed to when anyone steals in Saint-Denis. John and Arthur fuck off and take care of the grave robbers while Dutch stays back to talk with Bronte some more. When you return, Dutch is all pissy about how long it took you, <laughs> but Jack is with him, and you're all free to go home. Ugh. As you get back to camp, Dutch calls for Abigail, and she comes down crying. She's so excited and happy and relieved all at once. Jack talks about how much fun he had and how he got to eat lots of yummy Italian food. Yeah, he's like, have you ever had spaghetti? Yeah, honestly, he was never mistreated in any way. Totally. Just as Dutch had predicted. Yeah, I think they gave him house slippers and shit that uh, Jack was really stoked on. Yeah, no, Jack actually kind of had a really great time. Yeah, he had no idea he was being kidnapped. And the camp decides to have a party to celebrate the return of Jack. Hell yeah. Yeah, so that's the second party that you get to have with your camp. And again, it's super fun. There's lots of little side stories and shit going on in there. And I think that makes it a great place to talk Marriage Corner. Uh-oh, here we go. Welcome back to Marriage Corner, everyone. So prior to this, anytime you see Abigail, she is just screaming, go get my boy back. She is going up to John going, you call yourself a gunslinger? You can't even protect one boy? You're, you're not strong, men. She's just screaming nonstop. At the party, she's so soft, so sweet, so just happy to have her family back together. Yeah. And you can hear John go, well, you know, maybe you and Jack should move into my room. Mm. And Abigail's like, so we could be like a real family? It's like I said, John really takes a turn after Jack gets kidnapped. But not a big turn, because he goes, nah, you know, it's just good to conserve space and like... <laughs> You know, for safety so we can be together. And Abigail's like, you stupid sack of shit. I was trying to give you a way to be romantic. <laughs> I know. He's a dumb motherfucker, but he is still making a change. Yeah. And this, to your point, is truly where they really do turn a corner. And they finally, for the first time we've seen in the game, start actually sleeping in the same room as a family. And Jack's happy. Abigail's happy. And John really does try. He's, he doesn't drink as much. He really starts to focus on, you know, about losing Jack really scared him. Yeah. And this puts things into perspective. And this is where he really turns a corner to try. Not super hard. And he's still pretty dumb. And he's still he misses a lot of messages. But he's he's trying. Doing and the so, best he can. Yeah. Marriage Corner is in a better place. <laughs> Good. And that's your update on the Marstons. Well, a couple days later. Dutch tells you that Bronte has invited him to a party at the mayor of Saint-Denis' house. Tells you he's going to get you a nice suit to wear and everything. And Hosea makes fun of Dutch for being a star fucker. <laughs> Dutch can tell this is going to be more of a mission than a social event, but he wants everyone to blend in, so he wants them to have fun as well. As you approach Bronte, he congratulates you all on being bathed. Ugh. He turns to his friends and says, in Italian, so Dutch and company can't understand, but it is done in, like, subtitles, probably for the first time in months. Ugh. You're chatting with Bronte from a balcony overlooking the party, and he's pointing out all the important people of Saint-Denis, like the mayor, a couple of generals, a Native American chief, 
and he comments on how awful it is that one of the generals has a young wife. A young mistress, of course, but a young wife? That's gross. <laughs> he finally points out a newspaper owner and says, maybe someday I'll have you kill him for me. <laughs> it's probably not foreshadowing. And Dutch was like, dude, we're not fucking assassins. And Bronte looks at me and he's like, sure, Jan. <laughs> he shouts out to the crowd in Italian, I will enjoy watching you all die. Oh my God. While his buddies all laugh with him. And Dutch says he'll take his leave and Bronte tells you to go mingle with the scum of Saint-Denis. <laughs> and as you're about to depart, he asks Dutch, what are your plans while in Saint-Denis? Dutch says, no plan, just need some money and then the gang will move on. Bronte says the trolley station has a good amount of money and that he gives you permission to go ahead and rob it. Yeah. Then he says in Italian, now that they're gone, the good wine. While mingling, Arthur sees a drunk man bothering the mayor, so he gets rid of him, and the mayor is very grateful for the assist. During this interaction, Arthur gets introduced to his favorite author, but they get interrupted by a fireworks display. Because Arthur loves to read. Yeah, no, Arthur's very well-read, well-spoken. I think he gets that from Dutch, because Dutch also likes to wax poetic and talks about writers and things like that. Yeah, he recognizes the power of words, obviously. Mm -hmm. And the, he just realizes the more you read, the more you learn. Yeah. And so, yeah, the fact that Arthur gets like kind of geeks out about his favorite author is really cute. <laughs> it's really cute. And while the fireworks are going off, Arthur overhears a conversation between the mayor and his assistant. His assistant said that Cornwall was yelling at him over the phone and that he needs to speak with the mayor. Ugh. Cornwall's the bad guy. The mayor calls Cornwall a horse's ass and says <laughs> he regrets ever making a deal with him. Oh, it's so good. He says he's going to deal with him after the fireworks. Dutch tells you to find out what the deal is and what they worked on together. Arthur breaks into the mayor's office and finds a top secret confidential file in his desk, blah, 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 blah. With this contract in hand, Dutch decides it's time to dip out of the party. <laughs> he's like, this actually worked out pretty well. We got what we needed. Got my free drinks. Let's grab a go bag and go. And this is like where the game starts to take a bit of a turn and how the story missions play out. Mm -hmm. Because throughout the game, when you have a story mission, it's typically attached to a person. So like you go up and it says uh, Sadie is going to be this person. And so you'll do a Sadie mission. You'll do a Javier mission, blah, 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 blah. From here out, Dutch has a tendency to interrupt people's missions. <laughs> And he makes his priorities over theirs every fucking time. Yeah, he starts to get a little more unhinged. Yeah, and you don't get a choice in this matter either. So as I said, one mission can be with Sadie Adler, right? And you sit with Sadie and she starts talking about the future and whatnot and how she doesn't want to get all dressed up all the time anymore and just wants to be kind of like a female version of Arthur. <laughs> and Dutch walks up and says he needs Arthur now. Yeah. She asks Dutch, when is he going to let her go rob shit with him? And Dutch just pretends she doesn't even exist and tells <laughs> Arthur that with a couple more Sadies, they could take over the world. Yeah. Dutch takes you to the balcony of the old plantation you are squatting in, and you two share a smoke while he tells you about his latest recon in Saint-Denis. He checked out the trolley station, and he feels like it's actually a pretty simple job. Arthur is unsure because he's never pulled a job in a real city before. The police are many, and they shoot to kill. And those streets are narrow, and they it's crowded, so it'll be tricky to get out. Dutch promises his plan will be thoroughly researched and thought out, and they decide they'll need one more person to pull it off. Arthur suggests Lenny. Dutch thinks it should be Micah. 
Arthur argues that too many people die if you take Micah. <laughs> Which is valid. And Dutch is like, I just wish the two of you would get along for once. As you argue the merits of Micah, Dutch ends the conversation with a look of horror in his face. He's looking beyond Arthur, out over the balcony, and the camera turns to show what he's seeing. And coming into camp is Kieran, the former O'Driscoll turned Vanderland, riding a horse, and in his hands, he's holding his own head. <laughs> and this is like the most gory and gruesome scene in the entire game. Yeah, this is as bad as it gets, but it is pretty bad, guys. And like a woman immediately screams out, you know, because fucking you see that. Why would you not scream? Yeah, I think Marianne, whose whole arc is that she just wants to be a poet or a writer, is like, what the fuck? And Dutch sees movement along the tree line and the O'Driscolls open fire on the camp. Ugh. After the firefight, Dutch says it's time to move camp as it's just a matter of time before the Pinkertons know about this spot, too. Yeah. But before they move, they need money. Ugh. Dutch says, meet me at the trolley station. Arthur and Lenny meet with Dutch in Saint-Denis, and Dutch tells them that he met a man who will take them to Tahiti on a boat, complete with deed to some land when they get there. They just need this one score to make it work. Just one more job and I'm out. <laughs> and Arthur has never heard of Tahiti before, but he trusts Dutch, so he just follows along. Dutch sells them by being like, we can grow our own mangoes. And when the fuck has Arthur ever had a mango? Arthur's never heard of a mango. Yeah, he's like, is that a little person? Like, what's happening? And Lenny, who's 19, is like, okay. Yeah, <laughs> he's just happy to be involved. Dutch has honestly no plan whatsoever. And he just masks up and kicks in the door. And you take the trolley station and break into the safe and find $7. Oh, uh, which in today's money, mm. 50 bucks. Like, still not a lot of money. And within five seconds, the entire Saint-Denis police force is there. Which is a huge police force. And Arthur's like, well, this was a setup. <laughs> Somewhere, Jose is saying, I told you so. But a trolley goes by just as the police arrive, and you all three jump on and throw the conductor out. Ugh. And Arthur just goes, does this trolley go to Tahiti? <laughs> Because Arthur doesn't give a fuck. He's unrelentingly one of the best characters in any media ever. And Arthur tries to get the trolley to stop, but instead he just like rips the brakes out by accident. Oh, sweet giant bear boy. Ugh. And this trolley has like this epic wreck in the oh, streets. Yeah, it's so good. And the three steal a carriage and ride out of Saint-Denis, shooting and blowing shit up along the way. And when this carriage crashes, all three boys go flying. Oh, yeah. And I want to take a moment to point out Dutch lands on his head. Oh, yeah. <laughs> he has a concussion. He is fully concussed at this point. And I think at one point they're like, are you good? And he goes, no. <laughs> like, it's like I'm dizzy or I'm seeing stars or something. Like, oh, he yeah. absolutely has a very severe concussion. Yeah. So they finally pull over and Arthur divides the $7 they each made. And Dutch decides the only answer to their problem is to rob the Saint-Denis bank, even without Bronte's permission, because fuck Bronte at this point. Hell yeah. You get back to camp, and Dutch is insistent that you all rob the bank so you can be in Tahiti harvesting mangoes by year's end. And everyone's insistent that Dutch not fall asleep because he has a massive concussion. Right. And the problem is, if Bronte finds out you robbed the bank without his permission, he's going to fucking have you killed. Ugh. 
So the obvious thing is to kill him instead. Yeah. <laughs> Checkmate, motherfucker. But the hard part now is going to be getting near Bronte. True, because obviously he has the entire town under his thumb. Dutch knows a guy that can get you there at night by boat. To Bronte's? To Bronte's, because Bronte has waterfront property. Right. So the other day, Andrea asked me, what's your least favorite mission in Red Dead Redemption 2? <laughs> and I said this one. This is the worst mission. Dutch's friend that he knows has a boat, but his brother took it out into the swamp. And it is the middle of the fucking night, and you have to trudge through waist-deep, alligator-infested waters <laughs> at night to help this guy before he'll take you to Bronte's. And, like, of course there's alligator attacks. Yeah. This one random guy, his leg gets fucking torn off. Ugh. I think it's his arm. I think it's even worse than that. Yeah. This is, like, to me, this is actual horror. Yeah. No, it's gory. It's uh, fucking some Lake Placid shit, right? Yeah. Fuck this portion. I hate this portion. It is so fucking scary. Although, Arthur is very funny in this section. They're like, oh, well, let's hope Dutch gets eaten first. Yeah. Because <laughs> you're making me do this shit. You're... I'm throwing you out in front of me. And, uh, and they make a joke about how they're surrounded by ancient blood thirsty monsters. So Dutch should be right at home. Oh, <laughs> right, right. Arthur is ripping on Dutch the entire time because he's just like, fuck you for making me go with you. Well, the next night around dusk, Arthur, Dutch, John, Lenny and Bill meet at the boat to invade Bronte's mansion. And you shoot your way in and make your way to Bronte's room where he gives up fucking immediately <laughs> and offers you money. You tie him up and take him to Dutch instead, who's waiting back at the boat. And you load Bronte into the boat and take him for a ride. Oh, this, this really does get into some mafia gangster ass shit, to be real. Like, I know it's gory. I know it's genuinely scary and very viscerally upsetting. But fuck if it's not gangster as shit. Yeah, and Dutch is reveling in the fact that the rich and mighty Bronte was defeated by his country bumpkin ass. <laughs> He's like, hillbillies forever, motherfucker. Bronte says that Dutch is nothing and owns nothing, not even his own men, and then offers $1,000 to the person who puts a bullet in Dutch's head. And the gang just stares at Bronte. Hell yeah. And Dutch just goes, what now? Bronte says, now the dogs come and hunt you down and you get what you deserve. Dutch says to him that dogs are so good at smelling filth and offers to wash the filth off Bronte for him. Mm -hmm. Dutch shoves Bronte's head underwater and holds him there while he fights for his life. Dutch is pissed and keeps going, go ahead, call the Pinkertons, call him now, while this guy's just fucking drowning. <laughs> Eventually, Bronte stops struggling and goes limp. Dutch just tips him out of the boat, and we see a group of alligators approach the floating body. Oh. John just looks at Dutch, and he's like, what part of your philosophy books teaches about feeding a man to fucking alligators? <laughs> and Dutch just goes, it's the part that covers weakness. Oh, Dutch is so fucking cool. If it's gonna be us or him, it's gonna be fucking him. Like, he's concussed, but he's still a dick swinger. Oh my god, right? Well, now with Bronte out of the way, you can rob a bank. Uh, yeah. Yeah, that's the door that opened there. Let's go. <laughs> Jesus fuck. So the majority of the gang gathered around the planning table, and they're discussing the best course of action, and they decide the best time is during the day, while causing a huge distraction across town to draw the police. Dutch gives an impassioned speech about one last job, and farming mangoes in Tahiti, and the gang mounts up and excitedly rides out of camp. 
No part of Arthur believes this is the last job. <laughs> yeah, he's like, really? One more? Okay, sure. The gang successfully breaks into the bank and manages to make a pretty decent score out of it all. And they do this because Hosea and Abigail were across town causing a diversion to take the cops on that side of town. So they're like sitting pretty. They're like, oh, we got we got a couple of minutes because Hosea is starting a fire or some shit yeah. across town. Well, as you make your exit, you hear a voice from outside call out, Dutch Vanderlyn, come out. Uh-oh. And you look outside and Agent Milton is there. And he's got Hosea at gunpoint. Oh, no. John calls out that Abigail is also being held by them. And Dutch argues with Milton, saying that if Hosea dies, then a lot of innocent people are going to die as well. Yeah, because Hosea, not only is he the voice of reason, he is one of the more OG gang members. I think yeah. it was him and Dutch and then Arthur. So Hosea is like employee number two. Yeah, nobody's really allowed to disagree with Dutch. Except Hosea. Yeah. Hosea is the only person that Dutch will listen to if he disagrees. Yeah. And Milton doesn't care and knows he has Dutch outnumbered, as well as the authority to do whatever the fuck he wants. So Milton shoves Hosea towards the bank, seemingly letting him rejoin Dutch, and Hosea turns around in disbelief. And Milton shoots him in the chest. This one fucking hurt. And the gang watches as Hosea dies in the street, leading to an all-out fucking war with the Pinkertons through Saint-Denis. This one's fucking crazy. This is fucking epic. And you run through alleys and streets and on fucking rooftops. And on one of these rooftops, the gang regroups and decides how they should escape the city. Dutch says that John got arrested, but he's still alive. Arthur says that they need to move or they're going to be next. And Arthur suggests that Lenny scout up ahead and see if there's a path jumping from rooftop to rooftop. Dutch agrees and Lenny runs off with Arthur following behind. And Arthur's right behind him. Right fucking behind him. And Lenny jumps across a roof and as he does, a door opens on the roof and two agents step out. Arthur yells out one last Lenny. But this time it's in warning. And that warning is too late. And Lenny gets shot down dead. Ugh. Arthur immediately goes into Deadeye mode and kills the two agents. And, like, I've restarted this. I've gone back and tried a fucking hundred times. And it doesn't matter how fucking quickly you drop into Jedi mode. Like, you can't stop this from happening. Ugh. It is going to happen. And some gang members, like, don't stop while they're running by. Some of them do stop while they're running by. Kind of tells you who's the nice ones and who's the fucking pieces of shit in the gang. Yeah, you know? I believe it's Charles that takes a beat to be like, oh, fuck. Yeah, I mean, that can give you two guesses as to who didn't turn around. <laughs> and Arthur just stops in his tracks and is over Lenny, this young man that he had so much faith in and really was like, this is who I want to be my little brother. Like, fuck John. I love Lenny. I want to see him do well. I want to cultivate his career and his life and protect him. Yeah, and protect him. Arthur was very protective of Lenny. And now it's over. Yeah. Poor fucking Lenny. Poor fucking Lenny. And Lenny's just was always so sweet. And so full of love. And Lenny had a crush on a girl that was in the gang that passed right before the game started named mm. Jenny. It was Jenny and Lenny. Oh, Lenny. Well, the group gets back together in an abandoned house. And Arthur says that this was obviously another setup, just like Micah's fucking fairy job in Blackwater. And Micah's like, it's nothing like that. <laughs> At this point, there's Dutch, Arthur, Micah, Bill, and Javier. And Dutch decides the best course of action is to wait out until nightfall, sneak down to the docks, and get on a boat to just fucking somewhere. And wait out a couple of weeks, then come back for the rest of the gang, 
and then go to Tahiti from there. Because again, they did manage to steal a fuck ton of money. They sneaked down to the docks and managed to sneak onto a boat among some cargo. After the ship takes off, Dutch decides to reveal themselves as stowaways and make a deal with the captain for passage to wherever the boat might be headed. Dutch cuts his deal and they will be able to get off in Cuba in a couple of days and then they'll figure their way out from there. It's not great, but it is the best he could do. Micah just points off in the distance. He goes, well, I'm not a sailor, but do those clouds look good to you? There's a storm a brewing. Ugh, of course there fucking is. And while you're sleeping, that storm hits. The irony that Pearson's the one that was in the Navy and... <laughs> He's not on this. Is this really the only instance where he could have maybe been mildly useful? <laughs> yeah. And so you get out of bed and there's already shin-deep water in the sleeping quarters. Ugh. And Arthur gets separated from Dutch and they agree to meet up up top. And when Arthur gets up to the top, the whole fucking thing is on fire for some reason. <laughs> And Dutch and the rest of the crew are already in a rowboat, getting as far the fuck away as possible. So Arthur has no choice but to just jump out in the water. And this doesn't go great for him, and he gets knocked out by some debris. Somehow, once again, he survives and wakes up on a beach, barely able to walk. Oh. He starts walking through this desolate jungle island, tripping and stumbling and falling over. And we get another title card. Chapter 5. Guarma. Just after the title card, Arthur happens to stumble upon Dutch and the gang, who are in an alcove, also recovering from the storm, but in much better shape. They get Arthur some water and fill him in on where they are. The island is called Guarma, Avdi, and it's the second island east of Cuba. It's a sugar plantation island. Arthur asks if it's near Tahiti, and Dutch <laughs> goes, it's on the way, I guess. <laughs> like, kind of being a dick, but also being like, is this what we can expect? Yeah. Like, what's happening? <laughs> and as they're talking, they get surrounded by men with guns. Oh, shit. Uh, Dutch addresses the leader and explains that you're shipwreck survivors and mean absolutely no harm. The head guy has you tied up in ankle chains and says, if you're telling the truth, no harm will come to you. They walk you a ways and you come upon some more men with guns, beating up a group of three men who are also in chains. Dutch asks who the men in chains are, and he's told they're insurrectionists. They add the insurrectionists to this little chain gang, and they keep moving on. After some more walking, the head of one of the soldiers pops off as a group of insurrectionists who aren't arrested start firing on the people holding you captive. <laughs> After the shootout, you decide to join the insurrectionists as they're the ones who saved you. Yeah, and they're not the ones that put you in chains immediately, so, like, yeah. see what their deal is. But during the firefight, Javier did get shot and Dutch orders the gang to run and shouts back to Javier to have faith, and they'll come back for him. Faith! Uh, you get to the insurrectionist camp, and they offer you a boat in exchange for helping rescue a bunch of slaves. Mm. Doing so will also get you Javier back. Yeah, so you're like, word. You meet up with Dutch, who was told there would be a guide to get you through a back door into where the slaves are being kept. And you get to a cave, and Dutch calls out for Gloria, and a little old lady comes hobbling into frame. She's so tiny. She's so tiny, and she demands payment up front. And Dutch hands her a bar of gold, and as soon as she has the gold, she turns around and tells them to hurry. Dutch goes, well, that was the last piece of gold he had from the bank robbery, as the rest of it went down with the ship. Yeah. So now they have no more money left. 
She leads you through a series of tunnels and up to a ladder. When you approach the ladder, she demands more money and pulls a big-ass knife on Dutch. Dutch slaps the knife out of her hand and grabs the old lady by the throat. And then he just slams her head against the ladder repeatedly until she goes limp. Ugh. And just tosses her to the side. It's so dark. Oh, this is... Watching him murder a very old lady, like, I don't care if she pulled a knife. Like, Here's the thing, practically, he doesn't take the gold back. <laughs> no, he doesn't. It's not about the money, which is kind of scary. It's about asserting power, which is just creepy. Ugh. Judge yeah. is really, really desperate, and that concussion really knocked his uh, brain sponge around a little bit, you know? And Arthur's like, what the hell's wrong with you? And Dutch is like, I know some Spanish. She was going to kill us. Yeah, she's 4'8 and <laughs> 70 years old. And these are two men who are six feet tall, all muscle gunslingers. What are you doing? And Arthur's like, Dutch, you're just fucking killing at random these days. What the fuck happened to you? And Dutch just insists it's purely in the pursuit of survival, no matter what. Arthur asks him, like, what, okay, you know some Spanish. What did she say that made you believe she was going to kill you? And Dutch just goes, it was in her eyes. Ugh. No! <laughs> She's 70! That's glaucoma! Yeah, Arthur's like, what, are you going to fucking strangle me next? Like, seriously. So you watch as Javier gets dragged through the camp, and you and Dutch have a big ol' shootout and free a bunch of slaves in the process. Except for Javier. You get back to the insurrectionists, and they say that the slavers know your face now, and you're stuck in the middle of all of this. So you need to help them fully overthrow the local government before they can get you a boat out of there. You know, cue epic battle scene with chain guns and mortars blowing up boats and shit, and you manage to rescue a small island nation from slavery. You accidentally liberate an island on your way home. <laughs> right, and now Javier's safe now too, so it's like, go, go team go. Yeah, who's also the only member that can actually speak Spanish. <laughs> right. <laughs> like, I have zero faith that Dutch can speak Spanish. I'm sure he's just like, hola. Right, exactly. So you get to your escape boat to find out the captain has been kidnapped by the slavers and is being held in their little fortress. They're just keeping on this fucking island. Yeah. Micah also recommends destroying any artillery they may have so they can't fire on you when you finally sail away. It's actually not a bad idea. The only time Micah's been helpful. So you break in and blow up their cannons and find your captain. As you rescue him, a guard shows up and holds a gun at you. Then Dutch shows up and holds a gun at him. And then his boss shows up and holds a gun at Dutch. Ooh, what you say? And Arthur pulls his guns and points them at both the slavers. And we find ourselves in a classic Western standoff. <laughs> Just like in The Office. <laughs> Well, it ends up with the employee getting shot, the employer running, and you with a captain for the boat. There you go. It works out. The employer tries to shoot a cannon at you, but mm -hmm. you shoot one at him, and it kills him, leaving you finally free to leave this horrible little island of Guarma. What a dramatic bitch. Like, I'm just going to shoot a cannon at you. Get over yourself. On the boat ride home, Dutch tells you to go to Shady Bell to see if the gang is still there, and if they're not, see if they left a note or something so you can find them. The plan is for all of you to split up to see if there's anyone still looking for you after that bank robbery. This is why you always leave a note. But past that, Dutch really doesn't have much of a plan. Oh. But he loves plans! He still insists they just need some money so they can move to Tahiti. When Arthur gets to Shady Bell... He finds a note addressed to his alias, Tacitus Kilgore, with a coded message telling him where the gang moved. It was also clearly written by Sadie, because as you read it, 
Sadie's voice actress reads it out. And oh, that's right. There's some hints of sarcasm in her intonation. Like, she's not on screen. It's literally just text being read, and you still get such a great performance out of her. Ugh. Yeah. So fucking good. Sadie and the actress who plays her just favorite side characters entirely. Oh, yeah. And, like... That's who you want just to, like, be everything. She's just, she's so fucking good. Well, after you find that note and you're about to head out, some Pinkertons show up. Goddamn Pinkertons. But Arthur escapes knowing that the Pinkertons knew where you guys were and are still looking for you. Ugh. Arthur reunites with the gang and they tell him about John being caught by the police, but that he's still alive. And then Micah and Javier arrive and then eventually Dutch arrives and the gang fills you in on what happened after the bank robbery. So Sadie took the lead. Of course she fucking did. The baddest bitch. And packed up the camp and moved everyone to the spot in which they're currently hiding. While doing so, she and Charles fought off a whole platoon of Pinkertons by themselves. A platoon! And it's truly a platoon! They also managed to go and steal Hosea's body from the police and gave him a proper burial. Ugh, which, like, can you imagine... Yeah. Oh, it's so beautiful. They mentioned they were also able to find Lenny's body, too. Ugh. Bill is the last one to show up, and he's all pissed off because it took him so fucking long to find the new hideout. Because he's a fucking idiot. And within a minute of his arrival, the voice of Agent Milton rings out from outside, demanding they all come out with their hands up or they will open fire. Because they clearly are like, were you followed? And he says no. Yeah. <laughs> and then this immediately happens, and they're like, you fucking moron. And, like, they didn't just follow. They came with a fucking Gatling gun. Oh, my God. It's so wild. And they don't even wait for the gang to come out. They just open fire. Yeah. And it ends with Arthur eventually overtaking the Gatling gun and turning it on the Pinkertons in the end. Which is so satisfying. And Milton runs like the fucking bitch that he is. Yeah. Fuller hat bitch. Dutch jumps to action and tells the group to pack up and get ready to move camp again. Abigail starts yelling at Dutch that they're going to just fucking hang John, and Dutch still just brushes her off, assuring it's not going to happen. Abigail turns to Sadie and Arthur and begs them to save John for her, and Sadie agrees for the both of you. <laughs> because again, <laughs> the gang's like, you're doing this, it's for the good, and he's like, I guess I am. Well, it's one of those things where everybody in the gang is like, Arthur, you're not the fucking hardened asshole you think you are. You're a good person. Stop acting like you're not. It's the thing is that like Arthur's a lot of things. Loyal is at the top of that list. Yeah, he very. will. He cannot say no to the people he loves and cares about. And as much shit as he talks, that is the gang. He will live for that gang. He will die for that gang. That gang is everything to him. Yeah. So before you go and rescue him, um, one of the things that's been happening throughout these uh, last couple chapters is Arthur has started to develop a bit of a cough. Hmm. And it starts slow and occasional, but eventually it starts to increase with frequency. And occasionally Arthur will be like in the middle of a scene and suddenly get dizzy and start coughing harder. And sometimes he even passes out. In one such instance, Arthur passes out in Saint-Denis and is awakened by a kind stranger who actually helps Arthur get to a local doctor. So Arthur is coughing and wheezing and can barely stand, let alone walk. Mm. And he falls into the doctor's chair. Arthur describes his symptoms, coughing, sometimes with blood, and the doctor gives him a full checkup. After the checkup, he tells Arthur that he has tuberculosis, a fatal, debilitating disease. Much worse than lumbago. He received it from Thomas Downs, if you remember from way back in Chapter 2, when Arthur collected on a debt and yet coughed in his face. 
So he shared with Arthur that fatal disease. Arthur's pretty shook by this diagnosis. Like, he's in his mid-30s. Yeah. And he's got less than a year to live. Ugh. And he just kind of wanders the streets of Saint-Denis, contemplating his fate and reliving some of his life's moments and things people have said to him. But life goes on for now, and Arthur is tasked with finding the next camp as well, and he manages to find a new spot in the mouth of a cave. It's not the perfect spot, but it's a good one if they need to bottleneck any oncoming attackers. Yeah, like there is a lot of storage area because of the cave, and uh, the paths are very easy to kind of plot out. So when the gang arrives... Arthur asks Dutch what his plan is for what's next. And Dutch says he found out that Cornwall is buying a stake in a mine in a town called Annisburg. Just as Dutch is about to say his plan, his girlfriend Molly shouts, Dutch! Did you miss me, Dutch Vanderland? Oh, do it with the accent. It's such a thick Irish accent. Molly is straight FOB from Dublin. It is thick. It is at times offensive. It's really good. <laughs> Did you miss me, Dutch Vanderland? And she is coming out looking like Merida from Brave. Yeah. Just ro- <laughs> gorgeous, rolling red hair, green, just like, oh, pale as can be. Yeah, Uncle found Molly fucking pissed drunk in Saint-Denis and brought her to the new hideout. <laughs> the most useful uncle's ever been. And honestly, Dutch is just fucking over this girl at this point. Yeah, they really haven't been close in a long time. He's been concussed. Like, yeah, she's just and she, you know what? She really doesn't have a function in the gang aside from being girlfriend. Like, you know, Karen is a shit starter and a robber. Abigail is a pickpocket and a mother and a gang wife. You know, there's a couple other like Miss Grimshaw is another woman in the gang. Well, a lot of the women aside from Sadie aren't gunslingers. They do have their functions. You know, it, Pearson's not a gunslinger. He's useless, but he's a cook. Molly has no function in the gang aside <laughs> from being Dutch's piece. And like Dutch has been off in fucking Latin America for a while. Dutch has been up his own ass about shit. Dutch has got plans. They're burying friends. Molly's been bored, drunk, fucking useless and angry. Yeah. And Dutch is honestly just fucking over this girl at this point. Yeah. He's like, I don't have the time for you. Yeah. And she calls Dutch a sack of shit. <laughs> Which, like, a lot of the women keep doing to their mans in this game. <laughs> <laughs> and she goes, she's like, I'm not one of your gang. I'm supposed to be your girlfriend. And that it's wrong, you keep ignoring me. And he's like, I don't owe you shit. Yeah. <laughs> he's like, go back to Ireland. I don't give a fuck. So since Dutch never pays attention to her, she says something to guarantee Dutch pays attention to her. Mm, dummy. She tells Dutch and the entire gang... That she was the one who told Agent Milton where the gang was hiding, and about the bank robbery. And Dutch can't believe what he's hearing, and he pulls his fucking gun on her. Arthur immediately, like, gets in between and was like, hey, come on, she's just fucking drunk, like, this is not worth it. And Molly wants to take Dutch down another peg and makes fun of him for not having the upper hand for once. And Arthur tells Dutch to ignore her, and Dutch says she knows the rules. As Dutch turns to look at Molly again, a shot rings out, and Molly's stomach has a hole blown straight through it. The camera turns, and Miss Grimshaw is standing there with the fucking smoking shotgun in hand. Again, she is the mommy to Dutch's daddy, and you don't fuck around with mom and dad's house. She yells at Arthur that she knew the rules, and she orders a couple gang members to clean up the area and to burn the body. To burn the 
body is so fucking wild. Like, they went back and pulled Lenny's corpse off of a rooftop and gave him a proper burial when he caught a random bullet. And she's like, fuck Molly. She was useless. She was just here for fucking clout. Like, oh, fuck this bitch. Like, Grimshaw. Holy shit. And as Molly's body is being hoisted over the shoulder of Bill, this leads to an extremely somber cutaway to Chapter 6, Beaver Hollow. Well, Arthur finally makes his way over to a bar that Sadie had asked him to meet her at so that way they can plan John's rescue. Yeah, because they have to do this shit off campus now because Dutch is on a rampage. He's just on his own fucking mission at this point. Fully concussed. Just like, you know what? I know people keep getting separated at this point. Fuck them. <laughs> we'll figure it out. And he has these promises of like, it's part of the plan. Like the timing's not right. But it's like. When is the more optimal time to get someone out of prison? Yeah, and also the angel on his shoulder is dead. Yeah, so he's just left with the devil. Right, the devil that is Micah. Ugh, fucking Micah. Well, Sadie says that she noticed a change in Dutch since Guarma. Yeah. And asks Arthur, what the fuck happened? And he's like, so he revolutionized a colony. Arthur actually says, this has been coming long before Guarma. Sometime around the time of the Blackwater job, honestly, from before the game, when Arthur started to really notice the change. So Arthur's like, we've been on a decline, and then we added a lot of head injury to this decline, which is pretty bad. Well, Sadie has a new friend, and she wants to take you to meet this new friend, because she thinks this person can help bust John out of jail. Oh, I really enjoy this friend. Yeah, so you come to find a man in a field next to a giant hot air balloon. And he looks like a hot air balloon pilot. <laughs> what does that even mean? I mean, he's got a big ass white mustache, <laughs> a leather helmet, and like the big ass aviation goggles. Yeah, that's true. Okay. I fully <laughs> was just like, how whimsical of like a character is this? Nah, you're right. He's very whimsical. And you know, he's the kind of man that appreciates sitting in a wicker basket propelled by fire. <laughs> so, right. you know, he lives dangerously because logically that's not something you should do. Well, he tells Arthur that flying is going to be super fun. <laughs> like, why wouldn't it be? And then uh, Arthur goes, well, is Sadie coming along? And he says, oh, God, of course not. Women can't fly. Everyone knows that. Yeah, because of our periods. And a delicate flower like Mrs. Adler, she would never survive this. Which is the biggest lulls. Right, exactly. <laughs> the <laughs> Sadie idea. has murdered so many Pinkertons <laughs> and so many people at this point. But yeah, this delicate little fucking cactus over here. <laughs> I really like the weird sexism that comes from this time of like women can't vote they menstruate or right. like <laughs> you know <laughs> they need their lady breaks yeah <laughs> well arthur and the balloon man go high up above the clouds in this balloon and honestly like this for me is when i feel the happiest oh for arthur really yeah because in the 1800s he's getting to experience something hardly anybody has ever experienced 
That's true. Honestly, a lot of people don't experience it now. And like, yeah. I have zero desire to. You know why? It's wicker propelled by fire. But they didn't even have airplanes. That's true. You know, nobody flew above the clouds except for birds. Yeah. And like Arthur just breaks through and like even like as soon as he sees like the sky, he just goes, my God. It is pretty amazing. Yeah. And I mean, of course, in Rockstar has made this look absolutely incredible. Oh, yeah. Everything top to bottom in this game is absolutely beautiful. Well, you manage to fly the balloon to the prison colony where John is being kept. To the sky. And it's great, too, because at this point, they don't think to look to the sky. No. (laughs) No one's looking up. And you do manage to find him, but the guards manage to find you because somebody does eventually look up and they start shooting at you. Because they're like, oh, my God, what is happening? (laughs) No one knows what that shit is. And Arthur pulls hard on the cord going high into the sky and you fly off safe. That's really cool. This prison colony is like kind of on an island. Yeah. And you fly back to the mainland and to a town called Annisburg. That's the one that we were talking about before that Cornwall has a bottom mine in. Right. And you meet back up with Sadie. As you're like flying into the town, you see her getting chased by someone and being shot at. Oh, no. And you give her cover while making the balloon man get you closer and closer to the action so you can like actually try and scoop her up. In doing so, the balloon man gets shot. Oh, balloon man. And he falls out of the basket dead and he leaves Arthur all alone in the balloon. Ugh. But you know what? He had a lot of life in him. Before it was gone. But, you know, he had a good run is what I'm trying to say. This poor innocent man. He really just got into, like, met with the wrong fucking people. I know. And he's Sadie's new friend. He's like, this lovely lady wants a ride. Oh, no, I'm dead. And it's kind of like what Micah was saying before. It's like, oh, yeah, when Arthur gets involved and random people die, oh, it's just something. Well... Yeah. Yep. (laughs) Can't deny it. Well, Arthur manages to get a rope down to Sadie, and she jumps off her horse and grabs the dangling rope, and then Arthur pulls her up and into the basket. Nathan Drake, who? That is the coolest action hero shit. Oh, she's so badass. She's so fucking cool. And, like, they barely make their escape, and then they finally, like, crash landing and everything. Yeah, they crash, like, across a river and shit, then there's, like, it's super epic. Oh, yeah. Arthur just starts yelling at her for getting into whatever the fuck trouble she was in that she was running from these people to begin with. (laughs) He's like, really? We are doing recon, bitch. And she's like, motherfucker, those were O'Driscoll's. And I found out that Colm has been caught by the police and he's scheduled to be hanged in San Denis. So she's like, I'm sorry. Like, I get that this is a bad time, but I, I was just in the town and I was at the bar and fucking I overheard them talking about it. And, like, the balance of we're here to save Abigail's husband, and these are the people that killed mine. Yeah. Like, come on. That kind of outweighs the other thing. Entirely. So she says that Colm's been scheduled to hang twice already, and both times he's escaped. Ugh. So she is like, I can't let that happen again. In the meantime, since John has to do outdoor duty while in prison, she figures... It shouldn't be too hard to bust him free since he'll be outdoors and not behind bars. How hard can it be? Right. And she tells Arthur to meet up at a dock nearby where she'll have a boat waiting. So Arthur and Sadie go to the small prison colony island and sneaky sneak around and look out for John. So sneaky sneaks. Turns out John's got the day off. (laughs) In prison. So he's actually in the jail. And he's behind actual bars. Fucking John. So Arthur and Sadie 
use a guard as a hostage and offer to exchange him for John at the jail. Oh, it's so fucking cool. And the guard begs the jailers to let John out because he obviously doesn't want to die. <laughs> and they do let him out. But a shootout ensues anyway, and you escape to your little boat that you rode in on. So the three of you get on your horses, and you ride back to camp. And when you get back, Abigail is fucking through the roof, excited for your return. Yeah, she really stops talking shit, because she's just like, they keep taking my boys away from me. <laughs> like, my son was gone for so long, and then my man's left. Like, this is a fucking nightmare. I'm kind of over it. Like, let's just get my family back together. Dutch, on the other hand, is fucking pissed. Because it wasn't part of his plan. He walks up and says, John, what are you doing here? I hadn't sent for you yet. Ugh. Like, I hadn't sent for you yet. He's not even happy to see him alive. No. It's so fucked up. Ugh. Arthur tells Dutch he didn't care that Dutch said not to go, but that he decided to go anyway. The reason Dutch is mad is because now the Pinkertons might have followed them once again. Dutch had a plan, and now he doesn't know what's going to happen. Dutch questions the loyalty of his right-hand man at this point. Like, he's like, I, Arthur, I don't know who you're loyal to. And again, Arthur is loyal to the gang. Yeah. <laughs> like, to the point where he will go against other people's orders to do what's best for the gang, which is getting people out of jail and back with their families. Like, it's insane. Well, later on in Annisburg, Arthur goes to meet with Dutch and Micah, and they talk about how Micah thinks there's a rat in the gang. <gasps> a rat. The Pinkertons seem to keep showing up way the fuck too quickly. Yeah. There's a leak. A mole. And Arthur thinks it's just because they've been active and making, like, so much noise and causing problems literally everywhere they go. Yeah, I mean, like, the day Jose died, they literally, like, set a fire across town while they robbed the biggest bank in the city. Like, they're not laying low in any situation. Not, yeah, they make so much fucking noise everywhere they are. They set Braithwaite Manor on fire. <laughs> <laughs> they threw a man into the fucking swamps and, like, had him eaten. Yeah, they killed the master of the un the crime underbelly of Saint-Denis. Right. Like, come on. Micah thinks they should abandon the weaker members of the gang and start a new gang, smaller and mightier. Ugh. And to Dutch's credit, he rejects that idea fucking immediately. He's like, no, these people rely on me. And Arthur reminds Dutch the Pinkertons and Cornwall still want all of them dead and they need to lay low so they don't come knocking. Totally. And this entire sequence is like cinematically perfect. It's genuinely the entire thing. Arthur and Micah are always framed on opposite sides of Dutch for this entire fucking conversation. Ugh. And the entire time they are always overlapping one of Dutch's shoulders. Like it is so perfectly fucking framed. It is masterfully done. It makes you wonder why these people don't go on to direct movies very often totally well d you know dan hauser again this was his last project with rockstar and he yeah. did leave and he does have his own studio so who knows what he's got brewing up he hasn't released his schedule or his slate or anything but we can only hope because he is a brilliant brilliant mind well speaking of brilliant minds here's dutch's next plan oh this is a broken mind what are you talking about <laughs> <laughs> again horribly concussed he's like you know what you make a really good point that cornwall is still after us so why not just fucking rob him again 
Oh my god, that's not the situation. <laughs> Why? Because you know it doesn't get more people on your tail. Because <laughs> his, to be fair, his thesis is we make a lot of noise, we take all the money, and we get out. Like, yeah, that's his only plan. Yeah. And you know Cornwall has a lot of money, so let's just take his. Yeah. Well, they know where he's going to be in Annisburg because he's going to be coming to like finalize the paperwork on the mine. And Annisburg is a small port town and it has a dock and Cornwall arrives in his very fancy, very well armored boat. Ooh. And so Dutch and Arthur, they decide to like hide behind some crates to see what happens next because Dutch really has no fucking plan right now. Aside from get money and go to Tahiti. Yeah. Tahiti's barely a fucking plan. Let's face it. He doesn't know what Tahiti is. No. He's just saying, let's do that. I want a mango. I've heard they're great. So as the boat arrives and docks, Agent Milton exits the boat with Cornwall, thanking him for his hospitality. Ugh, that bowler hat wearing bitch. Cornwall tells him to shut it and to find Dutch Vanderland. He has given the Pinkertons a small fortune, and they haven't done jack shit about Dutch yet. That's fair. And if they are reporting back, they'll be like, we rolled up on the camp. We saw them all. Yeah. And then we dipped. And he's like, what the fuck, man? <laughs> like, Milton does keep connecting with the gang and not really doing too much. He did get Jose and Lenny, but it's like, yeah, and then you sent them. It basically fractured and into hiding for... Like, what, a month, realistically? Yeah. Maybe five, six weeks? So, reasonably, Cornwall's like, bro, you're fucking mid as fuck. Like, this is trash. Well, the Pinkertons do realize that they are trash, and they leave genuinely, like, with their tails between their legs. They feel like shit leaving. Punk-ass bitches. Cornwall spouts off a bunch of business tycoon phrases to some of his cronies, and <laughs> Dutch decides that right now is the perfect time to reveal himself. Ta-da. And Arthur like looks at him like, what the fuck are you doing? <laughs> In what world is this a good plan? And Dutch is like, I don't know. Let's just go for it. <laughs> and having watched the TV show Deadwood, I always felt like Cornwall is supposed to be like a representation of the Hearst family more than anyone else. Would okay. You, would you agree on that? Yeah. You know, money, power. I'm just going to do whatever I want because I can and I'm used to this. Yeah. Just like a tyrant of a wealthy man who thinks themselves like completely untouchable simply yeah. because they have money. And other people can be disposable. Yeah. And Dutch says that they are both so much alike, but that <laughs> Dutch is so much better. <laughs> they both kill and they both rob, but Dutch chooses who he kills and robs. Cornwall just destroys anything and everything in his past with no thought behind it. But we just saw Dutch murder an old lady like not that long ago, but go on. Yeah, but in this case, you know, Cornwall's representing, you know, like corporate America and just kind of the destruction they leave in their wake with just no fucking care as long as they make money. Yeah, that's true. And Dutch is like, I have a brain damage going on. <laughs> And also a gang, and it's better. And Dutch says to him, he's like, you know what? Give me 10 grand, I'll let you live, and I'll leave you alone for the rest of your life. Oh, shit. And Cornwall just laughs and turns to his, like, several armed men, saying he's not going to do such a thing. I feel like Dutch is one of those people that are like, unless you ask, it's always a no, but yeah. the question's <laughs> real bad. Like, <laughs> which, you know, <laughs> come on, buddy. 
And Dutch just goes, you know what? Good. I prefer to do it this way anyway. And he shoots Cornwall dead where he stands. Ugh. And another, you know, mission, another shootout, blah, 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 blah. Yeah, of course. But it is pretty satisfying because you're like, fuck you. Fuck the man. Oh, yeah. To have Dutch just kill fucking Cornwall right there is pretty good. Yeah. So after you escape Annisburg, the three of you talk about the next steps. And Dutch is no longer including Arthur in his plans. Ugh. And he's just very vague about all of his next moves. He just says, we got to make a lot of noise and we got to make our escape once and for all. Yeah. Charles enters the scene with an opportunity for Dutch to make a lot of noise. As I said before, Charles is Native American, but he doesn't like really belong to a specific tribe. He runs solely with the Vanderlands. Right, because his mother was Native American, but his father is black. Right. So he's half and I think that his lore is that he lived with his father more primarily, so he wasn't super in touch with um, his mother's community. So while he and he does pass as native, like he he looks more native than he looks black. So like he's he makes sense in the communities, but he doesn't have a lot of the the history and the cultural context for a lot of things. Absolutely, and like that's not to say that he's not down with you know his Native American side or anything. Yeah, because he, he still has quite a few friends. Oh, absolutely. Part yeah. of tribes. Yeah, he's totally down and he clearly has a lot of empathy and understanding for the community, but he just, I think he feels a little displaced in it because he's mixed and because he wasn't necessarily raised in his full childhood with the groups and, you know, he's been on the road for a long time. And yeah. I'm mixed. I get it. <laughs> Back in chapter five, uh, when we were at the mayor of San Denis party, Angelo Bronte was on the balcony pointing out people and he pointed out a Native American chief. Oh, yeah. In the background of, like, the main storyline is a story of the army forcing the Wapiti Native American tribe off their land. And the Wapitis are a fictional and composite of, like, a couple of real-life mountain and plains native tribes. This whole part has, like, a lot of politics, and there's also just a ton of racism. And for all his faults, like, Dutch is not racist, not in the least bit. And he's very supportive of everyone being allowed to live however they want. Mm -hmm. But he also sees this conflict between the Wapitis and the army as a chance to make some noise. I'd so, also like to just point out Micah is very racist to add to him being a scumbag of oh, all yeah. scumbags. Like in chapter one, Miss Grimshaw puts Micah in a room with Javier and Charlie and he says, why do I have to be with all of these people and he uses a slur to mean the people of color and yeah. he is a piece of shit from day one which in contrast you're like dutch if you fuck with racists that means you accept it like come on don't do this shit like tolerance for bigotry adds to bigotry what are you doing totally so there are parts of the section i just don't feel comfortable talking about and overall, it doesn't really contribute to the overall story. It just creates the noise that Dutch is trying to create. Mm -hmm. And through it all, Arthur, John, and Charles are caught up in Dutch's unclear schemes just to keep things from going off the rails. Yeah. <laughs> and they're also doing some damage control because Dutch will be like, I'm just going to start doing shit. And Charles is like, okay, so <laughs> yeah. let's talk to people and kind of smooth things out because Dutch is acting a fucking fool. And Arthur kind of has to go off and act on his own in a few instances and like kind of help both sides because it's really about like the native chief and his son not agreeing on how to handle the situation. So Arthur's mm -hmm. caught so fucking in the middle of all this and it's 
you know, it's kind of like the grays and the Braithwaite's again, but it's just more convoluted. Yeah. You know, and Dutch is really just trying to play two sides against each other. And Arthur and John and Charles are like, this is fucking terrible. Let's just try to keep this as from going as off the fucking rails as it could. Yeah. Dutch keeps insisting, like, if you guys can't understand my plan, that means nobody else can understand it either, including the Pinkertons. <laughs> Which is not a great strategy <laughs> right? I, I can appreciate chaos i can appreciate diversions but he's like if it's chaotic enough that no one knows what i'm doing you never let them know your next move no that's right a tiktok challenge not a war strategy <laughs> and all of this is causing arthur to just lose more and more faith in his mentor and best friend and getting in arguments with micah about how if there's a rat it's clearly fucking him. <laughs> He's like, you know how shit started going sideways the second you joined, you weird motherfucker. And there's like a really great moment during all of this where John and Arthur are talking about all the changes they're noticing in Dutch and all his crazy plans. And they're going to light a cigarette together and they look next to him and they realize they're standing next to a giant wagon full of explosives. <laughs> and they just kind of like. Look at each other. They throw the matches and the cigarettes away from them real fast. It's like, oh, bad idea. <laughs> Let's but, not join Dutch in the crazy. Yeah, exactly. But in this same conversation, Arthur makes John promise that when this next big job, whatever the hell it ends up being, is over, that he takes Abigail and Jack and runs far the fuck away because the Vanderlyn gang, it's just done. Yeah. Uh, Arthur's sickness really just starts to make him realize what he missed out in life. Yeah. He doesn't want John to miss out on those same things. So he's like, I can't have what you can fucking go have it. Yeah. And Arthur did have a taste of this. You know, there's a, there's some conversations you can unlock that allude to a family he had that mm. unfortunately passed and he wasn't there for them because he was yeah. fucking around in the gang. And he's like, John, I'm telling you as your shithead big brother, <laughs> you, your family gets keeps getting torn apart. You need to keep it together. That's what's important here, not this bullshit. Absolutely. And John's not the only one he's having this conversation with. Uh, he actually keeps going around to different gang members, telling them more or less the same thing. Uh, some of them aren't needed for any jobs, so they can go off and, you know, they're not part of Dutch's last score, so... Arthur starts sending people away. And honestly, in the end, before this this next big job, you know, they they do make an escape. They make a ton of noise. They they do what Dutch was trying to accomplish. But again, we're not going to like cover the details because it does get very ugly. And yeah, some of these people leaving, it's kind of sad. You know, you're just you're telling people that everything we've worked toward <laughs> worked for is is kind of over where there's no hope anymore. Go off and live your life. And so some of the people, you know, it's, it's happy to see them go. But some of them you like. Strauss, he fucking hates Strauss, so he throws him the fuck out of camp. And, oh, and, like, and he literally throws him. Yeah, picks him up and tosses his ass out of camp. Yeah, he's like, take your box, take your coat, fuck you. Get. I th at one point, he takes a handful of cash and just throws it at him. He's like, get the fuck out of here. I don't give a fuck where you go, but it's not here. Oh, it's so good. But before our last job, we do have one pretty major loose end to tie up that a lot of people in camp have a vested interest in happening. Arthur meets up with Dutch and Sadie at a bar in Saint-Denis because today is the day that Colonel Driscoll is going to be hanged. Oh, yes. 
And since he's escaped twice before, they want to make sure he swings. Hell yeah. Can I just also say, so Roger Clark, the voice of Arthur, is an Irish performer. Like, grew up in Ireland, has mm-hmm. an Irish accent, puts on the American accent. And in Ireland, column is pronounced column. Mm-hmm. And so Roger has to go against his like better judgment to call him Colm <laughs> through the American accent. And everyone calls him Colm. So it's there's just some really great irony of like the Irish performer having to use the shitty American accent to talk to someone with an Irish name. Yeah, no, I love that. Yeah. And actually, didn't a lot of the actors have like funny little rituals and stuff they went through before performing? Because, yeah, like you said, Roger Clark being Irish and then having to do an American accent. And I feel like they each had their own little thing that they did. Oh, my goodness. Yes. So like this is truly like a little bright spot before we get into some shit, because as you can tell, the whole gang's falling apart. So let's take a little break. I don't have a marriage corner, but I'm going to give you a behind-the-scenes corner for Chapter 6. How about that, everyone? Oh, that works. Gather around, Goombas. So I watched a lot of the panels that the cast has done because they're so charismatic. I love these performers so much. And they were talking about what their pre-filming rituals were. So, again, they filmed for 2,000 days. These people were hanging out all the time and they would hang out in the green room in their little ping pong suits, getting ready to get through their day. And here's what they all did before they went on stage. Dutch. And I'm just going to go by their character names because they also kind of align with their characters, which is so good. Dutch would do the New York Times crossword puzzle. A very Dutch thing to do. Yeah. Charles would be working out. Very him too. Very him. Reverend Swanson, who is a drunkard and an addict who does get sober throughout the game. Yeah, I was going to say, we haven't even mentioned Reverend Swanson. He's just like a preacher that is with the group, but he's a mess. He's a mess. He would just sleep. <laughs> he would just be napping in the green room, which fits the narrative. You guys get it. Yeah. Um, Micah would be doing gun tricks. Like he would be spinning his fake pistols and stuff. He's just a gunslinger. So that kind of that really works because that's all he cares about is like violence and chaos. I do think it's kind of cool because I do admit Micah has some pretty good like gun moves as he like puts his guns away. Yeah, no, he's very good. Uh, It shows like the the hard work paid off. Yeah. The guy that did Bill would just watch silly YouTube videos and (laughs) Bill's an idiot. (laughs) He's sweet and simple. Um, And then my favorite one, (sighs) sweet angel sack of shit, John Marston. (laughs) would just chain smoke cigarettes and chug Diet Coke and then go out and perform his ass off. <laughs> like, truly great performance. And I know we're shitting on him because I'm kind of Team Abigail, I guess. But, right. But yeah, no, he, incredible performances, especially with, like, the Braithwaite's and Jack and all of that incredible family dynamics. He does a beautiful performance. But yeah, just behind the scenes, he's just kind of... Treating it like he's a 19-year-old kid studying for finals, like chain-smoking cigarettes and chugging Diet Coke. Well, John's got a really gravelly voice, too, so the chain-smoking really helps. Yeah, yeah, I guess that's part of the jobs. and uh, But yeah, just also Diet Coke, because he's like, this is delicious. Uh, <laughs> Diet Coke is gross. I don't drink soda anymore. No, so I don't like, That would taste like pure syrup to me. Yeah. But hey, man, good for you. And that's all I have for... Uh, Behind the scenes corner, but yeah, it's, it's kind of nice just hearing that they do reflect their characters in other ways. Absolutely. And back to one of my favorite characters, Sadie Adler. So Sadie Adler, and as we said, since he's escaped twice before, they want to make sure he's getting hung. 
and they get Sadie like this really nice dress and themselves some police disguises so they can attend the hanging and ensure it happens. And she has like a sick ass hat too. She looks so wild. Oh, she's ready for the fucking derby. Yeah. Yeah. She got a big ass hat on. She looks fucking great. Mm-hmm. She looks great in everything. I love Sadie. And when they get to the location for the hanging, they notice a couple of O'Driscolls in the crowd near the gallows laughing and talking. Mm, suspicious. And they notice that the two O'Driscolls keep looking at the roof of a building across from the gallows, and Dutch instructs Arthur to go check it out. Mm. And last time Dutch instructed Arthur to go keep an eye on something above with an O'Driscoll, Arthur got kidnapped and beaten. True. But but okay, Dutch. Good call. Let's follow your orders again. And there's a gunman on the roof, and he does manage to get the jump on Arthur, but Arthur is a boss and takes him out with his bare hands. Hell yeah. And Arthur picks up the gunman's sniper rifle and watches the scene play out through the scope. Oh, it's so cool. So Colm's crimes are read out, and they are many, and they extend across at least five states. (laughs) Which is like, holy shit. And he's being brought out, like, completely tied up, and he's still in good spirits, laughing and joking about all the things that he's done. Yeah, he's like, try me, bitch. And just to shut him up, the hangman puts a gag in his mouth and, like, Keeps him quiet. (laughs) And Colm still just has the biggest fucking smile on his face. Shit-eating grin. I mean, you can see it through his eyes more than his his mouth because he's, you know, bound and gagged. (laughs) And then he watches as Sadie and Dutch grab the two guys in the crowd. And then he looks up and he sees Arthur on the roof and Arthur stands up and just fucking waves at him. It is the most satisfying fucking thing and you know arthur was so full of joy being like fuck you oh and the look on colm's face goes from smiling to actual terror to realizing he's literally gonna die in the next two moments oh yeah he's like oh fuck this is actually the end yeah (laughs) and we watch from under the gallows as colm's feet fall from above and come hanging into frame and we hear the sound of his neck just snap oh And so Sadie, who's still holding the other man, and she just whispers in his ear and he goes, how does it feel to watch someone you love die? And then she just screams, you ruined my life. And she pulls her knife across his throat in the middle of the fucking crowd. (laughs) She goes full fucking berserker mode. I fucking love Sadie so fucking much. (laughs) She's so cool. And as that man drops to the ground, She pulls a gun and shoots the guy Dutch is holding in the head (laughs) three fucking times before he hits the ground. (laughs) Just screaming, die, die, die. (laughs) She's so fucking cool. She is in a rage. She has bloodlust and it gave me a blood crush. Like, I love her so goddamn much. (laughs) And Arthur from up top on the uh, fucking roof, like he covers Dutch and Sadie as they make their escape out of Saint-Denis and Calm is just left there hanging Ugh, with like yeah. nobody in the crowd left he's just there alone yeah and it's great because there are a lot of people that went to witness it because you know that's that was entertainment oh <laughs> right now we just have true crime podcasts but, <laughs> you know it's it's kind of the same so there's civilians that were just like oh yeah that's just what we do on a thursday who were like holy shit now we're in like a shootout and then the pinkertons are obviously there because it's a police activity and they're like wait I thought we were just going to fucking wear our shirts and observe. Yeah. Now we have to work. (laughs) We were supposed to get lunch after this. This is my day off. God damn it. I'm not supposed to be here today. (laughs) 
Well, later on, while passing through Annisburg, Arthur runs into Mrs. Downs, the widow of the man who gave him tuberculosis. How did she not get tuberculosis? That's a really good question. And who's to say that she didn't? Okay, fair enough. Well, she's a sex worker now, and she's not looking too great. Oh. Almost as bad as Arthur. Oh, goodness. Arthur honestly wants to help her at this point, but she refuses his help. She does say that her son now has to go work in the mines, and he's going to die down there because the foreman picks on him and makes him do all the most dangerous fucking work. Mm. So Arthur goes to the foreman and sees him beating on Mrs. Down's son, and that guy's like 17 to 19 years old Uh, at the oldest. He's a fucking child. Could be Lenny's age. And like this poor kid like looks up and he's like, why the fuck is the killer of my father here? Yeah. And Arthur just beats the shit out of the foreman and then gives the kid like a ton of money and just says, go get your mom, get the fuck out of here and start over. Yeah. And the kid's like, I don't understand, but okay. Yeah. (laughs) I'm going to take the out. That's fine. Yeah. Arthur's just really trying to settle his scores, you know? Yeah. He's trying to tie up loose ends. And when Arthur meets up with Sadie later, she tells him there's actually still a couple more O'Driscolls she owes some vengeance upon and asks Arthur to help her hunt them down. Ugh. So they find the camp where they're hiding, and she mentions a fat feller with a beard that she has claimed to killing. <laughs> and so you murder the crew and round a corner and watch as Sadie stabs this fat fellow, and he just falls to the ground. And she mounts him and says, I told you you'd see me again. And then she hoists her knife over her head in both hands and just drives it all the way to the hilt into this guy's chest. Oh, it's so good. It's straight horror music playing through this entire scene. It's so good. And she just has like a spray of blood across her face and body like out of fucking Kill Bill. Yeah, it's a full Tarantino moment. And Arthur just goes, uh, are you okay? (laughs) (laughs) You good? And she's like, no, what they did to my husband turned me into a monster. Yeah. She's like, I used to be happy. I used to be a sweet woman. And my husband was the best man I ever know. And Arthur, you're a close second. Oh. So Sadie asks for some time to process her life now that she's fully gotten revenge. (laughs) She's like, cool, cool, cool. Now what? Yeah. So she's like that literally like, yeah, it's her kill bill list. It's it's. It's complete. What do I do now? Yeah. Kind of shit. So in the meantime, Arthur heads back to camp and Dutch is giving one of his speeches when the Wapiti tribe pulls up saying they are going to end the situation with the army once and for all by attacking them at night and they need Dutch's help. The gang agrees to ride out just to make sure the Wapitis are safe. Things go absolutely haywire. Obviously and immediately. Oh, absolutely immediately. (laughs) It's not even like a semblance of we got this, guys. It's like from the jump. Ah, we're fucked. And it becomes really clear fast that Dutch has a completely different agenda than anybody else anyway. And he did not communicate this to anyone. To fucking anyone. What he manages to find is a whole bunch of state bonds worth thousands of dollars in an office, something Arthur wasn't expecting, but Dutch, like, absolutely was. Out of nowhere, someone lunges from the side at Arthur and knocks him to the ground and holds a knife over Arthur's chest. And Arthur's seriously, like, fighting with all his strength. And he watches out of the corner of his eye as Dutch turns and leaves him to die. Dutch, who has guns on him. 
Dutch, who could easily make this go away, just walks away from Arthur. Just fucking walks. And the chief's son ends up saving Arthur and takes a bullet for him in the process. Ugh. And as they get out, Dutch is there and he's like, oh, good. You're all right. Let's get going. Yeah. (laughs) And Arthur's like, no thanks to you, fucko. And Arthur's fucking pissed. He's like, I watched you walk the fuck away. Are you kidding me right now? And Dutch is just a dick about it all, saying that Arthur just doesn't have faith anymore and doesn't trust him. He's like, yeah, with good reason. I just watched you walk away from me, motherfucker. Oh, it's so bad. So Arthur takes the chief's son back to the chief because he had gotten shot. He's not dead or anything. And Charles decides to stay with the tribe while the son recovers in the event they'll need protection. Oh, totally. And when Arthur arrives back at camp, there's hardly anyone left. Yeah. People have slowly been trickling out. Even fucking Pearson's gone at this point. Yeah. Which means there's no camp left to upgrade because that's how you upgraded the camp was through Pearson. And -hmm. like there's nothing more to be done. There's no more items to be made. All that's left are John, Abigail, Jack, Miss Grimshaw, Bill, Micah, and Javier. Which still sounds like a lot, but considering how many there used to be in the gang. Yeah. Just literal handful. Yeah. There's also two strange men who are buddies with Micah there as well. Dutch tells Arthur about a train coming through with payroll for that army that was sent in to mess with the Wapitis. Yeah, because grabbing payroll from someone else has always gone so well for the gang. So well. But apparently this is always a part of the complicated plan. Ugh. They're going to rob it, and then they're off to Tahiti. Mm -hmm, Yeah, because this is the actual last one. You know, one last score. (laughs) So Arthur insists that Dutch lets the women and Jack go free to survive on their own, no longer holding them to the gang. And John, too, so he can be with Abigail and Jack. And Dutch is like, who the fuck are you to give me orders? Like, he just starts treating Arthur like an absolute child, as if Dutch is allowing him to call the shots. Yeah, it's such bullshit. He's like, okay, well, whatever you say, pal, if you insist... But uh, we have to go rob the train first, okay? And he's just, he's so fucking condescending and like, oh, it's so awful. And Arthur is just coughing and wheezing and sick as shit this entire time. And Micah starts calling him Black Lung. Yeah. So the gang rides out to yet another, like I said, one last score. And they get to Annisburg where the plan is to board the train when it stops in town and then rob it. So everybody dismounts their horse and watch as the train just flies right through town, like, (laughs) without stopping. Like, you ever been in a subway and the train doesn't stop? It just does the same fucking thing. Just keeps going. And Arthur looks at it and goes, so am I supposed to sneak on now? (laughs) It's going full fucking blast. (laughs) He's like, are you fucking serious? And Dutch is like, all right, let's mount up. And they have to, like, run and chase after the train to catch up to it and board it that way. So they ride up to it and they take it over and manage to catch it on fire somehow. (laughs) Because they just always do that. They're not good at this, you know. (laughs) They've been doing this for a long time, and they're bad at it. And they're like, all right, let's uncouple the part that's on fire and just let that off the train. And the the money part is up front anyway, so let's just leave that part off. And so John, during all this, gets shot and falls off the train. Ugh, stupid, sweet, baby angel John. And Dutch, who's still on horseback, says he'll fall back to get John and tells Arthur, Sadie, and Bill to go forward to get the money off the train. And you succeed in doing so, and when you meet back up with Dutch and Micah, they tell you that John is dead, and that they need to go before a patrol shows up looking for them. Fuck. Like, the only person Arthur gave a shit about, like, making it through. It's fucking horrible. 
So you take the literal giant bags of money and ride back to camp. Like comically looking bags of money. <laughs> like imagine a bag of money. It's that. And then it gets worse because when you get back to camp, they tell you the Pinkertons were there earlier and they took Abigail. <gasps> they hid Jack, but Abigail's gone and they're going to try her for murder. Ugh. And Dutch is just like, well, sucks to be her. And Arthur's like, are you fucking serious? Yeah. Dutch is just like, well, too bad. And Micah is just like, yeah, she, she's just bait. They want Dutch to come out in the open so they can get the money they just stole back. And he keeps repeating the line to Dutch. It's just a girl, Dutch. Ugh. It's just a girl. And Dutch eventually goes, you're right, Micah. And for this, Arthur's done. Yeah. And Dutch rides off with Micah and the others, leaving Arthur, Jack, Tilly, and Sadie behind. I know we haven't really mentioned Tilly before. She's actually the only black female character in the gang, but she's wonderful. Everybody loves her. Oh, she's smart as hell and she's a badass. Yeah, no, Tilly's a fantastic character as well. We just didn't have time to talk about literally everyone. Yeah. <laughs> Sadie says just the two of you can easily get Abigail back. She sends Tilly and Jack off to a dock with a bunch of like the train job money and tells them to wait for Abigail there and then to leave from there. Yeah. Arthur turns to Sadie and says, Mrs. Adler, will you ride with me? And the two of you kick your horses into high gear and ride off to save Abigail. <laughs> I love them so much. I'm getting emotional. I know. I'm getting emotional, too. So you get to the town of Van Horn, where she's being held captive by Agent Milton. Sadie positions you in a sniper's nest to cover her while she goes into town to save Abigail. And if things go south, you shoot from afar. Things go south. Yeah. It's sweet because Arthur's like, what the fuck am I going to do up there? I'll roll with you. And she looks at him and she's like, honey, you're dying. She, but she calls him honey, yeah. too, which is like, <laughs> it's sweet. It's the softest we see, Sadie. It is truly like the most gentle, sweet. Like you get that glimpse of who she says she was before what happened to Jake happened to Jake yeah. for Arthur because Arthur is the second best person she's known. And it's her being protective and loving and caring and also paired with murder. So, <laughs> <laughs> but it's just, it's the most tender, gentle, subtle moment between them. And I love it. Yeah. It is. It is quite a nice moment for them. And from a few hundred yards away, Arthur does manage to get her like all the way to where Abigail's being kept. But then he watches through his scope as Sadie gets taken in and tied up. Oh, God damn it. Yeah, you're like in a lighthouse. It's kind of cool. Yeah. So this leaves Arthur's sickly ass to save both her and Abigail now. Hobbling ass coming down. <laughs> oh, it's so bad. He's coughing and wheezing. He just he can hardly fucking move anymore. It's bad. Yeah, his stamina is trash, so it's harder to run and like, ugh, it sucks. But he does kick in the door and kills the two agents standing guard over Abigail and Sadie. And as he's untying Abigail. Agent Milton comes from behind with a gun to Arthur's back. Ugh. Arthur turns around and Milton tells him he should have taken the offer he made so long ago by the lake when he was fishing with Jack. This bowler hat bitch. And Arthur's like, yeah, I should have. You're absolutely right. Milton says that not everyone is so loyal. Because Micah Bell has been feeding him information ever since they found him after he came back from Guarma. That fucking rat! <sighs> Ugh, I hate Micah so goddamn much. So many people died because of his bullshit. And Arthur's confused because he's like, hold up. Molly 
said she told you guys everything. And Milton's like, we tried to talk to Molly, but she wouldn't say a fucking word, so we let her go. She was loyal the whole time. The whole time. She lied just to piss off Dutch. She was just trying to get a fucking rise out of him. Ugh. And, like, it honestly shocks me that Micah has only been turning over information since Guarma. Yeah, truly. Like, if you would ask me, it started so much fucking earlier than that, all the way back maybe to even Blackwater. My theory is that he probably got picked up at Blackwater and made a deal or something, you know? <laughs> like, because they do keep showing up, like, how the fuck did they find Arthur while he was fishing? Ugh, fucking Micah. And this would be one of my few complaints about this game, is just that Micah has been, since minute one, a mustache-twirling bad guy. Yeah. Like, there's no redeeming qualities, no moments of levity or character growth. He is just pure villain. True. From the moment you meet him. Facts. But, you know what? He's a piece of shit anyway, and fuck, I, we have to fight him, then we have to fight him. Mm-hmm. So Arthur grabs at Milton's gun, and they struggle with it, and Milton starts to laugh because Arthur's just fucking coughing and losing his strength. And the gun lowers slowly, just pointing right between Arthur's eyes. Mm. And then a shot rings out, and Milton falls over dead, as Abigail had just fired a gun right into the side of his fucking temple. Hell yeah, mama. Oh, it's so good. Oh, Abigail is a baddie. And Milton fucking sucks, so it's so good to finally see his ass get killed. Oh, totally. And the three of you run out of town and stop to, like, regroup. Abigail asks, where's John? And Arthur tells her he's actually dead. But either way, she needs to get Jack and run. Yeah. And Abigail can't handle it. He tells her and Sadie to go meet with Tilly and just to get the fuck out. Yeah. He's going to buy them some time and keep Dutch distracted while they escape. Mm-hmm. Everyone knows this is the last time they'll be seeing each other, as Arthur is getting just sicker by the minute, and if a fight happens, nobody thinks Arthur's going to win. Yeah. Abigail gives Arthur a key and says it's the Duchess' chest containing the entirety of the gang's money haul. She says, I always was a good thief. Mm. And she and Sadie ride off together, while Arthur goes in the other direction, back to camp. <sighs> <laughs> this part's hard. As Arthur rides back, the song... That's the Way It Is by Daniel Lunoy plays over the sound of characters throughout the game talking about you and to you. It's an absolute perfect moment in this masterpiece of a game. The many miles we walk the song is soft and somber and gives you this epic feeling of a man going off for one last ride. And knowing it's his last ride. One last chance of redemption, if there is such a thing. The game's not hiding. This is Arthur's last mission. And not in that, like, this is the point of no return, that pop-up screen that you get in, like, so many different fucking kinds of games. Like, it, you don't get that in this game. But the mood is designed to ease the player into what's inevitably coming. And Arthur arrives at the camp, and it's just Micah, his buddies, Bill, Dutch, and Miss Grimshaw left. Micah says, oh good, Blacklong is back, on account of all your coughing. Ugh. Arthur tells Dutch that Abigail killed Agent Milton, but before he died, he admitted that Micah was the one who ratted them out to the Pinkertons. And Micah gets all defensive, saying, you can't trust the cops, which... 
I mean. Fair. But Arthur draws his gun, and Micah and his boys do the same. Dutch just kind of like stands there, not sure what to think. And then suddenly, John Marston X Machina comes <gasps> hobbling into camp and yells, Dutch, you left me to die. Unfucking killable. He survived the wolves. He survived prison. He survived the shot. Oh, it's so good. And Dutch says he didn't have a choice. Ugh. And we get like perfect fucking classic standoff music Ugh. playing in the background through like all of it. It's fucking delightful. Arthur tells Micah it's over and to give up and admit he talked. Miss Grimshaw comes and stands next to Arthur and tells Micah to put his guns down. Now Javier comes running in yelling that there's Pinkertons coming. So Micah uses the distraction that is Javier and shoots Miss Grimshaw in the stomach. Mom, that is Camp Mom. Fuck you. And that's the last straw for Dutch. And he draws both of his pistols, but he's really not sure who's on his side in this. Because he's pointing one at Micah and he's pointing one at Arthur. And so Dutch asks the group as a whole, while changing his targets, who's with him and who is betraying him. And he specifically uses the word betraying. Ugh. Which, ugh. I mean, he just, he loves that fucking word. And I, I think it's just because Dutch doesn't think of gray. He's black and white only. Mm-hmm. You're with, with me or you're against me. Yeah, everything's so fucking black and white. And, and Arthur has been realizing more and more there's a full world of gray out there. Yeah. Micah, his boys, Bill and Javier all join Dutch while John and Arthur stand their ground. And then the Pinkertons show up. I'd like to point out in this moment, because this was actually one of the the actor's choice, everyone on the Dutch side is pointing their guns at Arthur and John, but Javier is pointing his gun to the sky. Oh, really? Because the the performer was like, I don't think he would do that. I think he would follow Dutch, but I don't think he could in good faith point a gun at his brothers. I like that. That's pretty good. It's incredible. But the Pinkertons did show up, and so it is shootout time. So he's going to have to use that gun. Yeah. <laughs> and John and Arthur escape the ambush and call to their horses. And while waiting for them to come, Arthur tells John that Abigail and Jack are safe and that John should go join her. Arthur gives John some money and tells him to go and not to look back. And John and Arthur mount their horses and are soon confronted by Dutch and crew. And they're hunting you down. Ugh. This draws the attention of the Pinkertons, and Dutch and the gang run off, and the Pinkertons take over the chase. And as you run, an unavoidable tragedy occurs. Your horse, that you've been riding presumably this entire game, gets fatally shot, and you get thrown. And like, if you're fully bonded with that horse, which you should be by this point, Arthur yeah. bends down for one final moment with his horse. And thanks it for everything as the horse dies. This, I, I, this makes me cry. It's, it's such a hard scene to get through. Because in this, all this chaos, Arthur still takes a beat for silence. And he just thanks this horse that's been with him through so much. Fuck, dude. <laughs> it's so hard. Oh. Oh. Arthur and John kill the chasing Pinkertons and take a moment to regroup. And this is a choice moment. Uh, John says that his priority is his family. And that he wants Arthur to come with him to escape. But the money was left at the camp. And Arthur has the key Abigail gave him. So you get a choice. You can either go with John or to the camp. And honestly, the results are not that drastically different. Mm -hmm. Your endings here can depend on if you were 
honorable or dishonorable, and whether you went with John or didn't go with John. But in the end, the result is not going to be drastically that different. And the honorable route is to go with John. Yeah. And based on statistics from Rockstar, most people play an honorable playthrough for their first <laughs> run. So injured ass John and sick as fuck Arthur have to run and climb a mountain in order to escape. And it goes about as well as you'd expect. <laughs> Two hobbling ass dudes just like, this is a bad thing. Yeah, and Arthur is soon way too tired to continue. And he says, the two of you both know he's not going to make it. He gives John his hat, gun belt, and satchel, but he keeps the gun for himself. Says he'll hold off anyone that comes. And John says that you're brothers. And Arthur says he knows. This was the very last scene they shot for this game. Was it really? Their goodbye was truly the end of filming for... Fuck me. Damn. (laughs) I didn't cry this hard during the Bendy episode. (laughs) (laughs) But no, just hearing that they spent five years truly as this gang and as the core heart of the relationships together and their last scene truly was Arthur's goodbye to John breaks my fucking heart and it breaks my heart because of everything that this culminated to. It's so perfect. Well, eventually the gang shows up hunting you down one last time. And as you're firing down on them, Micah sneaks up behind and starts to grapple with you. Arthur grabs him and pulls him over the edge And they both fall about 30 feet to another ledge beneath them. Jesus. And they survive that fall, but have the wind knocked out of them for sure. And you both get back up and just start beating the ever-living shit out of each other with your bare hands. Hell yeah. Micah's saying he's going to hunt down John and Abigail next, kill them and Jack. The fight is like Abby and Ellie at the end, like that level of intensity in terms of like strangling and barely holding on to consciousness, like that kind of fight. Yeah, but it's very clear who the bad guy is instead of that ambiguous shit. <laughs> yeah. And, you know, like I said, that it's not that different if you had gone to camp, this fight still happens. Yeah, it just, it moves where the goodbye is more than anything. <laughs> yeah, it's just different location, pretty much same result. And Arthur eventually lands near his gun and manages to grab it But Micah kicks it far away. Piece of shit. And, like, after he kicked it far away from you, you have to, like, literally crawl to your gun. Micah's just laughing, saying you're never going to make it. He's up and moving. And he creeps up behind Arthur as he's crawling to the gun. But Arthur makes it to the gun. Just in time to see a foot come down on top of it. And it's Dutch's foot. Dutch just looks down and says, it's over. Mm. Arthur tells him once again, Micah's a fucking rat. Arthur tells Dutch he gave him everything he has, and Dutch just threw it all fucking away for a rat. And Micah, being the rat he is, tells Dutch, we won, let's go, buddy, and just keeps pretending Dutch's best friend isn't dying at his feet. Arthur and Dutch have spent 25 years together. It's fucking ridiculous, and, and fucking Micah's been here six months, and he's, like, just playing the survivor card. He's like, come on, we're survivors. We gotta go get the money and run. Ugh. And Arthur says that the only survivor is John. He's the one that made it out. Arthur says that, you know what? At least I tried to get out. Yeah. And Dutch turns and just walks away from Micah. And Micah turns and storms off in the opposite direction, just leaving Arthur there to let nature take its course. Ugh. Arthur crawls over to a rock ledge, 
and hoists himself up in a half-sitting, half-laying position. And he turns to watch the sunrise over the land we just spent the last 50-some hours exploring. And just incredible music plays and sings Arthur to sleep as his final resting place. If you play a dishonorable run, this plays out a bit differently, and Micah can either stab Arthur in the chest and just leave him to die, or shoot him in the face and leave him to die that way. Ugh. But yeah, it's uh, it's pretty tragic, and that is the end of Arthur. Ugh. And the game screen fades to black. <sighs> and then some years later, appears over the blackness, and we're taken back into the wilderness. A man, woman, and tween boy are in a wagon, and the woman is yelling at the man that their last encounter was too close. <laughs> it's revealed to be Abigail, John, and Jack. Well, you said it was a woman nagging a man, so... <laughs> <laughs> that really narrowed it down in terms of our characters here. <laughs> so Abigail clearly hasn't changed after this. And neither has John, because now you are playing as John. And... Canonically, it is seven years later after the events of Arthur dying. And Abigail is yelling at John for killing a guy that was robbing them and causing enough commotion that they had to move again. Which, that's self-defense. <laughs> to be fair, right? And that's kind of John's argument, too. He's like, what the fuck was I supposed to do? Just let him take everything? And she's like, just not cause problems, John. She really hates how bloodthirsty he is. <laughs> like, <laughs> right? She keeps calling that out as his worst trait. Like... If they were on the fucking newlyweds show, they'd be like, what's your pet peeve? He'd be like, she nags me too much. And she'd be like, he'd be murdering. Like, <laughs> it really gets under her skin. A little bit. They pull into my favorite town, Strawberry, looking to start over their lives. Again. John goes into the local general store looking for work and explains they got robbed and lost everything but their lives. And he says that his name is Jim Milton and stumbles when he does so. Milton. Because John's a fucking idiot. Yeah, he did not have this prepared. He is flying by the seat of his pants, just figuring it out as he goes along. Oh, John's a lot of things, but he's not a thinker. But he's also very lucky because the shopkeeper offers him immediate work, delivering a big order out to a nearby ranch. Yeah, he turns into a postmate. <laughs> right. John meets up with Abigail, and she's found work, too, cleaning up a doctor's office after surgery. Like, that's a, that's a on-the-spot hire? <laughs> yeah, right? She got Yikes. a job in a doctor's office immediately. In post-op. <laughs> the fuck? John rides out to the ranch with the supplies and asks the foreman if the owner, Mr. Geddes, was looking for any ranch hands. So, like, John just got a job and he's immediately looking for a new one. <laughs> John's the worst. The guy says that uh, Mr. Geddes does not like married ranch hands, actually. But John slash Jim says his wife, Agatha, and son, Lancelot, will pull their weight, too, especially if they can all live on the ranch. Like, Jim and John, I get. Abigail, Agatha kind of makes sense. But Jack? 
turns into Lancelot. <laughs> and it's, it's because John is trying to bond with his son. He's like, what you're reading? And he's like, oh, the fucking Knights of the Round Table. And John's like, I can't. I don't understand this kid. <laughs> I don't know how to reach this kid. Right, exactly. <laughs> and just as the foreman is about to reject this wonderful offer... A couple of hooligans approach, asking if Mr. Gettys is home. Hooligans, you say? And the foreman tells them to kick rocks. And they end up stealing John's wagon with all the supplies still on it. And John chases them down and gets the supplies and cart back. And since John proved himself useful, the foreman offers him a job, even though they do not like married ranch hands. Hell yeah, John. And John's like, don't worry, even Lancelot's gonna work. <laughs> But it's like, it's not just a gig. Like, this is a situation where he can live on site. You know, the whole family's there. It's kind of a community, so they can lay low. It's it's a good situation. Yeah, because the foreman points to a little shack at the end of the property. He's like, your family can stay there. And John walks into this cabin, and we officially begin. Epilogue, part one. Pronghorn Ranch. We've referenced the epilogue in this game before on this show in the Last of Us Part 2 episode. And it is notoriously long and arduous. <laughs> it takes this high-paced action shooter and brings it to a fucking grinding halt <laughs> with some bullshit-ass farming missions. Like, this shit becomes Farmville out of fucking nowhere. You literally milk a cow and it's like a QTE quick time event of just milking a cow. So we talked about before that Red Dead Redemption 2 is a prequel to Red Dead Redemption 1. And Red Dead Redemption 1 stars John Marston, for those of you who don't know. And like I held off on revealing that for a couple reasons because I wanted that death fake out to kind of work for you guys. <laughs> Hope it did. But second, like people who played the first game were so fucking excited to play as John Marston again when Red Dead Redemption 2 was announced. And they were initially pissed when this new character, Arthur Morgan, was announced as the main character. And now Arthur is dead, and those fans were finally given a chance to play as John Marston again. A character that people still today debate might be a better character than Arthur because of his character arc in Red Dead Redemption 1. I haven't played it yet, so I can't, like, actually, I can't comment yet, but, like, I don't love John more than Arthur in Red Dead Redemption 2. <laughs> That's clear. <laughs> But people who played Red Dead Redemption 1, some do love John Marston more than Arthur. Mm -hmm. And we're finally playing at him, and we are literally shoveling horse shit. Yep. You know, you have to press triangle and move the horse shit to a different pile, and Lancelot's like, this is stinky, Dad. Yeah. It's, I don't understand what the fucking thought process was in bringing this game to a screeching halt. <laughs> but, like, and I also want to remind everyone... The iconic Rob Whitehoff, who's just chain-smoking cigarettes yeah. and chugging Diet Coke between games where he was obviously one of the greatest protagonists of all time in video games, and then comes back for one of the most perfect video games of all time, was doing construction between jobs. <laughs> like, bless his fucking heart. That is so humble to even just work anything. Like, he could be doing commercials, and I'd be like, honestly, good for him. But he was like, hell yeah, I, I got a place in Indiana. Let's go fucking build a, build a house. Let's go. And uh, 
That's a little foreshadowing. Yes, and eventually John does meet Mr. Gettys and even introduces himself as John, uh, I, uh, I mean Jim. Like, it's like when a teenager gets a fake ID and does not do the practice run. Oh, yeah, and the foreman starts calling him John Jim from then on. John Jim! <laughs> and he's like, you know what? I don't fucking trust you, so you get all the hard work. And <laughs> Fair. The game thinks it's funny to make you actually have to do the hard work, too. Yeah. Like, it's fucking terrible. You have to build a fence, and you have to build a fence. That fence building takes so fucking long. Oh, my God. It's so awful, but it's the perfect game. (laughs) (laughs) And Abigail yells at John for starting his career in farming by hunting down some robbers. But John makes Jack help him shovel shit, and Abigail apparently quit the doctor's office because that never comes up again. Yeah, like she got a job and then never showed up. (laughs) And he had surgery and was like, where's my fucking cleaning nurse? The hell? And dumb shit ass John Marston, literally everybody on the ranch keeps being like, you don't know what the fuck you're doing, do you? Because like you don't know how to do ranch work. But you seem to know how to take care of thieves. (laughs) But you're really good with guns, so... And then John's like, yeah, but look, every time you teach me something, I do it well. And they're like, yeah, that's actually a pretty good point. You do know how to do it. They're like, yeah, eventually, man, but what the fuck? And like, he doesn't complain about it. I do. It's fucking (laughs) terrible and boring. Like, I'm hitting X and moving R3. Fuck this part. Anyway, you ever have that coworker that volunteers for literally every single thing that comes up but they just can't be seen as helpful yeah like that's john (laughs) like just eager and useless not an asset on any project and they're not like necessarily bad they're just not good at anything yeah but they show up yeah that's john so side story we get to find out about in this section mr and mrs gettys definitely fuck around on each other Because the missus tries to seduce John at one point, thinking the ranch didn't have any married ranch hands. And she mentions that Mr. is always out of town, chasing anything but the deals he claims he's making. Right? (laughs) Just a little fun drama for you. And I mentioned this a long time ago in the episode, but eventually some more trouble brews. And we get an absolutely delightful cameo (gasps) for any fan of Grand Theft Auto V. Or just fans of chaos. Yes. Stephen Ogg, the voice actor for the character Trevor Phillips, shows up as a member of a gang trying to run the Gettys off their land. I think you're not giving him enough of credit. He did mocap. He did so much <laughs> press. He embodied Trevor like no other motherfucker. Yeah. That is Trevor through and through. He did fucking fan videos like addressing Trevor. He is Trevor as so much more than VO. He physically embodies him in every way, shape, or form in the best and worst ways. He's just six inches taller. That's it. <laughs> and I'm not I, sure if he's Canadian. He is Canadian, I he believe. He is Canadian too? Okay. I believe he is Canadian. I love him so much. Oh, he's wonderful. Ugh. So he and John get in a fight that gets broken up by Abigail. And Trevor asks, what did John do to fail so badly that he ended up a shit shoveler with a family? (laughs) Which is also a very Trevor thing to say. Oh, yeah. I forgot what his real name is in the game. Like, he's Trevor. Yeah. He's just fucking Trevor. He's always going to be Trevor, unfortunately. He's very typecast because he's so goddamn good. And he tells them to let Mr. Gettys know he'll be back. And back he comes. At least his gang does. So in the middle of the night, John wakes up to a commotion. 
and the gang is there, and they've lit the barn on fire and are beating up the other farmhands. Fucking Trevor. This is just like when he went to take out the other meth family in love. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. I just really love him. And John does his thing and beats up a bunch of them. Turns out they were able to steal the cattle, and Mr. Geddes tells John to get his guns and mount up. Hell yeah, let's ride. John's like, uh, what guns? And Mr. Geddes says, I don't care what you used to do or what your name supposedly is. This is the land of second chances and I'm giving you yours. <laughs> I know what you're good at. Fucking do it. So John goes back to get his guns. Abigail tells John not to go and that he's put that life behind him, but he says he has to do his job. Again, her biggest pet peeve is murder. And John goes to the competing farm and lays waste to the entire group of people there. It's great, too, because... His game mechanics are slightly different from Arthur's, yeah. which kind of reflect his title more. So the Deadeye still exists, but it's slightly different. It um, sounds very different. Yeah. And the I think the actual animation does feel a little bit different as well. So there is a nice cultural shift. Cultural? I guess a tonal shift between the two protagonists um, yeah. so that, you know, the Red Dead 1 fans can feel that, oh, okay, this is this is what I remember. <laughs> And part of the way that Red Dead 1 kept the map, like, very segmented was by surrounding it with, like, a river. Because John, canonically, does not know how to swim. And so that's that's how they kept him within a certain section of the map without having to, like, turn it into an island or something like that, like they did with, like, Los Santos. What's great is that Arthur could swim. They figured out those issues a long time ago on how to solve those without having to pull bullshit like that. Mm -hmm. But now that you're John again, now you can't swim. (laughs) which I didn't know the first time playing the game because I didn't play Red Dead 1, so I never knew John couldn't swim. So there was one part where I was like, all right, I need to swim out to the... Why the fuck did John die? (laughs) So yeah, there are little mechanics like that that carry over between the two games that I I think is actually really smart on their part for continuing. Yeah. And then, okay, so John finally gets to confront Trevor and they have another fist fight. And during this fist fight, it's like taking place in a barn. John finds a sawed-off shotgun, and he stands over Trevor, and he takes the exact stance that is the cover to Red Dead Redemption 1. It's so good! And pulls the trigger. It looks fucking sick. It's perfect. It's so damn good. And John rides back to the Gettys farm. And he gets his praises from Mr. Gettys and the ranch hands, and he gets the stink eye and silent treatment from Abigail and Jack. Well, Jack's like just kind of a mama's voice. He's like, dad's being a dick again. And Abigail's like, I fucking told you to stop murdering. (laughs) Jack's like, I've been kidnapped because of your bullshit. Yeah, I had spaghetti. It was awesome. The next day, John bitches about how ranch life just isn't for him. And he says something that undertakers like him. Cows don't. (laughs) And then Abigail tells him about a property she read about in Blackwater called Beecher's Hope. Well, she didn't read about it. She heard about it because Abigail is still illiterate. No, she's been learning how to read. But it's like, it's not going well. No, she's not good at it. I think she had Jack read it to her. Yeah. (laughs) I think that's actually what the the language is because she, this bitch cannot read. That's right. She's like trying to, she was trying to like sound out strawberry when they were pulling into it too. Yeah. Yeah. She definitely didn't read a real estate listing. (laughs) That's fair. (laughs) And John asks how he can get a loan with a price on his head, and that was kind of the wrong thing to say. 
and Abigail blows up on him that everywhere you go, you reveal you're not really Jim Milton and that you're the big bad man with the gun, and then she and Jack have to pack up and move again. Hey, dipshit, be better at lying if you're gonna lie. Right. And the conversation gets interrupted by the foreman asking you to ride into Strawberry to pick up an order from the post. And Abigail says she ordered a dress that should be there too and asks John to pick it up. John decides to take Jack with him for some bonding time. Oh. And he even teaches Jack how to drive a wagon. It's kind of cute. It is sweet. And John gets to the post office and asks if there's any packages for Jim Milton. The postman has a need to say the name very loudly while he looks for packages and says there's nothing there. And John leans in and quietly says, how about John Marston? And there's one other guy in the shop we've never seen before. And when the postman loudly says, John Marston, while looking for the package, the man perks up and looks over. Still no packages. Hmm. John asks for Abigail Roberts, and the guy does his shtick and finally finds the package. When the stranger heard Abigail Roberts, he hustled out the door. And John then says he is picking up the delivery for Pronghorn Ranch, and the guy is like, oh, we have a fuck ton of shit for you, so hold on, I'll load that up for you. And as he loads it up, he calls you Mr. Marston again, and John corrects him, saying it's Milton now, and the postman's like, whatever, and walks off. (laughs) He's like, I'm not invested in this. (laughs) (laughs) And John and Jack start heading back, and John starts to notice people following. Uh-oh. It starts with one, then he sees people watching from side roads, and then from cliffs. And John tells Jack to stop the wagon, pull over, and hide behind a fallen tree. And John confronts the people following. They ask if you're John Marston and mention a bounty. So John just kills them all with his own dead eye. There it is. When he gets back to the house, Jack blows past Abigail, and she yells at John for getting Jack into harm's way, and he says it was her stupid dress that caused the whole thing. And then she says it wasn't a dress. It was a gift for you. You dipshit. The next day, John gets a telegram that he is not expecting at all. It says, Dear Jim Milton, if this is the JM I think this is, then this is Sadie Adler. She says she has some work for him and to meet her in a saloon in Valentine. And you go back to Abigail about it, and she and Jack are gone. She had a lady in town write a literal Dear John letter because <laughs> Abigail can't write. <laughs> Again, she is illiterate. And she's mad that he can't put his past behind him and can't stop killing. But worst of all, he almost got Jack killed, and so she had to leave. Mm. Kind of fair. Y- like, you get her. She's literally like... I'm in this as long as you please stop murdering people. And he's like, bet. And then he just keeps murdering people. And she's like, really? I had one fucking request. Yeah. Like, you know, some people are like, hey, don't smoke cigarettes. Like, understandable. Abigail's just like, please stop murdering. Stop being a bloodthirsty moron. And he's like, yeah, it's going to be a no from me. (laughs) I'm going to pass on that. I'm going to smoke and kill, in fact. Yeah. So John pulls out the package that he thought was a dress, and that's because that's literally the only thing she left behind, and it's just this really nice dress shirt for him. Mm. And the foreman comes in, he's like, yeah, I saw them leaving. He's like, oh, what, they hear about the guys that you killed in Strawberry? Because <laughs> <laughs> word got around real fucking quick. Yeah, and then he finally he's like, seriously, who the fuck are you? And John goes, I'm a family man. Oh my god, what a dork. And one would hope the exciting stuff would happen now that John is on his own. 
but it doesn't. Not really, no. <laughs> it's a long ass montage of John working at the ranch. <laughs> Just continuing to work at the ranch. Saving money to buy that place in Beecher's Hope for Abigail and Jack so he can prove that he's changed. Oh, well, family guys aren't always the most like interesting but they are sweet oh again i can't understand why they do this it's such a fucking drag like it's so boring compared to what we've been playing prior to this it it does it does slow down and then it just fades to black and says a few months later (laughs) like we're doing another fucking time jump and john is now a good worker and he asks to speak to mr gettys for some advice on how to go about buying some property do you think he smashed Mrs. Getty as well? He was like alone. I wouldn't blame him if he did. Fuck Abigail. No, fuck Mrs. Getty's. Oh, that's the point. <laughs> you know, sometimes you get lonely. You're like, I'm working my ass off to buy a house for this bitch that hates me and <laughs> literally has called me a sack of shit, has verbally and physically abused me <laughs> and doesn't understand my murderous lifestyle. You're not far off. John's basically like, I worked really hard for six months. I deserve a house. <sighs> okay, boomer. <laughs> and so Mr. Getty is like, well, I've got a distant cousin at the bank in Blackwater that will help you secure a loan so you can buy the place. And John goes back to his cabin, pulls a chest from under the bed, and finally dons his cool cowboy hat and cool cowboy outfit. And now John is finally free to move about the map at his leisure. Ugh. John's cowboy outfit is like a ripped vest and like a black hat. Like he looks punk as fuck. Oh yeah, and it's still Arthur's hat, which I love. I know, that's so sweet. And that hat, like if you look at some old pictures, there's pictures of like Arthur's dad, who looks exactly like Arthur, mm-hmm. wearing that hat too. Ugh. So yeah, it's like a whole thing. And that hat does appear in L.A. Noir. Oh, does it really? Yes. I did not know that. Well, this we're in the 1900s now, the early 1900s, and then L.A. Noir is in the 1920s. That's true. It's not that long la- later. Yeah. I think it's 1907, right? Yeah. Something like that. Yeah, something like that. Yeah. So let's call it 15-ish odd years later, it does show up in L.A. Noir. Yeah. And honestly, Red Dead 1 takes place in like 1914. Wow. Yeah. So it's weird to think that Red Dead 1 takes place in the 1900s even. Yeah, right? <laughs> Anyway, so the entire game so far, the southwest portion of the map was blacked out for Arthur because he was wanted dead or alive in those areas. Remember, we mentioned, like, you can try to, like, go off and venture into them without, like, trying to get caught, and you can't. Right. And now that, like, it's years and years later, this section is fully open to you as they're not, like, actively looking for John at this point either. Yeah, it's also been so long since the events of, like, Milton and Cornwall and all that shit. And as it turns out, this is the map from Red Dead Redemption 1. It's so cool. But there's just... They kept this all so sealed and there's not a lot to do with it. Yeah, there's like three reasonable towns. Yeah. Uh, One Uh, of them is fully like in a plague state and (laughs) is kind of wild, but it's very just a lot of desert. Yeah, they get like one or two missions, maybe some bounties, but there's really no story happening in any of those towns because the real missions get saved for Red Dead 1. Yeah. And you also get everything that you collected as Arthur back, which is nice. Except for your horse because, you know, it died. Because, <laughs> you know, that didn't go well. And even if you like, you put some horses into storage or into stables, like you don't get to keep them either. Oh, yeah. Horses don't live that long. Like <laughs> it's been a long time. 
It's also interesting because any missions you didn't finish or even didn't start as Arthur, you can actually do as John. And like even years and years later, like even if you were in the middle of a mission, the characters just kind of slightly adjust their conversation to be talking to John instead of Arthur. Yeah. Often poorly. But anyway. <laughs> it's fine. While you explore the new map, as well as the old one, you also have the chance to randomly encounter former gang members, and you can catch up with them and what they've been up to. So, for example, even Pearson has somehow managed to find a wife and make a life for himself. Yeah, he's running the store in Rhodes? I think in Rhodes, yeah. He runs yeah. like the general store. Yeah, which, which feels good for him. He can interact with people, spin his yarns, sell a fruit... Yeah. <laughs> it's good. Make his stew. It's great. And this is the first time you can actually get into Blackwater proper as well in Red Dead Redemption 2, which was like the Saint-Denis of the first Red Dead Redemption 1. Yeah, it's a cool city. There's a great saloon there. Yeah. And even being the big city, like I think by Red Dead 2 standards, it's probably the third largest city. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But eventually you head out to Valentine and meet up with your dear old friend, Sadie Adler. Yeah. And she is twice as badass as she was several years ago. Somehow. She really has become her own version of Arthur. Mm-hmm. Like, she wears leather. She's got a gun belt and a bandolier across her chest. Like, she's a fucking badass. Out here like Chewbacca and shit. And just to show how much of a badass she is, she's standing at the bar, and a couple of men are heckling her about how she's dressed and how she should be in a kitchen somewhere, and Sadie, she's not fucking having it. So... She stabs the guy through the hand into the bar and then smashes a bottle over the other guy's head. <laughs> I love her so much. John has to like wrench the knife out to get the one dude's hand free. <laughs> and then he just tells them both to get the fuck out. Yeah. <laughs> and Sadie is full ass ready to draw her weapons even though they're running. Yeah. And then she's like, oh, what's up? Yeah. And then she's like, oh, John, what up? Yeah. <laughs> oh, it's my friend. Yeah. Everything's fine. I'm good. And so she's like, you ever done bounty hunting before? And he's like, I mean, if it's legal, let's go for it. She's like, yeah, perfect. Let's go. And he's so, like, I've been on the other end of it, but. Yeah, right. <laughs> Entirely. So you basically do bounty hunting tutorial again, even though you've done it as Arthur. Yeah. But you relay to Sadie that you need money because you're going to buy Beecher's Hope. And it does not matter how much money you actually have as John. Yeah, which is really annoying. Yeah, because you get all of Arthur's money, and if he was fucking loaded, John's loaded too. But that doesn't really matter because John needs money. And it's not that hard to bankroll. No, I mean, there's so much gold to find in this game. Yeah. Eventually, you head into Blackwater and visit the banker, and he gets you the loan that you need to buy your property. Uh, you clear out the squatters that are there while you fix up the paperwork. You can do all sorts of things to clear them out, too. Like those squatters, good, bad. It's just, it doesn't really matter. There's no more honor being yeah. tracked in this game. So you can kill them or just run them off. Yeah, they're like, fuck it. Just have fun. But Beecher's Hope is a fucking shithole. <laughs> it's just a dead plot of land. It is crusty, dusty, like dry ass land. There's a rundown shack on it. But it's the spot Abigail wanted, and John can't farm, but damn it, he's going to try. Because, again, Abigail's illiterate and trying to read a real estate uh, listing for this place, and she's like, that sounds great. I have no idea what these fucking words mean. And when you return to the bank, you get your deed, and you exit the bank, and you hear a familiar, obnoxious, 
voice call out to you. Oh no. And Uncle comes lumbering over to mooch off you since he saw you go into a bank. <laughs> and you know he's got terminal back pain. He's got terminal lumbago, and so he uses that to strike up some sympathy. And everyone hates Uncle again, so John's like, oh no. I don't want to do this. And Uncle mooches his ass to Beecher's Hope with you and tells you, God, this place is a shithole made for farming rocks. <laughs> and he's like, thanks, this is my life savings. And we get another wonderful montage of Uncle watching John clean the place up. Yeah, it's John like weeding and shit and like picking up trash and Uncle being like, yeah, you missed a spot. Oh, yeah. Two people could do it much quicker, but you know, lumbago. It's lumbago. And then the scene fades to black, and we get Epilogue, Part 2, Beecher's Hope. I promise this is the last one. All that fence building at the other farm paid off because we come back to John putting the finishing touches on his own fence. Oh. Thank the fuck Christ. <laughs> that you don't have to do it. Oh my God, yes. Because the fence looks good. Complete with like an arching entryway and oh. everything to the property with a nice looking road leading up to the shithole shack that's still there. <laughs> and Uncle loves the shack as it's literally the only cure for his lumbago to lay down. Yeah. <laughs> the only cure for the lumbago it's the only place with shade like obviously there's nothing nice growing there so he's like this is my spot thank you john uncle says that he heard former gang member and friend charles smith was spotted in saint denis oh shit that's our friend so they decide to hop on a train and go see him and they get to saint denis and immediately start bitching about it and how much they hate it <laughs> like this is terrible everybody hates saint denis it's fucking hilarious it's really funny because like obviously with our state of point we're like oh big city that sounds great and these like wilderness ass cowboys are like this is the fucking worst place on earth and they find charles in like a little back alley doing street fights Ugh. and he tells them that he's actually throwing fights for money hmm. john offers to get him out of it and charles quickly accepts which <laughs> Let's also mention that Beecher's Hope and Saint-Denis are as fucking far as possible <laughs> on this goddamn map. Oh, truly. They are absolutely opposite ends of the map. It's like if you went from like Arizona to New Orleans. And literally, not even Arthur could get this far away from Saint-Denis. <laughs> Beecher's Hope is that far into the blacked out section of the map. Oh, yeah. You absolutely could never get that far. Oh, yeah. So, like, if they run, they're so far fucking away from Saint-Denis, like, Charles won't ever get found. Yeah, entirely. So, S Charles decides not to throw the fight, and they make their bets, and they win fucking big. Yeah, it's great. And people get pissed. Mm -hmm. Which cues an epic escape, and even Uncle doesn't fuck it up. <laughs> Somehow. So now the three amigos are hanging out together at the shack, and Uncle starts ranting that Abigail is never going to come live in this outhouse... What the fuck does he think he's accomplished so far? Which is valid, but also really bitchy. He's like, what'd you do? You cleaned up a shithole? Way to go. It's still a shithole. Like, Uncle's a useless shithead, but he's not lying. Yeah. I also think he probably snuck a peek at the loan paperwork. <laughs> oh, yeah, entirely. He's, he's slimy. 
Yeah, I mean, John is a Scottish sack of shit after all. So <laughs> those are Abigail's words, not not yours. And Uncle for sure saw the part that says John can use the money to build a house on the land. Yeah, but John doesn't think that far ahead, so he's like, "I did the thing." No, John doesn't understand paperwork, so he's like, "I can do what?" And Uncle's like, "You fucking moron! You can buy a house." <laughs> they come pre-made. And Uncle's like, let me show you how shitty this is. And he ties the shack up to two horses and they just pull it down. (laughs) Which is the most things Uncle has done in the whole game. Also, they haven't built the fucking house yet. Where are you going to stay while you're building the fucking place? Yeah. (laughs) Uncle, you've ruined everything. Well, Uncle does know a guy in town who sells house kits. I don't know what the fuck a house kit is, but it's like an Ikea house, you know? Yeah, I mean, Amazon sells tiny house kits now that are That's like true. Sears 15 grand or something. Yeah, Sears used to sell houses. Yeah, so you get it. But you don't get any choice in the matter, even though there's like a whole ass catalog, which kind of sucks. I wish you could have like picked which house you build. Yeah, totally. I would have done like a Mike Brady house or something. And somebody absolutely dies in the process of getting it back to the ranch. <laughs> That's true. <laughs> but it's nobody important, so like who gives a shit? Yeah, it was a task rabbit. Yeah. <laughs> it was just someone in the gig economy, man. And, you know, you get the kit back to the ranch, and Uncle's like, all right, I'll supervise. Because I have lumbago. Terminal lumbago and all. But thankfully, Charles is there, and he is jacked and yoked, so he's like, let's go. He is very able-bodied and a good friend, so he's very willing to help. Charles is just pure of heart and wonderful. And we are probably treated to Andrea's favorite (laughs) part of the epilogue. I sing this a lot, but I do not know the words. <laughs> it is such a cheesy ass house. It's like, we're gonna build a house and we'll build it up quick. We'll build it on up with a pile of sticks. It, it's so fucking bad. <laughs> I, I think you did a better job than I did. It's like, it's house time, it's house time, we're gonna build a house now. <laughs> it's, it's fucking great and I love it. And I, as much as I've like listened to it and I enjoy it, I do not know how it goes. I mean, honestly, I think we're going to probably have it playing like right now here. Let's just go quiet for a second so we can play it. Well, let me have a rule and a saw and a board and I'll cut it. I'll climb up a ladder with a hammer and a nail and I'll nail it. Well, we worked so hard to build a little house together. Yeah, it's a playable montage. That was fucking yeah. great. So, and you hammer so many fucking nails. <laughs> And this shit is long as fuck. (laughs) But it's so great with the music. And it would go so much faster if Uncle didn't have fucking lumbago. (laughs) But of course, this is keeping him from doing a goddamn thing. Right, obviously. Uh, There's one funny scene, though, where he tries to dance with Charles at night at this one point, and Charles is like, fuck you, no. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, because they're all just getting drunk after a long day of building a house. And Uncle's like, me too. And they're like, go fuck yourself. And they're not even building the house like where the shack was. So they didn't need to tear it down at any fucking point. And and, like Uncle just forced them to sleep outside. Yeah, (laughs) because Uncle fucking sucks. (sighs) Fucking morons. But, you know, you've got this group of idiots trying to build a house. Yeah. And so they're sleeping in the dirt the entire time. (laughs) And I'd say, like, building the house takes probably a solid month, right? I think that's very fair. And in the end, they build this fucking gigantic dope as 
fuck ranch home. Oh, it is gorgeous. Like, like there's this wraparound patio. It's fucking sick. Oh my god, this is a beautiful home anyone would be proud of owning. Yeah, they picked a really good one out of the catalog. Like, let alone building with your own fucking bare hands. Yeah. That's pretty sick. Totally. And to be real, John killed it building this house. He did. He got a lot from learning how to do ranch shit, you yeah. know? <laughs> And that road and the fence, they all tie together like so nicely. And mm-hmm. now John has a home with his friend and uncle. <laughs> Which makes it sound pretty bad. <laughs> all he needs is his wife and child. Yeah. Also, his interior decorating is shit. Well, <laughs> he's been focused on the exterior for so long. Yeah, like his homemaking skills on point. Interior skills fucking horrible. I mean, have you seen a single dude's house that he shares with two other dudes? Oh, entirely. It's never going to be cute. lived in that house. <laughs> yeah. And John writes a letter to Abigail explaining how Uncle and Charles have entered the picture and how he bought and built her a home for her and Jack. And, like, he knows that Jack's going to have to read this because, again, Abigail's illiterate. Illiterate as fuck. And John gets further into debt as he wants to build a barn to go with the house. Doesn't Uncle bully him into that? He's like, well, what the fuck are you going to do with all this land? You need a barn. Yeah. And, like, I think it also just has to go with, like, you kind of always want the next toy, the next project, you know? Yeah, that's fair. And he's always worrying about money troubles. And he's, like, walking through the streets of Blackwater. Also, this is all still the same playable cutscene. <laughs> like, from the start time you start building this house, this is all just one long fucking cutscene. Yeah. Sadie Adler happens to be across the street, and she runs over to say hi and offer you a chance at some money. But it's just like some bounty hunting again. John gets the money for the barn through bounty hunting and builds it in, like, the blink of an eye. Yeah, because he's done this before now. He's like, oh, I got this. Let's throw the fucking walls up. Yeah, and, like, then he and the boys are drinking and celebrating, and they're just, like, happy having, like, built this whole life together. Still the same cutscene. And next day, John awakens to Charles saying that Uncle has been taken by something called a group of Skinners. And honestly, there's a moment where they're like, is that okay, though? (laughs) (laughs) Are we that mad? Should we go get him? Okay, we should go get him. Charles always does the right thing. Yeah. And Charles can track them, and he does. And you get to their campsite, and Uncle is in a horrific state this is pretty gory like it's gross he is splayed out naked over a low fire and they're cooking him alive and like he is cut up and just in a total state of shit yeah this is way worse than lumbago and like part of me for some reason expected the skinners to be native americans and the first one is wearing native american clothing but they're all white men dressed as Native Americans. Which is so much worse. I, I fucking like, love it, actually. You know, it's such like that, that fucking I'm 116th Cherokee kind of bullshit. You know? <laughs> <laughs> I claim this shit. Fuck you. Yeah, exactly. They use some like fucking ratio that doesn't make any sense whatsoever. And these people are literal cannibals. I'm a third. Yeah. They're cannibalizing the Native American dress and then they're cannibalizing humans. <laughs> Both culture and people. Yeah. and. You do manage to get Uncle home, and Charles reassures you that you're going to be safe. Time passes, and John grows a beard. (laughs) To show that time has passed. How else would you be able to tell? Right. And he is turning his shell of a farm into an actual farm. Aww. And he looks out at the end of the drive, and he sees Abigail and Jack walking up the lane. 
and John is shook. Ugh. Abigail is satisfied with John's work. Satisfied? <laughs> <laughs> what a bitch. I love her. But not as satisfied as Jack, who is slightly more satisfied. Because he, again, is a city mouse and is like, there's a roof over my head. This is the best day. Yeah, he is an indoor cat. And, you know, Jack being a tween boy now, I still don't care for the acting. And is a completely different actor. I don't know. There's something about Jack. Jack's just... Fuck them kids. He just always sounds fake as a young child and somehow faker as an older Jack. Oh. I, I don't get it. But anyway, more time passes. And one day... Sadie shows up and offers more bounty hunting work. And this sets off Abigail, as she did not realize that's how John had been making his money. It's like, you bloodthirsty son of a bitch. And Sadie mentions, like, this is all perfectly legal. But also, there's something else she wants to talk about. She says that she's heard Micah is in the area with his buddies. And she wants to investigate the rumor some more, but she says it does sound like it's him. Ugh. And this sets Abigail the fuck off. And like they gave up on all that bullshit so many fucking years ago and she just wants nothing to do with it. Yeah. Abigail agrees to let John go bounty hunting if he gives up on any idea that he's going to go after Micah. You have to pick a lane of bloodlust, okay, babe? <laughs> <laughs> Thanks I'll let for the you house. Satisfy this bit if you ignore that bit. Yeah. <laughs> While hunting the bounty, Sadie gives some more details on Micah. She wouldn't feel comfortable going after him alone. John wants to keep his word to Abigail, but says that if Micah starts fucking around, let him know and he'll help her out. So John decides to go back home to Abigail, and she's all pissed at Uncle for being useless-ass Uncle. Yeah, of course. Naturally. And she and John are discussing kicking him the fuck out <laughs> when a wagon pulls up. How about we abandon the old man <laughs> who clearly was just kidnapped and almost eaten alive? With terminal lumbago. And, and to John's credit, he's like, honestly, uncle's not as bad as he used to be. He really helped out get this place up and running. I, I think he feels does like feel terrible about what happened to him. He supervised the shit out of me and Charles doing all the work. Yeah, they really do have to like give a good reason for why uncle sticks around. Yeah. And so they're talking about kicking him out, but then this wagon pulls up, and it's the sons of Mr. Geddes. Oh, hey and, guys. And they're bringing John and Abigail a fuck ton of furniture that the Geddes found in an attic and wanted to give them as a housewarming gift. Ah, oh, such sweethearts. And Abigail has never turned down a gift and accepts it so excitedly. Oh my god, wouldn't you though? You have this, this beautiful house completely empty and someone comes up and is like, let me furnish this for free? Oh yeah. That's the dream! Oh, yeah, absolutely. And John and Abigail decide to round out some of the furniture with a trip into Blackwater to finish off some of the homemaking stuff they still need. And honestly, it's just a really sweet date day with Abigail and John where they yeah. buy some drapes and they get their photo taken. She makes fun of him, too. They're posing and she's like, OK, gunslinger. Oh, yeah. She is totally like cheesing it up. She's, and then she like turns to the cameraman. She's like, oh, don't worry. John will be back. He loved doing this. <laughs> and John's like, I'm trying to have a fun afternoon with you. Oh, yeah. And like John's like, nope, date day's still not over. He takes her out on a little sunset boat ride and like this little rowboat that they found out like while they're going on a walk along the water and shit. And so he rows them out a little ways and then approaches Abigail on one knee mm. and proposes marriage to her. Press X to propose. To which she responds, John, we're already married. 
<laughs> you stupid sack of shit. <laughs> Fucking hey, love dumbass. That. <laughs> John's like, we're not like real married. I want to get real married to you, like a ceremony and everything. And of all the different lives they've lived together, gang members, outlaws, survivors, and now farmers. This is his favorite life, so he wants to marry her in this one. Ugh. And commit to this life that they've built for themselves. And Jack. Do you think they love each other? I think by this point they do. Yeah. I think it took John some time. Mm-hmm. I think Abigail was... I think Abigail wanted the security that John could provide. Yeah. But she didn't want it to be like, he'll shoot people security. He just She <laughs> just wants like... A provider security. Yeah, just someone to come home to for comfort. And obviously, out of all the pieces of shit that were in the Vanderlyn gang, she thought John was the best of them. Yeah, when Arthur was right there. I mean, Arthur even said John was the best of them, so... Anyway. Anyway. The next morning. Oh, so she says yes, of course. Oh, yeah. Absolutely. Oh, yeah. It's It's a big yes moment. It's cute. And then the ring, the ring that John proposes to Abigail with is a ring that Arthur left him. That's right. Yeah, that's totally right. He found it in like the bag and shit. It's a ring that Arthur's had and that meant a lot to Arthur. And it was passed down to John. And now John gets to use it to bring his family together. And that's all Arthur ever wanted. It really is. Yeah. So it's really perfect that Arthur still gets to do that in death. And the next morning, after what was likely an incredible night of sex, Sadie rolls up saying she's found where Micah is hiding. Then you find out, not really, but she has a good enough lead. (laughs) One of his boys is in Strawberry getting drunk right now. And if they roll up on him, they can get him to lead them to Micah. No problem. Ugh. He just got engaged a day ago. (laughs) And Abigail speaks for John and says he doesn't want to go. And uh, Charles immediately is like, I'll ride with you, Sadie. (laughs) Charles is like, I'm not tied to this shit. Let's go. Yeah, and John overrides Abigail and decides he's going as well. And she's like, are you fucking serious? And Abigail begs him not to go. But John says that he owes Sadie and Arthur for what they've done so he can start his life over. Truly begs him. Just one last job. Because we haven't heard that before. (laughs) So the three of them get the information from Micah's boy, and you find out he's hiding high up in the mountains. Up in the snow level area. Right back where it all began. Ugh. Kind of. Not really close to it, but same kind of atmosphere. But visually, yeah. Yeah. (laughs) And it takes them a solid day and a half to get there, and on their way up, they get ambushed. During the ambush, Charles gets shot. Ugh. And Sadie, tragically, gets brutally stabbed in the stomach. Mm -hmm. And John carries Sadie over to where Charles is bleeding out. And she keeps insisting she isn't dying, that she just needs a minute to rest. And she says, go on, get Micah, I'll be right along. So you leave Sadie and Charles behind in a sea of red snow. Micah has accumulated such a following over the years. You have to mow down like, a huge group of bad guys across a sprawling camp spread throughout this mountain, too. It really is, like, so many. Yeah, this is a bigger gang than Dutch Vanderland ever had. It's probably bigger than the fucking O'Driscolls. But, you know, that's Micah for you. Yeah. <laughs> and you finally come upon a lookout tower on the edge of a cliff. Kind of like the one tower in uh, Firewatch. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah. And John calls for Micah to come out and show himself. And Micah comes out and asks him how the whore is doing. <gasps> oh, he's the worst. <laughs> I fucking hate Micah. And John even says she didn't think it was worth the time to kill Micah. But he felt differently. <laughs> and Micah says when it's all over, he'll pay her and the boy a little visit. Oh, Micah just sucks. God, I hate him so much. And Micah pulls his gun and he and John get into a full-blown shootout. And Micah manages to find some good cover and has John pinned down. When badass of the fucking century, mm-hmm. Sadie fucking Adler, flanks Micah and has him in her crosshairs and tells him it's time to die like a man. Even though she's stumbling, John is now in a better position and has him dead to rights as well. Absolutely. And Micah recognizes that this and like he puts his gun away. He says that today is bringing all sorts of social calls. <gasps> and just at that moment, the door to the lookout tower kicks open from the inside. And Dutch Vanderland is standing there, a gun in each hand, pointing pretty much everyone. Ugh. And Micah takes the opportunity to wrestle Sadie. Piece of shit. Her being stabbed and all, he manages to steal her gun and take her hostage. Ugh. And John keeps going back and forth, like pointing his gun at Dutch, then at Micah, while Dutch only has one gun raised and he keeps it on John. Ugh. And Micah tells John he and Dutch are teaming up again now that they have the money and team they need. John and Dutch argue over who betrayed whom. Ultimately, there's only one betrayer in their midst, and it isn't either of them. Absolutely. Dutch is sick of it, and he raises his other hand and shoots Micah. Hell yeah. And Micah drops Sadie, and John enters Deadeye mode. Hell yeah. And you have a clear path. Oh, there's and, nothing blocking you. And you can unfucking load And you do everything you have into Micah. It's every single round goes right into him. And I shot him in the dick every single time. It was just like, I'm unloading on the crotch. Fuck you. And Micah, his body full of holes, pulls a total bill from Kill Bill and turns and makes five steps and falls down dead in the snow. Ugh, because the bride finally got her revenge and Sadie fucking rides again. This is Sadie's game. We just keep playing as the boys. Right, and John tries to thank Dutch, and Dutch just stalks off and away. He doesn't give a fuck. Absolute fucking silence. Piece of shit. Sadie tells John that Micah's group has found the Blackwater job's money, the one the Vanderlands fucked up trying to get from before the start of the game. Yeah. And John goes into the lookout tower and finds a small fortune that he splits with Sadie. Ugh. Charles is fine, too, and I imagine he also got a cut. Yeah. We next see the three heroes riding back home to Abigail, Jack, and useless-ass uncle. <laughs> We're all, like, kind of just hanging out being like, man, I hope our family doesn't die. <laughs> <laughs> Abigail runs to John, hugging him and just happy to see he's alive. And some music starts playing, and we're treated to a lovely montage featuring John and Abigail's wedding. Oh, it's so sweet. And we get some Pinkerton agents, and they come stumbling onto Micah's dead body. And these are all just, like, kind of cuts of scenes. It's just, like, kind of flashes. There's no vocal lines. It's just over music. Yeah. We get to see Charles and Sadie each make their exits from the farm after mm -hmm. their recoveries. 
Uh, we get glimpses of some of the former gang members and what they're doing in their lives and shit. Yeah. Like you get to see, uh, we mentioned Tilly earlier. We didn't really talk about her too much, but she's with like a husband and a kid now. Mm-hmm. We get to see, uh, who's the writer? Uh, Marianne. Marianne. She's off being a writer now today. Like, yeah, you get to see some fl- some glimpses of them. Yeah, it's Pearson just like restocking shelves and shit. Yeah, and like looking at like picture of the old times and just kind of smiling about it and shit, you know. <laughs> But then you also see the Pinkertons asking townsfolk questions and said townsfolk kind of pointing off vaguely, you know. Ugh. Then you get a bunch of nature shots. Then we're treated to Arthur's grave. Ugh. And it looks different based on your honor level when you died. Mm-hmm. But, you know, it can be barren. It can be covered in flowers. And his ex can be seen crying at his headstone. Yeah. Which is played by Roger Clark, by the way. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like, when they have scenes with her interacting it is the uh female actress and voice actress but for this scene specifically there are no lines so they just had roger to do the body (laughs) for it and he's like i was mourning myself at my own funeral yeah it's great pretty funny and then john teaches jack about farming and horse rearing oh all while being watched from a distance by those pinkerton agents who look at each other nod and walk away And then this is followed by a few more nature shots and then the Wapiti chief watching a bird fly off into the sunset and they eventually fade to black. Mm. The end. It's a perfect game. (sighs) I know this was a long, long journey, everybody. (laughs) We appreciate you coming on it, but that was Red Dead Redemption 2. Probably, it might be my favorite game of all time. How are you feeling, Tom? Are you doing okay? Do you need a snack? (laughs) Oh, I need a lot more than a snack after that. I'll tell you what. I need a whole ass fucking meal. Oh, my (laughs) goodness. Pearson, cook me up something. No, you don't want that. You know he doesn't season anything. No. (laughs) (laughs) There's a great scene, too, when uh, Abigail and John and everybody's living together, and Abigail cooks their first meal, and then she's like, how is it, everybody? And John's like, I miss Pearson's cooking. (laughs) (laughs) And she's like, fuck you. Yeah, she's like, John Marson, you're the worst. (laughs) (laughs) At least you're not murdering right now. Yeah. uh, Who's your favorite not playable character? Sadie. Oh, obviously. Sadie Adler, absolutely. She was, from minute one, like, my first playthrough, I was like, this is the character I love. You love just, like, an aggressive, independent woman yep i absolutely do and you ended up with me mm-hmm. an aggressive independent that's woman. fair actually yeah. i was gonna say something <laughs> self-deprecating but no that's exactly who i am i got into a screaming match at costco the other day and <laughs> no it's joke. fine everything's fine we all have our paths um <laughs> what's your favorite mission favorite mission i mean lenny drunken lenny is always going to be fantastic lenny you know that's a wonderful sequence The attack on Braithwaite Manor is just so memorable and so amazing. That's my favorite sequence in a game right now. Kind of period, right? Yeah, like it's literally been the wallpaper of my computer because every time I open it up, I'm like, fuck yeah, let's go. Yeah, no, those are some truly amazing ones. And then I would also honestly say, weirdly so, the one where Kieran comes in carrying his head. Oh, that one's gnarly. Yeah, just that one's such a shocking scene. And it was one that... I remember playing the first time, and I wasn't fucking ready for that. Oh, no. It hits you like a ton of bricks. Yeah. Like, you've seen some brutality, but nothing like that up at that point. Who's your favorite character arc? Favorite character arc? Yeah. Like, 
whose transformation do you appreciate the most? I mean, I love Arthur's transformation, really. Yeah. You know, it's hard to say anybody else but Arthur. Mm-hmm. Uh, but um, his I mean, arc is so sad. His arc is sad. And Charles is also a really great character that has like a really good arc too mm-hmm. but again sadie sadie's just so fucking killer it's the bride she's yeah. literally just uma thurman and yeah. she's blonde and tall it's fucking great she is a damn near perfect character and i think a lot of people would agree with me in saying a contender for if there's a red dead three that's who it should follow yeah like she, absolutely she lives through this game she does not show up in red dead redemption one mm-hmm. so there is so much room for her to have her own adventure even during the same time period that john marston's having it i think red dead redemption one takes place another seven years after the events of this game something like that yeah. something like that so hell we've got seven years between red dead two and one that sadie could exist in you know yeah. Just have her own entire fucking story going on. Oh, and I would so good. absolutely buy in. Yeah, absolutely. What's the worst way you've died in Red Dead? Oh my God, I've died so many horrible, horrible fucking ways. <laughs> there are so many awful ways to die. And especially during my evil Arthur run. I mean, I really hmm. just pushed myself to some limits during that time. Yeah. Um, but anytime like you get yourself killed while riding your horse uh, and get hit by like a train or something like that, that's pretty bad. That's what I was thinking, too. I've just been like on my horse, not paying attention. And then a train will come right through me. And I'm like, really? Damn it. And then you have to revive your horse or you lose the horse. It sucks. Yeah. And you'll get those occasional moments, too, where you're like running through a forest and like things that wouldn't that don't trip you, don't trip you. But then suddenly like one does for yeah. no fucking reason. And you just go flying and like run head first into a tree yeah fair <laughs> yeah i'm a huge sadie adler fan i'm a huge uh trey Lonnie fan i think just because he's so whimsical he's awful like that's so fun yeah trey Lonnie is a fun character you're absolutely right yeah some of my favorite things in sound denis there are some theater shows you can go to mm-hmm. a really fun musical group called postmodern jukebox actually does some music for one of these and Scott Bradley, the head of Postmodern Jukebox, did do some work for Bioshock Infinite. So yep. take one last shot for me, my friends. <laughs> Snuck it good. in there. But they that do a great good. song called like just basically like a welcome to San Denis song, which yeah. is delightful. It's a really good song. Yeah. Well, the music is underrated in this because the visuals and the story are so incredible. But the music is really beautiful. And the tonal pieces that they put together are immersive and incredible yeah i mean there were times where it was just like i was haunted by some of the music Mm -hmm. yeah absolutely and yeah like the the music that plays while arthur's out on the prairies and just like out living like there is something unnerving about that music for me anyway really beautiful but not in a bad way oh totally it just it it just adds to the entire atmosphere. It's really beautiful. Oh, it's yeah. Most atmospheric game. We didn't even talk about some of the amazing things. Like there is permadeath of your horses. So if you're mm-hmm. if your horse dies, that horse is gone. You've got to find a new fucking horse kind of shit. Yeah, and like I said with the horse survivor, there's only a certain amount of time you can revive your horse, otherwise it's fucking gone. Oh yeah. And some of these side characters and side quests are so funny. They mm-hmm. are so entertaining. Some of them are really dark. You can find the devil living in a cave. There's a vampire. <laughs> There's an actual ass vampire in Saint Denis that you can hunt down. There are, you know, I, I don't want to call them zombies. There's like night folk that you can get like involved in at night. You can see a ghost train. There's UFOs. This game <laughs> has so much to fucking offer and we barely touched 
any of it in the last i don't know how long this episode ended up being but you know i'm gonna say at least four hours yeah and you know speaking of there is a zombie dlc to red dead one so like it's not weird that that happens (laughs) undead nightmare fucking weird shit entirely right but yeah no this game is an incredible immersive experience and again we did not touch on side quests at all we did we even kind of summarized some of the main story it's Just fucking play it. Just play it. It it's, is. It's a great experience. A masterpiece of a game. It really is. And thank you all so much for going on this journey with us. Yes. We appreciate you so much. If you had fun with us, please let us know online, um, on social, via email. All of our information is in the show description. If you had a good time with us, also please leave us a review. It helps other people find shows like this and. It helps us grow and get better at this. If you have suggestions for games or, you know, anything you just want to talk about, if you just want to geek out about Red Dead, I'm totally down. Uh, what was your horse's name? Oh, my horse's name. The f- it, Every game was different, you know? Oh, yeah. Yeah. I, I think Turbo was my first horse's name, though. Oh. Yeah. What was yours? Oh, I called him Lil Sebastian. Lil Sebastian? Yeah. Oh, that's good. Because <laughs> I'm a Parks and Rec fan. Yeah. This last round, I named him, I named my horse after our cat, Mabel. Oh, I love that. Yeah. Yeah, I think I named my second one Stinky. It's probably appropriate. <laughs> you do also have to wash your horse, otherwise he gets dirty and you don't It's can't. true. Grimshaw will yell at you if you get dirty. Like I told, I'll, <laughs> I'll find that clip and I'll show it to you. I've got to see that. That's great. Yeah. Um. But yeah, thank you all so very much. You absolutely all deserve something wonderful in your life for making it through this uh we hope you enjoy we are back this is season five we have so many coming up for you i have some games that i absolutely love i have two like origin story games for myself Mm -hmm. um two of the first games i ever played that made me fall in love with gaming that i'm so excited to go over and then we've got some weird shit yeah we've got some crazy weird shit we do the weird shit really excited about it so excited. And also, please check out my favorite piece of media that has come out of Red Dead Redemption 2. And that is the trailer for Red Dead Redemption 2, cut to be like the trailer from Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. It's so fucking good. We will absolutely link that below. And it's just an independent YouTuber that's an absolute genius at editing and just gets the fandom. It's so good. It's so damn perfect. Yeah. All right, Goombas, it's time to giddy up on out of here. Yeah, and if you're hungry by now, go to Chop Stop and have yourself an Other Castle Chop Salad. That is a great plug for that salad. (laughs) Do you think they'll send me more salad? God, I hope we get some. (laughs) Thank you so much, Goombas. We appreciate you. We adore you. Have an amazing day. Bye. You know, nothing means more to me than this game. The bond we share It's the most real thing to me. I would kill for it, I would happily die for it. But in spite of all of that, I would have easily left you here to rot if Charles hadn't stopped me. I don't believe a word of that, Arthur. Get him out of here. You're a great man, Arthur Morgan. The kind of young whippersnapper I can really admire. Oh, shut up.